Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Taran Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nasara. Blessed be everyone on this week that we celebrate the ascension of the being known as Jesus. Also, we are celebrating, in fact, those ascension energies as they come in, and we're celebrating our own ascension. So we're going to focus on ascension. We're going to focus on divine illumination. So let's go into our heart center as we begin our divine service work and facilitate this for all on the planet. So taking a nice deep breath, going into your sacred heart. As we call forth for the full emergence with our soul, our higher self, our monad, our mighty I am presence. The I am presence is in fact your planetary Christ presence. So we welcome that Christed energy of unconditional love in, through, and around us. For that is the true nature of our being. And we see ourselves in our pillar of light. It brings in a beautiful gold frequency. A yellow gold of illumination, enlightenment. Just as we worked with last week with the Festival of the Buddha the divine wisdom, illumination, enlightenment. With it comes the beautiful white frequency of ascension. And together the two weave through our pillar. And we feel that full connection directly to source and directly to the heart of Mother Gaia as we recommit ourselves in divine service through this new year of service, recommitting ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. Feel your pillar expand as you open your heart to unfold Mother Gaia and all upon her. We ask everyone to join us in this work. As we affirm the following, please say with me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. Feel your heart continue to expand and your pillar expanding as well. Feel yourself connected heart to heart, high heart to high heart, cosmic heart to cosmic heart with every man, woman, and child as we hold the vision of them and their pillars as their mighty I am presence as well. 
inviting in all of our multidimensional being. So for one and all, we call in all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage or ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward. We welcome our spiritual lineage, our soul families, our soul paths. Take a nice deep breath. We welcome for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fury kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the angelic realms from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, all ascended master healers and healing teams. We welcome the assistance of the healing teams of the Galactic Federation of Light, especially those that we work most closely with from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus. We welcome the assistance of all cosmic galactic universal healers and the entire company of heaven. Asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. The maximum that each of us can receive individually and collectively for both our personal and planetary and cosmic ascensions. We celebrate the ascension energies as we call in all of the rays, all of the flames, all universal laws, all ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received through every cell, every chakra, meridian, layer of our orc field multidimensionally through the conscious, subconscious, superconscious levels as well. And to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody these frequencies and these gifts with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium and love and light and laughter. All that we call forth for ourselves, we call forth for everyone in the circle of support from the very first name that created it to each and every individual, family member, loved one, pet and animal, each group, each organization, each institution, each nation, each government, each military, each and every governmental leader, 
each and every weather pattern, each and every wildfire, each and every condition, situation that we've placed in the circle of support. And we call in all of the energy and attention going on to different events around the world, be they spiritual events or secular events, including the energy around the ascension for this Thursday, May 26th, and Memorial Weekend next weekend. We call in all of that energy to be utilized in our collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of this planet, for the raising of consciousness, for our resurrection and ascension, for the anchoring of heaven on earth. We call forth Gaia to receive all that we receive through every molecule of of soil, molecule of water, molecule of air, even the molecules of fire. through all of her chakras and meridians and layers of her auric field multidimensionally, through every ley line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we see this planet transformed, as we hold it in its perfect climate and temperature, in its perfect physical perfection, including our physical perfection, and we hold it in its exalted state as it takes its rightful place as freedom star. You can feel the waves of the WESOC energy still coming in. Infinite blessings, infinite grace, infinite dispensations. Feel the magnification of St. Germain's violet flame and the overlighting of Mother Mary during this month of May. We have so much assistance here at this time. And we give thanks for all of the company of heaven assisting us, magnifying all that we are receiving as we go forward through this transformation process. We call forth the white ray of purity and ascension. And as we are bathed individually and collectively in this energy, we decree the following. In the name of the almighty presence of God, Goddess I am. And through the full power of the threefold flame pulsating in every heart, I speak directly to the intelligence within every electron of precious life energy existing in my earthly bodies, in the earthly bodies of all humanity the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth. Blessed electrons, through the power of God, God as I am, I command that the flame of purity in the central core of your being now expand, expand, and expand continuously and permanently. 
Through the power of God, Goddess I Am, I direct the crystalline white flame of purity to cast off and remove any shadows cloaking the electrons within my physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies. And the electrons within the physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies of humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth. O sacred flame of purity, cast any shadows into the violet flame and transmute every rate of vibration which is discordant or causing any form of limitation in my life or throughout the world. As the flame of purity quickens the vibratory rate of each electron, I witness every cloak of darkness being cast into the violet flame. All shadows created by humanity's past misuse of God's precious gift of life are now being instantly transmuted and transfigured into light. See it, sense it, feel it, and know it. Through the grace of God, Goddess I am, I am experiencing this very moment the blazing white light of purity continuously and permanently expanding, expanding, expanding in every electron on Earth until everything causing limitation in my life or on the planet can no longer exist. As the power of God, Goddess I am, I accept and know that this purification is being accomplished now, even as I call. Through the most intensified activity of the flame of purity ever known, this purification is God, God is victoriously accomplished. And I accept and know that the sacred flame of purity will intensify within every electron of precious life energy every time I make this call. And so it is, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We ask for a cosmic dispensation. As we say, I am the immaculate concept of my I am presence, abiding within my fifth-dimensional solar light bodies. I am holding the sacred space until all life on this sweet earth is wholly ascended and free. And so it is, beloved, I am. I now invoke a cosmic dispensation from my Mother, Father, God on behalf of all of the precious electrons. In the full power and authority of the presence of God, Goddess I am, I make this call to my Father, God, the celestial giver of all life, and to my Mother, God, the beloved Holy Spirit. I invoke a cosmic dispensation that no longer may the electronic light substance of the universe be misqualified or imperfectly clothed by the sons and daughters of God, Goddess. I invoke a cosmic dispensation, wherein the electrons will be invulnerably charged with purity's flame in action and passing through humanity's earthly bodies, which are the open doors to its expression in the physical world. The electronic light will remain within an invincible armor of divine love, emitting perfection, 
but allowing none of the discord of humanity's physical, etheric, mental, or emotional vehicles to change the vibratory action, color, or sound of its comforting presence. I now contemplate for a moment what I have just decreed. I begin to fathom the blessing humanity's heartfelt call to the flame of purity is for the precious electrons serving all life now in the physical world. I realize, as never before, that I have come to earth to love life free. And through my concentrated efforts, so I shall. And so it is, beloved, I am, beloved, I am, beloved, I am. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Breathe, see, sense, and feel the magnificent ascension flame as we call it in now. See it blazing in through and around you and in through and around the planet and all life. Beloved presence of God, Goddess, I am in me and in all humanity. Beloved legions of the ascension flame, seal, seal, seal our dear earth, her atmosphere, all her governments and all of her people in oceans and oceans and oceans of the mighty ascension flame. Let the sacred fire from the heart of God, Goddess, penetrate and saturate every electron of precious life energy, lifting and raising all life on earth out of every discordant frequency into all that is divine. Sustain this heavenly vibration forever. Let the ascension flame be known and loved by all belonging to or serving the earth. Let every person experience the miraculous gift of the ascension flame as each one ascends with this blessed planet in all her life up the spiral of evolution into higher and higher fifth dimensional realms of infinite perfection and eternal light. Through the power of the ascension flame, when our work on earth is finished, let all life ascend into the heart of our Mother, Father, God, from whence we came, forever to remain in the eternal victory of God's divine plan fulfilled. And we decree, I am a director of the Ascension Flame, and I am humble before its magnificent presence. I am grateful to unleash the power of the ascension flame on the earth. I am an instrument of God, Goddess, charging the electronic substance in through and around all life with the full power and might of the ascension flame. Say that with me. I am an instrument of God, Goddess, charging the electronic substance greetings everyone we were missed uh for a little while there was some quirky thing that happened with the computer system and we're back and so i'm going to restate that cheryl is 
giving us a lesson in cosmic law, and I'll pass the talking stick so she continue. Here we go. Back to oh, you, Cheryl. So we have been working with the Ascension Flame, and we are going to ask that this be permeated throughout our beings and throughout all of the planet and humanity, through all of the kingdoms as well. So we now are calling forth the flame of illumination and the support of Lord Buddha, who we celebrated last weekend with our Festival of the Buddha. So please feel, sense, and experience. Bring in the yellow golden ray of illumination. We invoke the flame of illumination around ourselves and all life, as we say. Beloved, I am presence, light of my soul. I call forth for the full power of the sacred fire from the temples of illumination for a full release of illumination flame through my entire consciousness, being, and world. I ask for the flame of illumination to blaze and transform all that would hinder the manifestation of love, wisdom, and power within and without my life stream and my ascension in the light. I ask the masters of light to resurrect the memory of my true identity and God-Goddess and the blueprint of my divine plan. By the flame of illumination, I call forth for the restoration of my full Christ consciousness as it was ordained by God, Goddess, in the beginning of my descent into manifest form. I call forth for the flame of illumination to descend and blaze divine wisdom into every cell of my being, into my crown chakra, and all of my other chakras. I ask the flame of illumination to reconnect me once again to the forever present pure knowledge of the universal mind of God Goddess. Feel that connection strengthened for you now. Flood the earth with illumination flame each moment of each day to show humanity their way back home Beautiful and precious golden flame, let thy light bring the end of separation in the consciousness of all humanity for the manifestation of God's holy purposes and the return of a golden age of love and enlightenment. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. Let this permeate in through and around you, in through and around the planet. We call forth the assistance of Sandalphon, Archangel Sandalphon and Mother Gaia to anchor this for all life. Working simultaneously with the illumination flame, we are working with the ascension flame as well as we call forth transformation and ascension for all. My beloved, I am presence. I acknowledge you as the source of my being and life. I ask for the divine plan for my life and my holy purpose on earth to be made manifest now. 
please shine your love and your light into my heart and into all my chakras, into my mind, my feelings, and physical body. I hold myself willing and ready to receive more of thy light and thy presence so that I may express and expand my consciousness through thy Christ's love and wisdom. I ask that you monitor my heart and feeling world to receive daily and in all matters of my life the wisdom and guidance that will quickly take me with ease and grace through the seven temples of the path of initiation to receive the gift of my ascension as soon as I meet all requirements. Charge all conditions and activities of my physical life with your sacred fire love, purity, beauty, grace, divine perfection, and all of the God attributes of the seven sacred flames. Reveal your divine will to me daily and release in me the illumination ray of the mind of God, Goddess. Infuse in me the healing power of your eternal presence. So be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am that I am. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Beloved, mighty, victorious presence of God, goddess of my being, I am and all of humanity. Beloved, legions of the ascension flame, angels of purity and victory, brotherhoods of the ascension fire at Luxor and Telos, the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood and Everyone that we have called in thus far, we decree. Seal, seal, seal our dear earth, all of her atmosphere, all of her governments, all of her people and her many kingdoms, in oceans and waves of unlimited mighty ascension flame. Let the fiery essence of the ascension flame penetrate and saturate every man, woman, and child on this planet, every animal, every mountain, every ocean, every river and lake, every tree, blade of grass, every flower, lifting and raising all life on earth out of human negativity into the glorious frequency of the Christ light and the perfection of the ascended state. Sustain that vibration forever. Infuse the ascension flame and the fire of divine love into every particle of life upon this planet and its evolution. Allow us all to return to the house of our Mother, Father, God from whence we came. Forever to remain in the eternal victory of God, Goddess's divine plan fulfilled. I give thanks that this is done. For I have made this call in God, Goddess's most holy name I am. So be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. We're going to call forth now for the gold ray. This is more of a metallic gold as we call in the golden light to fill us with eternal peace, 
and infinite abundance. As we call forth for ourselves, each one of every one of us, we call forth for ourselves, for all humanity, the supply that we need at this time, the infinite abundance of every good thing and financial freedom and prosperity. Join your heart with mine, as I say for us all. Beloved, mighty, victorious, I am presence. Beloved lords of manifestation, I call forth for the entire spirit of the company of heaven, all that we've invoked. As we call forth for your assistance and the release of the supply needed to fulfill our destinies here on earth with ease and grace and joy and without any financial limitations, experiencing only financial abundance and the abundance of every good thing. Release, release, release your unlimited supply of money and every perfect gift into my life and into the lives of all those who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan here on earth. I'm going to say that two more times. Join me in saying that. Release, release, release your unlimited supply of money and every perfect gift into my life and into the lives of all those who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan on earth. Release, release, release your unlimited supply of money and every perfect gift into my life and into the lives of all those who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan on earth. The sense of Sila coming to you now. As we decree, I am the resurrection and the life of my ever-present and increasing supply from the heart of God, Goddess. I acknowledge my I am presence as my source for unlimited supply flowing through me in the service to the light. I am the master presence, manifesting a constant flow of wealth into my life to produce the perfection needed to manifest my divine plan on earth in this life. I am the master presence, directing and manifesting great abundance in my life, including all the money I will ever need from the great storehouse of heaven. I give thanks and praise God that I have it now and that as I speak, my prayers are instantly answered. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We know that our gratitude increases our abundance. We call forth now for the golden flame of illumination once again. And this time as we call it forth, 
we call it forth for the planet and for the divine plan of divine government. Once again, see the golden flame of illumination in through and around every nation and every leader of every nation. Every aspect of each nation's executive branch, as we say and call it here, the executive, the legislative, and the judiciary aspects of every government. And we say through the supreme eternal mercy and compassion of the cosmic I am, all that is, I accept the divine fiat that the golden flame of illumination, wisdom, understanding, enlightenment, and truth shall now rule, guide, and protect all humanity. God's will for the United States of America and all of the countries of the world shall manifest and every country's divine plan will be fulfilled. Every nation will reflect the will of God, Goddess, and the reverence for all life. Divine government will be the order of the new day on earth. Let us say victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. I so decree it and accept it done. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Take a nice deep breath as we ask for this to be sealed in the most exquisite frequencies of divine love and light, ever expanding to perfection individually and collectively for all. I thank you for joining me in this divine service work here today. And I invite you to join us every Sunday and Monday for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls, we're a teleconference call, and we begin at 8.45 p.m. in Eastern Time every Sunday, Monday. So that's 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greetings. We have Tower and Rama give us a brief update. Then at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time, we begin our ascension work in earnest, our work of bringing heaven to earth through our invocations, through our visualizations, through our activations, through our prayers. Each and every call is unique and individual, and we take advantage of the energies going on at that time as we, again, serve as the bridge between heaven and earth. If you haven't joined us, please do so on a regular basis. I'm going to give you the phone number right now. This is the main number. It's area code 
425-436-6260. The access code is 946-7441-POUND. Again, that's 946-7441-POUND. Please let us know that you heard about the calls from the Saturday program. We welcome you. Now, there are many other phone numbers to use. There are international numbers. You can access it on the computer. I believe there's even an app. That's not my thing, but people have told me they've used the app. So please let me know if you need that information. Contact me by email. My email is Cheryl Croce at AOL.com. I'm going to spell that out. C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. And we'd love to have you as a regular part of our team. The beautiful light workers, beautiful beings that are in service with us on a regular basis. We'd love to have you join us. So with that, I'm not passing the talking stick just yet. Rainbird is celebrating life with family here tonight. And so I'm here to change hats and do the housekeeping. So as we begin, I just want to remind you of what is needed by Tarn Rama here today. So this is what's going on for them. So again, we ask you to go into your generous heart to, to see how you can assist. So Rama needs for a Thursday appointment $195 to address the issue with his shoulder. They need about $200 in living expenses and $175 for bills. What that represents, the living expenses, they need money for gas. They need money for food. They need money to do their laundry. All of the basics of life. So we wish to support them the best that we can. The rent is due in nine days. You know, we we have the expenses of BBS radio. BBS radio requires $300 on a weekly basis. And thus, due today is $346. And another 300 will be due next Saturday. So are there many ways to assist? You can go directly to the account with BBS. Let me get to the BBS page here and see where it says under, under their radio program, The True History, with Taran Rama. There is a donation button there. You can use your bank card and make a donation right on 
the BBS radio website. You can go to rainbowroundtable.net to donate to Tarn Rama there. And it's, you know, such a beautiful concept shown here, giving is receiving, which truly is is absolutely correct. And once you go down the page where it says donate, there is a beautiful heart with the means to donate there as well. You can also go to PayPal. So you can donate to Rama's PayPal account in any amount, either using a a bank card or from your own PayPal account. But what you want to make sure, because sometimes it switches, (laughs) I know this from experience myself, not just in the donations here, but... um, and, and anything that's that's taking place, the transactions on PayPal, you want to make sure it's on the friends option. Make sure it's not on services. You want to say it's a donation to friends. And so you can use um, his email. You can go on to PayPal and just type in his email. The one here is Koran, K-O-R-A-N. 9999 at hotmail.com. It's always good for them to know what's coming in. So if you please can let them know that you have sent money, please contact Rama at his regular email, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999, that one's three nines, at comcast.net. And if you wish to mail something, a check or money order, the mailing address is Ram R is in Rabbit, A M is in Mary, D is in David, Berkowitz, B is in Boy, E R K O W I T Z. And that's at Post Office Box 280. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So those are some of the ways that we can contact and donate. Um, I don't have the information in front of me um, for the... um, other website, I, I apologize, Darn Robot. Maybe you want to give that as well. Um, but in the meantime, please go into your Sacred Heart Center. You know, the more that we give, the more that we receive. And let your donations be multiplied tenfold, 100-fold, 1,000-fold. Set your intentions. Know that you are going to receive from infinite sources just as you assist Tarn Rama in their divine mission, divine work. 
So we thank them for their service for all these many years. And uh, again, please give as generously as we can, as you can, as um, I know they are exceptionally grateful, as Rainbird would say, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. So thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your infinite blessings and abundance. Again, as we all call this forth for all life. Stay in that ascension energy this week. Have a beautiful and glorious week. And with that, I'm going to pass the talking stick to Turner Mama with the amazing ascension frequencies with the rainbow white light, with the white light of purity, the gold light of infinite peace and infinite abundance, and the yellow gold of illumination, enlightenment, divine wisdom, as this new golden age manifests further each and every day. So infinite blessings this week, and we'll see you on the Sunday and Monday call. The talking stick is all yours, Tarn Rama, with many, many blessings and infinite energies to support you. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, everyone. And come and join Cheryl uh, and, and all of us. It's a beneficent uh, uh, service to all of humanity and to our beloved mother, Gaia, the planet, at this time. And um, it's really wonderful. It brings in good vibrations to all things. Thank you again, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll just repeat that number one more time, just so everybody gets it. And take a chance. Here we go. So, 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 94674. Four one pound nine four six seven four four one pound, and this is on Sunday and Monday evenings. It's about no ten minutes of the hour of seven Mountain Time, which would be ten minutes of the hour of nine Eastern Time. And Cheryl and and all of us present co-create a new heaven and a new earth in about <laughs> three three or so hours, yeah, or a little bit less. All right. So, Rama, you're going to have to tell your story. Um, Pass the talking stick. Today, what happened? I... Uh Talked with Tom and Sweet Angelique the Cat again today, and they didn't tell me where they were, yet what they said is that the sun is sending out these 
mini solar flares like I talked about yesterday and the Schumann resonance that chart has so many different rainbow colors in it with what's happening and yeah if you feel a little Stacy and kind of like drifting between various realms it, it is what's going on and like Cheryl said and so many others, drink plenty of water and stay in the high heart. And the waves of energy are just that. They're helping us move through this space-time moment as things are shifting and changing faster than I can keep up with the words. Um they told me there's a new prime minister in Australia. The old guy, um, I forgot his name, but the new prime minister, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. He's talking about turning Australia into a green, uh, free energy place. Um, I heard them. Um, Today, talking about plasma energy on BBC News concerning Australia. I don't know any more than that. Yet, uh, I can just say the energies are very intense and very wild. And what is being played out right now on the world stage is about sending peace and love to the situations going on. And um, there are answers, and it is about doing this with love, not with violence. That got us to where we are right now. Um, I passed the talking stick. So what's the gist of what you just said? Huh? <laughs> the energy. In terms of the report about getting the SARA enacted. The energies are huge with the solar flares and the Schumann resonance and focus on the high heart. Stay there. Don't get caught in the bitter bickering back and forth about whose side is correct and what issue is, you know, most prominent because all of it is relevant, yet they are playing with the energies, the dark side. I mean, they're so not telling the truth. It's getting worse by the day. It's not getting better. Yeah, it is insane with what they're doing. And I listen to the trees and the five elements and what's happening with that. I, I can just say all the realms of all the beings, known and unknown, are here. And as we call on them, magic and miracles can happen. Take a chance. I'm not just talking BS. 
do it, you know. Go out into nature, go out into your backyard, even if you're in a city. Work with the energies, all the beings from the tiniest pixies to these archangels that take over entire, they take, uh, these archangels are in charge of entire continents and countries. And they send the energies in, like you see in the pictures, in the I Am Sanctuary, um, the different rays of energies coming from these beings that are sometimes 200 feet tall or more. And um, let's say some of them can achieve a height where, let's say, as they were to be a physical presence and their feet were planted on the ground, their heads would be right where the edge of space goes up and disappears where it turns black. And I'm talking about there are beings miles high that take care of this local sun system. That comes between the, cross between the fairy kingdom and the angelic kingdom, right? Yeah. These I, I uh, comically, lovingly call Doctor Who and his team of Time Lords that take care of this solar system, this planet, this galaxy, and there are so many trillions of other life forms. We are meeting in many stories and legends. It's not just, you know, up in smoke talking. It is about these beings that, as need be, they can stop tanks, they can stop nukes, they can stop missiles. Yeah, but they just can't do that without permission from us. In other words, they have a code of ethics where they may not intervene. As Metatron and a few other folks like Mother, Maitre, and Michael say, do it, they do it. Well, the Archangel Michael, Metatron, and Mother, and Michael aren't going to say that either <laughs> unless there is enough of us with our free will choice that request it. Unless right. in case of nuclear and or psychic holocaust, right? Yeah. Non-intervention in the civilization's development unless in case of. And the reason for that is that otherwise they violate our free will choice. If we all say, no, we don't want you to come in and help, we'll do it our way. Have a nice day. Unless of psychic and or nuclear. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, do we qualify yet? I would say that uh, we are there, and like I keep being told, uh, stay alert with your Metatronic chip in your head. Astar will be calling on you, so I got to leave it there. And what will Astar be wanting us to do? 
uh, let's say he will tell us where to go and what to get ready in terms of beaming up. Well, why would they want to beam us up? Would they want to beam down uh, for here? A, so? uh, for a brief briefing, oh. uh, a uh, refresher course in the protocols of the um, Federation and how we interact with folks. And I, so are we going to get trained in bilocation and all that? Yes. Oh. Yes. Things can so happen. we're going to have lucid experience of this. Yes. Things oh. can happen very quickly as the captain gives the word, and it's a lot quicker than I even know how to talk about. Well, okay, well, so what qualifies is that that it has to be nuclear or psychic holocaust, or they won't allow that to happen, right? I would say we're kind of at the point where, you know, uh, the prime directive, uh, with all due respect, there's a line that's been crossed in... What know, is that line? That line is that... Um, Psychic Holocaust? Yeah, we're at that point where they're playing with technologies where the captain has the per- prerogative to step in, and he knows exactly when to do in it. In other words, the psychic holocaust part of it has been violated in that prime directive. Yes. Yeah. Because they're just completely, they're bold-faced lying about everything. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Maupin of RT was saying yesterday on, on, on the, on the, uh, internet report of RT that we've already sent, you know, a whole bunch of weaponry to Ukraine. And he said, there's this group they call that the Azov Battalion. And these, these, these characters are full-blown Nazis. And they're using our money and our equipment. And they're doing killing for Zelensky of people that live in Ukraine. Ordinary citizens. That was reported yesterday and I was transcribing and I'm going, uh, I don't see this anyplace else being reported. Like Dr. King, like Dr. King said, we are the greatest purveyor of violence on the planet, and this is why um, Lady Vesta speaking last night and Helios, um, they're saying, "Call on us, we will show up." This is the time, this is mm-hmm. the place, and I gotta leave it there. Expect magic and miracles, cause that's what it's about. When you're in that quantum field, and you're expecting nothing, everything shows up. Okay. So Rama, you tell everybody you found something for us that yeah, was completely is, uh, unexpected. Uh, uh, a little piece from Matthias and uh, Aubrey Marcus 
and I didn't see this. It came out two weeks ago. And it's the fourth podcast. And we played the first one a long time ago. Maybe it was three in one. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is this came out two weeks ago. But um, if you hear this, Penny, and it sounds like a repeat, let us know. I mean, it jumped out at me. And, well, you know, didn't you say they officially said it just came out two weeks ago? Yeah, that's what the post says. So, well, that means it's yeah. They they could have brought it out as a repeat, I suppose. Yeah. Well, but anyway, let's he's talking about magic and miracles and extraterrestrials. Yeah, that's the usual what he talks about, Robin. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> It's two hours, and we're going to play it now. Here we go. Here we go. Usually when people think about Atlantean civilization, think about technology, uh, but actually for us, we were taught since we were very child, very young that we are the technology that our bodies are the real technology. And everything that we do around is just to improve the signal of our technology. Mm. And we don't need anything from the outside. That's why when you go to the um, to the archaeologist, uh, you can find these huge stones and creations, but you can't find anything else. After the first time I did a podcast with Matthias De Stefano, who believe it or not, remembers all of his past lives. And I understand if you're skeptical, I was too. But after the first podcast, I told him, I said, I want to do as many podcasts as possible with you. And so this is the fourth episode. And the theme of this episode is to talk about magic because he's experienced things that us in our reality now, in this time and place, would consider not possible. But he's been there. He's seen them. And he has stories to tell. And he's brought some of these things into our reality. Now, of course, if you weren't there and you didn't see him, maybe you don't believe him. And I respect that skepticism. To be fair, I'm a little skeptical still, even right now. But nonetheless, if you hear him, you hear his songs, and you feel what he has to say, it all feels very true to me. So I'm excited to share this podcast with you on magic with Matthias Stefano. The truth is, is that we're all the master. We're all the healer. We're all the mystic. Give it up one time for Aubrey Marcus. Matthias, we're back. Nice to be back. Good to be back. So once again, I think the invitation for this podcast is to invite people into a field of belief, into a field of belief which may contrast with their own field of belief, Mm -hmm. a field of belief that's supported by our society and the way that we think things work in our culture that tries to explain the things in the stories that we have, but not all cultures have participated in these same stories. And there was cultures with different fields of belief where the field itself actually permitted different realities to exist. 
in some way, the belief of the field allowed the belief of the individual to be cellularly embodied mm-hmm. and allowed what we would call now magic to occur. But in another field of belief, it was just reality, mm-hmm. just reality. And you have the purview of someone who's been a part of these different fields of belief where you've seen different things happen. And sometimes, and we'll get into some of these times, you've been able to call forth beings, channeled mm-hmm. entities that operate from a different field of belief and can do things that are, quote, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That I cannot. That, that you can. can do because you're a part of you still, even though you're born, you're Matias. Yeah. You know, you're born here, your cells are from here, your, your parents, everything, you're part of this. But as something else moves through you, a new possibility emerges. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting here in a room with our sister Celeste, who was a witness to one of these unbelievable occurrences, which involved the rain mm-hmm. and the ability to call forth the rain. So let's start with that story. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a personal story that we have. Well, there were several thousand people who were there to witness it. Yeah. And some people, when they listen to this, please keep New Mexico in mind. Pray rain. Pray rain. They're talking <laughs> about calling in the rain here. And any place else that needs it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Story, they're going to be like, ah, coincidence. Yeah. And that's okay, because that's the immune system for that field of belief that's going to reject this new belief from attacking and penetrating that yes. belief system and causing a disruption, because we like to keep a nice, tight belief system. Mm-hmm. But for others, we might just open our minds and say, huh, let's see what happens if we take this in. And let it work around a little bit, like a little, like like the viruses do. Just a virus of a new belief that comes in and starts changing the RNA and changing the DNA sequences of our own field of belief. So let's see if we can allow this story and many other stories that we'll tell here to start to permeate our own field of belief. Sure. I would like to start by maybe clarifying some words so sure. people could understand better some of the things that... We would go through in the in the stories um, that today we call magic those things that we cannot understand that we can mistake like tricks of magic. So whoa, you are fooling the mind. So the mind believes something that is not. Uh, but actually, the origin of the word magic comes from the Persian language, I guess. Uh, in the in Iran, that was magush, and the word the word magush means uh, the the chemical means chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, and in Arabic, the one that makes chemistry it's alchemist. So al is um, is to determine the one alchemistry alchemist. So when you have the um, the concept of alchemist is what in that language they call magush. Mm-hmm. So that's the magician. The magician is the one that does chemistry with the reality. But the belief of chemistry today 
is related to the science, which is the logis, the logics, the analytic of reality. So it must understand everything, how it works and so on, but analyze the things separate from the being. Right. The alchemist analyzes the things becoming those things. So in order to understand water, the alchemist becomes the water. In order to understand the fire, the alchemist becomes the fire. Doesn't analyze it as something outside. So the belief, which is really the only way that you can know anything. Yeah. Right? Like if you wanna, if you wanna say like, do you believe in God? Let's say, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well then you're putting yourself as separate than God, mm -hmm. and then projecting like already there's a separation from you and God. So if you say I believe in God, you're actually wrong yeah. in a certain way because you either know, you either know it, you know it. Or if you're believing it as if it's something else, then you don't actually know it. Uh -huh. And this is what like a, a Bufo ceremony, a 5-MeO-DMT ceremony does, is it collapses the separation between you and what you could call God. Now, mm -hmm. of course, there's other words for it, love, energy, whatever that might yeah. be. But it collapses the separation. So now you're like, oh, well, I've become this. Mm -hmm. It's not that like I witnessed it. It's not like a guy in a beard talked to me about some shit. Yeah. It's like, no, I became it. So I know. Yeah. And that's like, that's the way to know anything. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the, the, the thing of why we separate things is because when the alchemist was doing something, there were people watching and that act of staring at what you were looking at makes you think that you were seeing it and not being part of it. Mm. And, That's what in Latin we call uh, uh, to see or to watch something very um, straight, like focus. focus in something. And the word for in Latin for staring at something very focused is miracle. So miracle actually is the act of staring at something that is chemical that is happening, but you don't understand. <laughs> so, um, so the, the Magush used to do this kind of miracles that people didn't understand, but they were staring at it. And that's what created the idea of separation. Like if there was something else outside happening because I don't get it. So it's not part of myself. Right. And um, until you you don't become the experience itself, you don't understand it. That's why it's so difficult. Even if I tell the stories, it's difficult to to be part of the story because you think that you have to believe the story. And believe is the main concept that is wrong. Mm -hmm. Because um, if you have to believe me, it's, it's not true. You know, because that's that's what a miracle is about. Uh, a miracle is you witnessed what happened, and that's what makes you part of it. Right. But when you just listen about it, it becomes faith, and faith is very difficult to be trust because you don't have anything to compare to. It's just faith. You just believe whatever you've been told. Uh, so. That what I'm trying to say is um, that it's very difficult to transmit 
um, what some people were living with a miracle happening by magic, which is turning the chemistry into something different, mm-hmm. um, than just listen at it. So it's, it's very difficult. Yeah. Different. Yeah. What I, what I, you know, the difference between trust and faith is and really you, you trust what you know. Yeah. Like you trust what you know. So if you trust, like in a partnership, you know, in my partnership with Bailana, for example, like we often say, I see you, I trust you, I love you, and I have faith in you. Mm-hmm. We say all of those things which are very important and they go in that order very specifically. So the seeing, which is to see, not just look at, look at is different than seeing. We yeah. can all look at things and that's from our own limited perspective, but mm-hmm. to see actually means to take the inside go into the interiority of a person and see through them Mm -hmm. and then you can see them and when you can see them see through them as them then you can trust them Mm -hmm. and when you can really trust them then you can really love them Mm -hmm. but there will always be that which you cannot see that which you cannot know therefore yeah which is the gap at which it is nice to offer faith Mm-hmm. You know, like the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know, so if you're gone and I don't see what you're doing, I'm not imagining that you're in another room having sex with somebody. Yeah. Like I have faith. Mm-hmm. You know, that even when I don't see you, yeah. like I know, like I believe that this is good. And that's to me how it, how it goes. So it is difficult because we're going to be telling stories that we haven't been a part of. Yeah. And so we're asking people. It was some crazy. <laughs> yeah. We're asking people to take a leap yeah. of faith. Mm-hmm. And so. Feel free, everybody listening, yeah. to take the leap or don't take the leap. Yeah. It's okay. But we're, it's just an invitation. It's an invitation to try it on mm-hmm. and just allow it to, to work through you in a certain way. Uh, because really the only way to know anything is to be there for a part of it. So the only way, even though I've heard this story about the rain, yeah. like when Celeste tells the story about the rain and the story about how you sung the song of Gaia inside the pyramid, you know, in the middle of the night, and she starts crying about it. I get a, I get a feeling of what she knows mm-hmm. and it makes me believe her. I have faith in her. I believe what she's saying, but I don't know it. Yeah. Cause I haven't seen it. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a different thing, but it's still, I think powerful. Just allow your own intuition and your own sense to just say, mm-hmm. all right, let me, let me feel this. Let me feel this and see how it feels. Yeah. Well, I've been personally, I've been called. Uh, um, the rain child since I was 12 years old in at school um, because everyone kind of um, knew that whatever happened to me was related to the weather and um, even the teachers were calling me uh, the rain child uh, and some other from the classroom uh, because it was uh, when I was a child, I, with these guides that I had, they reminded me how it was to be part of nature, how the reality is not something a part of me, and I am not living in this world. I am this world. So they used to repeat me uh, every time this, like, you are the water, you are the people, you are the house, you are this and that. So I started to become that and be able to communicate with it 
from within, not like talking to the objects or to the nature, but to understand that uh, I was listening to myself in different shapes. Mm. So that was like like kind of a game for me when I was a child uh, in the garden and playing with the plants, with the animals, with the rocks. Uh, but I actually could feel how I was communicating with everything. So I noticed how when I got furious or with anger, um, the weather changed according to what I was feeling or when I, when I was happy, it was also changing according to, to me. And, um, and it was really weird to explain because I, I had no way to explain it at that time. But, uh, eventually my environment, my, my, the people around me started to, 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 to look at it like something is happening. Uh, but we don't know how to, how to understand it. Mm-hmm. And it was because besides my family was agnostic and the context that I had was science and nothing else like, no many beliefs in anything, most, yeah, nothing. Um, the guides that I was able to listen and to talk to, they were uh, making me part of a culture that I had no around. Right. So since very child, myself listened, you are the elements, you are the nature, and you can play with it, you can know it. When I was... Um, when I was waiting for the bus to go to the school, I was just moving myself and see how the trees were moving with the wind. And I was feeling the trees and I was being the trees and I was being the wind. And so I could make it l- stronger or soft according to how I was moving. And I think let's just pause here for a second because the, the interesting thing to note is the reason that you were able to do this was because your guides from the earliest age were infusing your actual cellular memory, mm-hmm. like your understanding with this reality. Yeah. So you are a part of a field of reality in which you are inseparable from the natural elements. Yeah. Many so things that allows, came, yeah. Many things came together because in my home, I had no one saying there is God, and this is the world. So myself never heard the concept of someone that was superior to me. I was born without a dad, so I didn't have the image of someone to follow either. So I didn't have the image of I have to be like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my family was with many uh, women, a lot of women around, so they were not saying you have to be like this or like that. They were just allowing me to play. And and all those cultural facts that even if I was in a society that was uh, Christian, uh, in my home, it wasn't that. And in my school, I didn't have that because my school was for farmers. Mm-hmm. So nobody was praying, nobody went to the church. We were all dealing with literal bullshit. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Working the farm. Mm-hmm. So um, 
so I was able to to become that because the guides um, knew that I had no links or anybody that that would tell me what you are saying is not true because if there's only one God, blah blah, or you have to follow what your dad says, blah blah. So I had a context that allowed me to listen to them and to become them. So it's very important this because since you are born, you are being told so many things in what to believe, what is wrong, what is good, what you should do, what the society expects from you. So you've been told so many things that yourself says, okay, I have to do that. Otherwise, they will kill me or I will die. <laughs> I will be uh, thrown apart. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. So um, when people doesn't have that and the context allows you to become the tree if you want to be the tree. Suddenly you are the tree. And uh, this is what happens with so many cultures in the Amazon, for example, or um, or the native Australians. Uh, they can listen to the reality. They can communicate with the wind. They can talk to the trees. So the trees can tell them what is the medicine what is the truth, what is um, how to communicate with others through the wind, uh, through the trees, uh, because those people doesn't have the idea of there is a God outside. Right. And I think it's it's also, again, it's important to recognize that we can't just change our mind and then expect that's not the place where all of our memories are stored. Mm-hmm. Like our memories are stored in, through the entirety of our being. Yeah. This is like, this is the record keeper yeah. right here. This is like the physical record of everything that, that we have been trained to believe. And so it's the process to, to actually move to a different state of understanding. And I've seen this, you know, in my own, in my own experience, what I've experienced. So I can talk about Maestro Alberto, who was a ayahuasca shaman. And I watched him on several, every night that we drank ayahuasca. He had a particular ikaro where he was singing to the bats. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining as he sung the song of the bats, he was in frequency with the bats. He was the bats mm-hmm. and the bats would come yeah. and the bats would circle the maloka mm-hmm. in the spiral for as long as he was doing the Ikaro. And yeah. then he would finish the Ikaro of the bats and the bats would leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I sent an, I've seen, and I was there when our sister blue and under the medicine of ayahuasca. And I've told this story on that other podcast was able to actually enter into the space of the wind. So there was like, there was like portal for her to enter in and then whip up a wind that ended up knocking down a tree. Yeah. And it was these moments are like, wow, what the <laughs> fuck? Yes. Cause it, it, it attack, it attacks my belief system, which mm-hmm. is like, this is nonsense. Yeah. This is like, I love, I love to imagine that this is real. Like I love reading Patrick Rothfuss, the name of the wind and imagining the, what they call sympathy, which is magic, which is, Ultimately, if you have the name of the wind, you can control the wind. It's a beautiful yeah. story. I love imagining that that's real. But then I encounter some things in which I've seen it and not seen it just with my eyes, which could be trickery, but seen it with the entirety of my being known yeah. that this is what is happening. Mm-hmm. And so that opens me up to another belief. But my cells still don't believe it enough that I could go out there on the balcony and be like, thunderstorm <laughs> you know yeah. like i can't do that shit <laughs> no you know but even though but I'm, I'm like open enough like permeable enough to it yeah but you know 
So to go back, circling all the way back for you, you had a different way in which your cells were informed from the yeah. start. Uh, and it's that that usually when when the mind is in control uh, of reality for us, we tend to believe that we are controlling the nature. That there'd be a storm, and the storm is there because we think that is the mind that controls it. But the thing is that you have to convince each one of your cells that you are the storm. It's not like yeah. Yeah, like a mutant stuff is, is, or a movie or mm. superhero stuff is, is, uh, is not that you are controlling it, is that you are becoming it. And in order to become that, you have to release the idea of who you are. And that's the most difficult thing because your ego tries to survive all the time. Right. Uh, it tries to be yourself in order to be as much as as it can in this reality. So in order to be able to become something else, you have to allow yourself to become something else and stop being what you are. Which is a death. So like the part of you that you're identified with, you it, you must be willing to allow it to die. Yeah. Like this is no small thing. No. You know, it's like you surrender it on the altar to die. Of course it will be reborn. It's not yeah. dead forever. You can't. You know, that's not the point. We're supposed to have an ego. It has a very important purpose. Yeah. However, for temporarily, this is the myth of the phoenix. It mm-hmm. has to, you have to allow it to go to ash. Yeah. In the place of ash, mm-hmm. when the ego is not there, then the the magic of something else yeah, can emerge. Yeah, can happen. So uh, that was, that allowed me to channel, for example. Uh, that was what allowed me to, to, uh, manage somehow the elements in some of the, of the gatherings and some of the activations that we did. Uh, sometimes there were only two people. Sometimes there were thousands, but, uh, we all could witness that as much more people is together is stronger because also one of the things is that, um, you can you can use the energy of a lot of people to become even a bigger uh, thing. So it's like a magnifier. Yes. So that's why when there is a huge amount of people, uh, the magic is really much more powerful. Is that why in the, in the Bible they say where three or more are gathered? Yeah. Like that's where there's like... It's the law of three. The Trinity, yeah. it's needed in order to manifest mm. uh, deeper. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And greater things. And so that's why you need at least three persons in order to manifest something. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, there, there are plenty of stories. The, the first time that I really, that I really was scared about what I was able to do, what I was becoming, uh, was one day at school. I was 13 years old or 14. I, I don't know, maybe, uh, almost 14. And I was in the classroom and of course I would, I've been the most weird person in the room. <laughs> so, um, I was bullied because I have a lot of material to be bullied. Mm. Um, but also to be loved. So I had a lot of friends that loved weird. I loved a lot. I had a lot of teachers that loved weird stuff and a lot of the other ones that sure. didn't. 
but it was natural. Now, now I, I, I know that I would have to have more fun with it, but at that time I, I had no idea. So, um, there was one of them that was constantly like, like, uh, how to say, um, um, bothering me, uh, from the back of the class. And I was going through a very dark process in which I was blaming myself for remembering all these things. Like, uh, I was remembering so many things that I was blaming myself for a lot of people that are being born, uh, for a lot of things that are like this in the world because we didn't do it properly in the past or this kind of thing. So I was and this really, is because of your memories of your past lives and yes, and that started like that. at 12. Yeah. So, uh, I was really concerned about all these things and, uh, and I remember I, I was in English class, uh, in Argentina and they were, uh, mocking me and all these kind of things. And suddenly I felt all this energy that I was working with in another, in another level trying to understand and, and the environment became like heavy and weird. And, and suddenly he threw me something in the head and I turned and hit the, the, how to say the, the table. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hit it and, and said stop. And when I said that a lightning went through the window and break the glass and, uh, and the rain started to come inside the, but it was no storm. <laughs> it just appeared. And, uh, and, the trunk of a, of a tree fell down against the window, uh, and, and hit someone that was inside the room. And, um, and I sat down breathing like, like more relaxed because of the discharge of energy. Uh-huh. Uh, and everyone was afraid of me since that time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and from that moment was like the storm kid, you know, like, um, right. something like that. Uh, and, uh, it happened many times at school with uh, tornadoes and this kind of things. Like when I was really, really mad, <laughs> something. This podcast, like every other one, whether I mention it or not, is brought to you by Onnit Alpha Brain Black Label. Now, it's brought to you by Onnit Alpha Brain Black Label. One, because this was the company that I helped create and a formula which I worked with some of the top experts in the world to build, which has become the flagship nootropic all across the country and many parts of the world. But it's also brought to you by it because I take it every single time I do a podcast. I don't miss a podcast without taking Black Label. Now, it used to be Alpha Brain back in the day, but since Black Label came on the market, it just provides this crystalline focus where I'm able to drop in, really connect with the guests, have access to information, stories, words, It creates this kind of flow state. And whether I'm writing or podcasting or reading, taking notes, whatever I'm doing, Alpha Brain Black Label is my ride or die homie. So click the link on the screen if you're interested in checking it out or go to onnit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off Alpha Brain Black Label and all other Onnit supplements and products. So for people listening now, so many of you are going to be like, 
this dude thinks he's an X-Man. Yeah. You know, and like, so this is like, do it. yeah, this dude thinks he can do this. This is some nonsense. Like, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm done with this, you know. Yes. But just potentially entertain the idea that this is the immune system for your own, for your own belief system. Doing what it's supposed to do, which is to help you survive and help that entity that is your belief system, your identity structure, and say like, all right, well, let's just, let's just go a little further here. Let's not worry about my immune system of belief. Let's say like, yeah, it's strong enough. It'll hold up if it's supposed to hold up here. And let's just like, all right, like maybe this is possible. Yeah. Well, I, sometimes I don't, I don't understand. Well, you know that. Um, usually these kind of things happen. I, I had the opportunity to speak with some of my colleagues in the, in the, uni the university uh, that they were very Christian, Catholic, and asking them, you are Catholic, you believe in this and that. Yes. Do you believe in angels? Yes, of course. Well, I used to talk to angels. And they said, I don't believe you. And I said, why? <laughs> If you believe in angels, why? You wouldn't believe that. I was talking to them and they had no answer for that. And I don't know. I was wondering why a person that says that believe in something doesn't believe in it. When someone else says, I, I knew it, I mm -hmm. felt it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is because a lot of people have, have been treated like mad, um, crazy. Uh, because most of religions doesn't, they don't want for their value system to be judged by new things. So it's better to keep that the people that were able to talk to angels have died a long time ago. So the books that we have now are the right ones. So if anyone speaks with an angel now and the angel says, no, Those things were mistaken, so the whole thing collapses. So they managed, the system managed to make everyone believe in that, but that nobody else is able to do it. So you have a stagnant dead logos, a word that is stagnant, and then you can build a power structure on top of the foundation of a stagnant word. Yeah. Rather than the revivification, the constant revivification mm -hmm. of a newer connection, pre like relevant to that time in that way. And this is a, in my That's own, why they kill a lot of people because they said, but I can talk to God. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the whole power structure is built on old yes. words. But if you go back deep enough into the lineage, back into the lineage of the Semitic, like of the, of the traditions all the way to the Kabbalist roots, you will actually see in the Torah, in the, in the, some of the ancient texts, that they actually talk about this, how mm -hmm. at any point, like they had a whole codification of an understanding, but if at any point someone as their unique self was in contact with, with their, their own divinity, you know, again, not projecting the divine yeah, outside yeah. in contact with their own divinity, they could become what's called antinomian. They could move against the laws, the customs, the mores of mm -hmm. the religion because they were in current yeah. fresh contact. Mm -hmm. So it creates a living word, like a living pond, like a living river, a river yes. that's not the same river and it's not the same person who goes in. So it's always changing as words themselves change. The words, like literally the meaning of words changes all the fucking time. Yeah. 
love, God. It changes all the time depending on our culture. So sometimes you even need new words, new ways to explain things and new ideas that must be able to revivify. Yeah. And that's what we get from the stagnation of trying to fix something. Life itself always evolving, but instead we fix it. And now we get where we are, where yeah. we have old structures that are crumbling. We do that because uh, we are afraid of change and losing control of what we have. Uh, evolution is about losing control of what we, we believe we have. And uh, as mammals that tries to survive all the time, we get stuck with our conception of reality because otherwise we believe that we will disappear. And some people believe that their power will disappear uh, if you evolve, if you transform yourself into something else. Well, their pseudo-power will disappear, right? No. So, like, so I would call it pseudo-power. So real power, mm-hmm. the real power is yeah. who we really are. Yeah. Like who we really are as a divine, unique self. You know, the Matias, the Aubrey, as in all of our, in all of our, all of our interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. But the pseudo power is the power of money, of title, of, of the ability to, to control people in certain ways. It's this artificial. It's like pseudo being yeah. like artificial. Uh-huh. So like the artificial power will dissolve. Yeah. But in the d- dissolution of the artificial power, you have actually finally the opportunity to access mm-hmm. real power. Yeah. So it's like giving up all of the, you know, bullshit artificial sweetener to like yeah. be like, oh, here's some real sugar. Like here's, this is the real sweetness. This is the yeah. real fruit. I'm, I'm eating the fucking pear yeah. right now rather than this, this pseudo like drug version yeah. of what it really is. And well, when you, when you don't have the, the cultural beliefs and the structure of what your parents or your, your teachers or society told you to believe, um, you can become all that. You can be your, really yourself. And instead of saying, I believe in this, you say, I am this. Or instead right. of saying, uh, I believe there is a God, uh, you say, I am God. And those are powerful words that were forbidden from our language because it makes you, a lot of people say, oh, that's egocentric or that's, um, that's, um, uh, words that you, that shouldn't be said because, uh, it's forbidden or something like this. So, um, we have been forbidden for a long time, centuries to say sacred words that makes you become magic. Mm-hmm. That, so your entire, uh, cell system is saying, don't say that or we can be killed because that is not good for you to say, I'm God. I am the water, I am the air, mm-hmm. uh, because that's, that's witchcraft. And people were killed because of it. So, um, so that's why it's easier to kind of do these kind of things with people or for people that doesn't have that weight of belief. Um, this belief system that that tells you what to do, what to believe, what not. And also there's been some people who said, I am God and I'm the only God, or I am God and I'm the only one. Yeah. Whenever you say, and I'm the only one, I guess, I think that's good for like the Tigger song, but it's not good for all of reality because the truth is like, yeah, I'm God. And so are you. It yeah. always has to be followed with, 
And so are you, and so is everybody yeah. else. And yeah. as long as you can get that, then mm-hmm. actually you get it. Yeah. But the moment you go, I am and you aren't, well, you've that's a problem. That's a fucking problem. And <laughs> we've seen problem. that problem. And, so and that's you another thing. Power. You yeah. can, you only have power under, upon the, the, con- the unconsciousness, but you don't have power Pseudo in the power. reality. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, when, when you, when you become that, um, it's, it's incredible because you can, you can feel what, what the environment is feeling. You can feel what others are feeling, what the plants are feeling, everything. And, and, um, that allows you to become the everything. And sometimes if that everything is resounding with you, with what you are doing, uh, so they manifest. So it's not that. Um, because of my will, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, someone can come and say, okay, show me that you can make rain. And I will go and try to make rain. And that's ego. I'm not because I'm trying to prove something. And who is trying to prove someone? Something to someone. And you're trying to prove it in opposition to a field of belief yeah. that is trying to disprove you. Yeah. You know, which is also one of the things that's actually happening that's in lovely. all of these experiments that, that are being done. You're asking someone to prove something mm-hmm. against the field of belief, which whose immune system is trying to repel that. Yeah. And that's what I think people can sometimes misunderstand. Well, if this could happen, it would be on we'd, like we'd all know about it. Well, you're asking something that's magical to happen in isolation of a field of belief, which mm-hmm. is, which is saying, which occasionally can happen as a miracle. Yeah. And where it looks like a miracle, but it's way more difficult yeah. to do it that way and way more rare for it to do it that way because you have to fight against the opposition of a, of a strong field of belief, which is telling reality and all the cells that this isn't possible. Yeah. Well, in, in the gathering that we had in 2018 in Argentina, I had three main gatherings that my guides used to tell me that the rain would be the key because the rain will bring the information for uh, everything that we needed to do. So like 10 months before the gathering, I told everyone bring some umbrellas because it's going to rain and, uh, or be prepared because it will rain. And it's like, how, how could you possibly know that that day at that time it will rain and say, well, that's for sure because we need the information. So, uh, this time was for, for everyone, uh, okay, bring coats and stuff because it's going to rain. And the gathering was in Egypt. And everyone this is was the one like, I was talking about earlier with Celeste. Yes. With, in Egypt, which yeah. is much, it's much more rare for it to rain in Egypt than it is in Argentina. Yeah, of course. And it's like, uh, how it's going to rain in Egypt that much as we usually need, uh, because it only rains like, Two percent of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's nothing. It's just a purring a little bit of water. And, uh, uh, so I, I said, and a lot of people brought codes and stuff. Except for Celeste. She was, Except she, for was Celeste. she was, she was like, yeah, I didn't, she, she didn't get no the idea. memo. No. <laughs> she, she signed up late. She yeah. didn't get the email. Just well, there were a lot coffee. of people that signed up late and had no idea why they were there. Like, oh yeah, pyramids. And, um, <sighs> So the first day, uh, in the morning, uh, when everyone got inside, 
suddenly the storm comes and it rains so much, like it rains for the whole year in that morning. And the storm was so strong that it even took the, the main gate and throw it away to the ground. And all, everything was like moving like in a tornado kind of thing. And, and, and it was cold. Suddenly it was freezing. Like it's Egypt. Even if it was winter, uh, it was like normal uh, temperature for the sun with heat. But suddenly it got freezing and starts to rain a lot. Like it really, uh, it was not just a normal rain. It was like too much. And, uh, and, um, and the whole gathering was, of course, without any roof because it's Egypt. Nobody thinks that it's going to rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so nothing is prepared for the rain. Except for the people who all bought raincoats if they got the memo. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it was funny to see a lot of people wearing raincoats, like saying, yeah, we knew it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Matthias gathering, so uh. it, it will rain for sure. <laughs> so so they all know that. Um, and um, and I was so happy that I was supposed to go later, but I I had to run in, in the rain. And I saw all the people like going inside and trying to find a place to cover. So I just appear running and say, no, come to the rain, like, like dance in the rain. We need this information. Mm-hmm. So suddenly all the people were under the rain and dancing and with drums and everything, uh, bringing all that. Um, and, and we started all the, the gathering with this water, with this rain. And suddenly when, when we needed to start with our, um, uh, task, our conversations, um, the, the clouds just opened and the sun was amazing and the heat came back. I heard there's a rainbow over the pyramids. Uh, yeah, there were rainbows. Yeah. So a bit far, but you could see it. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, the whole day was blessed with the four elements, uh, because it was the dust of the desert coming, the water, uh, the, the sun, uh, the wind, everything. So, uh, we were blessed by the elements and our task was about the elements. And, uh, we, I went in November uh, last year just to talk to the elements. I, I went with some, with a few friends, four of them, uh, just to talk to the elements, to explain them what we were going to do, to ask for permission, to become them. Um, so it was really powerful uh, because it was, we asked permission to the government of Egypt, we asked permission to the police, but we also went there to ask permission for the, to the elements, to the, to the earth, mm-hmm. to do the gathering. So, uh, so when I've, now I've experienced this obviously in the medicine journeys, like the animistic philosophy mm-hmm. and theology, which is what really prevalent with the ayahuascaros and the watchmaro Don Howard, who I studied with. It's this understanding because of our, because of our ability to connect through the bridge, the chakaruna, the bridge mm-hmm. of these medicines, we're able to connect. Yeah. And while it seems to me that they don't have a personality like we have. Mm-hmm. We can only understand in terms of personality and language. So 
we may be having a conversation. Cause I remember I had a, I had a conversation with fire one time on a, on a watch human journey. Mm-hmm. And I, <clears throat> I like lit a mapacho, which is like a, a yeah. tobacco cigar. And I lit it and it just, it just burst up into, burst up into flame mm-hmm. and like burned my finger. It was like really weird. It just went, and usually it lights like pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And like I got this communication from the fire, like, it said, you haven't said thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't said thank you. Like you've been burning these mapachos all day and yeah. you haven't once acknowledged me. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. You don't recognize me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. What? Like, whoa. You know, and so it was this reminder. And then I started in this communication, like speaking to the fire. Mm-hmm. And then the fire told me. So then right after that, I got this lit and then the ember fell out of the ember fell out of my mapacho and fell like right on the, on the, uh, arm of the chair and the fire was like if you pick me up and you trust me i won't burn you mm-hmm. i won't burn you i was like oh man you know <laughs> like that sounds like dense so i like i didn't believe it and i went and i grabbed it like really gingerly like a little yeah and i went and it burned me yeah and then it was like it was like trust me and I like got in with the help, obviously of Wachuma, with the help. Yeah. I was like, okay, I trust you. And I like picked it up and like held it in my hand and then just dropped it in the bucket. And it was, that was like my one, one little taste yeah. that I got of this type of magic. Yeah. But not only the communication, which is mind blowing. Yeah. And of course, anybody listening could be like, I just made that up. He's just thinking about yeah. things and whatever. But it's like a little taste, a little yeah, taste. And then, but what I know something different. I know what I felt. I know the communication. I I know it. I know the difference. And I know the difference of when I gingerly, fearfully touched it and when I went in with full belief of what what could happen. And, of course, we've all heard the stories of the fire walks and these different things that have happened. But it's it's, these things start to gradually, like, expand what our mind can hold. Yeah. Yes. And, and, um, yeah, well, th- when we were there in November 11, uh, November 11 in 2021 to ask for permission to the elements, uh, I always go first to say thank you for everything, um, to explain to them, to the elements, to the guardians of the land, um, what are we going to do that is not about to take them stuff, uh, take stuff from them but to give them uh, recognition. And so it is like a meeting with the elements to try to explain them about uh, what we are doing and to make them part of it. Not like just, oh, we are humans, we come here, we do whatever we want. It takes what it wants. Yeah. Honey badger mentality. And um, so we went there and they were really mad, really, really, really mad on us. Like... Um, they they took me and I was like gone for one day and a half and uh I really was wasn't there. I was like underground and I felt the anguish of the water in the territory and and she was crying, crying like uh, I was like challenging it and I was crying and lost and and suddenly she was I say she but whatever. Um uh, she was really um, stressed, like a threat of us coming to take the water away. Uh, 
like everyone else did. And I said, why? And said, because all this was on me. All this was water and it was trapped. And I said, how is trapped? And they said, the press, the, the, the dam in Aswan. Mm. Mm. The water is not flowing here. It's it, it's not the clean water. Well, how are you going to get a golf course, Matthias? Oh, what? How are you going to get a golf course if you don't what dam you the water? <laughs> you need golf courses. Yeah, in in Cairo, it, it, it's well, necessary. You need the gathering in a golf course. I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, if you don't dam the water, you can't have a golf course. So water, suck it up. Yeah, it's you for need. golf. <laughs> it's, it's for garden. It's only one one. Place we got that straight. There. All right. <laughs> So yeah, we we had to do it in a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> so so she was really really mad, and and I was feeling how she was trying to release that tension, and and that night there was a storm in Aswan that um that took like water from the from the from the dam and started to create like a twist. In, around the city that, that same night that that was happening and, um, and, and took, um, scorpions from the desert and they were flying around and, and hitting the people. Like it, they call it a scorpion rain that happened that day. And it was like, it's like a sharknado. Yes. <laughs> it, it was crazy. People were trying to hide from the, from the from the scorpions that were on the streets because of the of the weird rain that came that yeah. day November 11th last year and um and I felt the the madness of the elements trying to to speak to say right. here we need to release this tension here and uh, uh so we agreed to to bring love to and and we invite them we invited them to be part of the gathering. So when the gathering started, the four of them came and and we all felt it. Like mm-hmm. whoa. <laughs> like, it was so powerful. So and that's why I said to everyone, go and hug them and feel them because you should not be afraid of them. They are here to to mm-hmm. be a part of the gathering to bring us the data that we don't have. Mm-hmm. And uh and we have to become them because we had the water group, the air group, and we we should not be just people. We should become the elements that we were working with. So they came the first day, like entering the same gate that people were entering, and and it was magical. It was something that they they all experienced like magic because there were rainbows and rain in in, in Giza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that. That's not normal. Of course, that there are rainy days in Egypt, uh, but exactly in that moment, in the opening of that gathering, um, where we were calling the elements, uh, that makes you uh, be connected with it. Like, yeah, yeah. And of course, um, I was trying to say before in 2018 we did the second of these three main gatherings in Argentina, and also I was expecting for rain. Um, but again, bringing back the story of my dad, my dad came to the gathering because we asked him, we asked him to help us with some stuff. So he went there, not believing in anything, and and 
when the storm came and he saw how many of us were pulling the clouds, like coming back or coming to us or calling for the portal to be open. And the gathering was 11-11 and, and 11 birds came and made the turn around everyone to open each one of the meditations. He started to, to ask me, did you, did you release these birds? before every meditation and it was like no they are coming from the mountains I was like why <laughs> so because it's the portal so they are saying now it's the moment to do it they are showing us the portal so because they were 11 so they came 11 then in the second meditation 11 again in the last meditation 11 again doing circles around all the people and then they left so we could start and 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 then the the weather and the storm and everything that happened it was like uh <laughs> he he was like i don't believe in any of this but that was really weird mm-hmm. and uh, he said we went to the hotel and and um, and we said um uh, and they said uh, the 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 gal in the hotel said have you bought the coats already and he said Coats. If it's a sunny day, my dad was saying. If it's a sunny day and there, there's no rain, the in the I'm saying the schedule. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it. forecast. Forecast. Yeah. Um, there's no rain in the forecast. Uh, no, but Matthias is here. It was like everyone in the, the town knew. Mm-hmm. So they were saying, but Matthias is here for sure. Will rain. I was like, so that night when it rained, they they were to the hotel and the route and the the road was like all a river. Like flooded. <laughs> yeah. flooded, and they couldn't reach the hotel, and and they went all wet, like all the pouring water uh, inside the hotel, and and she said, "I told you, <laughs> I told you it would happen." So um, he he ended up telling me and telling all his friends that didn't believe in this everything that happened because he witnessed that something, even if he that couldn't understand it. Something was happening, and he was witness of that. Yeah. Um, he didn't say it was a miracle or something like this, but he couldn't experience. He could experience how all these people um, were there, like, like saying, "Oh, this is a miracle." Everyone was like, "This is normal. This is how it is supposed to be." So it's not that. Oh, look what happened. No, everyone was connected to the storm. Everyone yeah. was. Acknowledging that we needed that, everyone was acknowledged, uh, acknowledging that the birds were the opening. So it was not that, oh, Matthias did it. It was that it was our reality. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's really powerful because usually um, we tend to believe that, oh, is that person that has like the magic or is that person that is special? But it's not. It's just that uh, that person maybe is living a reality that you can also live in. And when you are when you are there, and it's your own reality too. So yeah. it's not that that person is special. It's that was just connecting with something that you were not there yet. And it is possible that, and, and likely that there were people that were actually outliers special like had more access because you told a story of when you were in i think it was scotland 
Yeah. And you went to a sacred site in Scotland mm-hmm. and you channeled a Druid's temple. A Druid's temple. Why don't you tell that story to contrast? That was again. even weird for me. That was that was weird for you. Because, weird. Because that because <laughs> that one that one wasn't even that one wasn't you. So you because of your guidance and because of your background, you yes. have some ability to form that sympathetic resonance with the elements. Mm-hmm. But in that case, there was something even 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 stronger in, in a way. Yes, because I usually connect with the water. Uh, that's my element. Let's say it's like if. Each one of us is connected much more with one element than others uh, by resonance. So my entire soul is connected to the history of water. Um, but this time it wasn't me. Uh, we, we were we were doing um, a path through the British Islands, and we started in in the south of England in Cornwalls, and we ended in. Um, in the north of Scotland, in Orkney Islands. Uh, so we went through the chakras of, of uh, the island um, in every stone circle with 50 people. And um, very weird things happened. Uh, I would like to say the, the first one uh, that happened the third day. Um, it was 14 days changing uh, every day from different place. So it was crazy. Uh, and the third day we were in Stonehenge. And uh, our trip has this symbol, which was like a triskel. I don't know if you, on the term in English, I don't know if it's triskel too. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, three symbols that are the same and connected. Okay. Okay. So so this... Um, uh, this was the symbol, like a spiral, spiral, a spiral, mm-hmm. connected like three. Um, and that was a symbol that we took for, for the trip and, and, um, and we were connecting with it in, uh, Stonehenge. And, uh, and when we finished that connection, doing like opening a portal there, uh, when we finished that connection, uh, someone sends us a message saying a crop circle appeared just aside where you are. So we took the bus and went there five minutes on the road, five minutes there. And we went to the crop cycle that appeared just five minutes or half an hour before or after we were doing the connection. Uh, and the crop circle was our logo. Like, it appeared exactly what what we were working with, mm. and and we call the the owner of the field to save to can, can we go inside to see the the, the curve circle? And they said, uh, do we have one? Like uh, like we had one last last week. And said, no no, something appeared today, uh, half an hour ago. And said, oh, we had no idea. Yes, you can come. So we went inside the, the fields and and it was there and we were able to sit and meditate there and the people were saying like what are the possibilities of this happening like mm-hmm. like we manifested this we uh and it was like a communication with the underground and the beings that usually send that and information and we were working with them so we were becoming them shaping the same structure so they shared the same information with us 
So it was amazing to see that appear. Yeah, it's a, com- a communication. Yes, uh, just half an hour after we were who doing it, Who is it that discovered that the crop circle exists? Oh, because there are some people that that are constantly checking the forecast of crop cycle uh-huh. that they start to appear like through like early Google June. Maps and yeah, yeah. Uh, so there are a lot of people checking all the time if they appear or not with drones and mm-hmm. so on. So. Um, so yeah, it was, it was amazing that one. And then three days after that, or two days after that, we went to Ilton. It's a small village, uh, close by, um, um, Sheffield. And, um, and there's a place called, uh, Druid's Temple, which is free. You can go walk around in the forest. And, uh, it's an amazing place. It's not very ancient, actually. It's, it has been remade in the 17th or 18th century by someone that wanted to connect with the Druids uh, again. So um, they took the stones and created the temple again, or in a new way. Uh, but we said we will use it to do a ceremony. So we went there, and a few years ago, I felt someone from the British Islands, uh, a spirit, that introduced himself like uh, the alchemist. And um, everyone started to say, oh, he's Merlin, Merlin, magician, Merlin. And I, he never said Merlin. He always says the alchemist. So I have no idea. But later, later, I, I understood that Merlin is not a name. It's like saying the Pope. Mm. So it's a French word to describe the high uh, masters of magic, which is Merlin. Is a bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so that makes more sense than thinking is the one of the story. Yeah. 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 So, um, this alchemist came many times since 2012 to say, I am guiding you. And he always speaks in British, like very British. And, um, and I was not expecting him at all, but that day in the temple, I was expecting the people to do the ceremony, uh, with, uh, which allows us to go farther in our path. And, and I was preparing everything like candles and, and a bowl with, with different kinds of, um, incense. And, and someone gave you a cloak, right? Yeah. Someone gave me a, a cloak, um, as a gift a few days before. So it was fun. And I say, I will, I will use it. So, um, I was using that one. And uh, I I put everything there, but I didn't have the the chance to really prepare everything, not because I didn't have the the lighters or matches to 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 light everything up. So um so I was I, I was there, and the fifty people came, but also who came with them was the driver of the bus uh, that he had no place to go, and the people said. Would you come with us? And yeah, sure. So he went there, not knowing anything about what we were doing. And he was there with the people and he just saw me, um, me actually. He had no idea what I was, but I had the cloak covering everything. And suddenly I, I stopped being myself. I became, uh, him that, um, uh, that, um, droid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he put all the people in a circle and 
he was staring at each one but not looking at them physically and and he took the ball to to start the cleaning of the people and there was herbs and things in the bowl yeah all the herbs and stuff but he was like this and of course he wouldn't ask for a match like some someone a lighter like yeah. you know so it wasn't me so i couldn't speak yeah uh, so i was it would be hella disappointing if merlin asked for a lighter oh yeah for sure <laughs> very merlin <laughs> come don't on. be lazy <laughs> come on so but nobody understood who i was because i was just in silence uh but suddenly i i i hold this like this and and stare at, at the herbs and just said and light and when i said that word the fire came from nowhere like like did like this and the whole smoke everywhere and the fire had like colors like it was not just the fire it was like burning with violet and and blue green like something like this and like if nothing happened he normally start to do the cleaning of of the of the people he wasn't surprised he wasn't surprised because it was natural that that was like oh and light like and uh, inside i was like what <laughs> what just happened it was like i'm not controlling this i have no idea that i could do this <laughs> and 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 he was like Shh, like Everything's okay. Like, we don't. We didn't have the match. <laughs> so so. Uh, and the the other day, uh, the bus driver, everyone was asking like, how do you did? How do you do the trick? I was like, what trick? It was like I didn't have anything. It was like the fire come came alone, and I was like, no way. We witnessed this like magic, like real magic. I said, I I guess, <laughs> I guess, but it was not under my control. It was. Because the being that was inside of me, he actually knew that he was the fire, and mm-hmm. I don't usually connect like that with the fire. So, could you could you through through the being that was that was with you? Because it's always with. It's not like you were there, obviously, in communication. So it's you and the being like superimposed over each other. Yeah, like did, becoming one. Yeah. Did you actually? Could you feel the, yourself as the fire? As that, yes. as that being, yes. What was, what did that feel like? It, it was like if you are burning, but it doesn't burn, and and you just. What I feel is like if the light comes from the very inner core of the atoms, like if like if each one of your atoms starts to ignite, but it doesn't burn, and you feel like you're shining, but that's it. And and suddenly it just became fire. Mm. So it was it was amazing. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do that again. Well, <laughs> I, it hope. Wasn't, wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Uh, but um, yeah. So so all these kind of things happen. In- so these have happened in in your life, in this life. Yeah. And. Thank you for sharing these stories and thank you for, you know, offering people the invitation to have these new invaders into their belief <laughs> system and, and watch their immune yes. system grapple with this reality and, and see how much it goes in. Yeah. And I, I don't care if people believe me or not. <laughs> yeah. That's why I tell the story. <laughs> because I'm not trying to convince anyone. It was, a, it was a great story. If you don't like it, you miss it. <laughs> 
sure, for sure. I want to go back. I want to go back to your life in Ken. Yeah. Where there was a different belief system, different stories that、mm-hmm. you had. So, how many thousands of years ago was that? Twelve thousand. Twelve thousand years ago. So, when before we go back there and tell those stories, and we did this on another podcast we did, just to help people get into that field of resonance with that time, I was hoping that you could sing another one of your songs that、another. you remembered、oh, yeah. from your life in camp. And so we'll just. You know, close your eyes. Obviously, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. It's a bad idea.、Uh, but take in, take in this song in Atlantean. Which, by the way, everybody, he takes notes on his fucking with his stylus in Atlantean sometimes when he wants when he wants to just scribble some things down. It's pretty remarkable. But nonetheless, why don't why don't you sing when I, when I when I start to to teach the language to others? I won't be able to do that anymore.、Uh, yeah, because someone will be able to translate、yes. it. You won't,、yeah. have, you won't have a secret. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I won't have any secret anymore. Stop spying, Atlantean. <laughs> This is mine.、Yes. All right. So bring us into bring us into the time of Cam and the language of Atlantis with a little song, if you would. Any any okay, song? Okay, I can.、Uh, there's a, a there's a song for the elements that.、Um, Uh, a friend of mine,、uh, she channeled、uh, for our path that that was also seen in that time. So because we were together in that time,、mm. so she channeled that in Spanish, but we had it in that language too. Oh, it's about the elements. So you're gonna sing the Atlantean? Yeah.、Version. Okay,、mm-hmm. great. Sure. <coughs>
says, uh, water is my soul, the earth, my body is little by earth, the air speaks my voice, and light and set free my fire. That's the meaning of the song. Beautiful song. Talking about the elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now that we're back, we've, for those of us who are open, we're back to an, to another time mm-hmm. and another reality. So tell us tell us some stories about what we would consider magic now, what was a part of that reality, potentially how the big stones were moved by people matching the vibration of the stones and singing, singing their vibration up to make them lighter, solving one of these riddles of how they moved these big blocks or any, any, any stories that come to mind that of, of this time that you remember back in camp 10, 12,000 years ago. Well, we, we were told since we were, uh, being born, um, the stories of how we are drops of water from the universe. Mm-hmm. So from the very beginning, we, we were connected to the nature, uh, making us become aware that we are everything that is around us. And, um, they used to tell the stories that, that the universe dropped uh, tears of joy during the creation and that drops created an ocean of mind and and these uh water drops sometimes freeze and creates matter and that matter is us being born into this reality and inside ignites the fire that uh that with the water and and the fire expands the voice which is the air <clears throat> so they say that we have the water inside in the shape of matter, of, of a stone, uh, with the light of the fire inside that pushes the, the voice of the air and, uh, which is the truth. So we are drops of the mind, uh, made into matter. So because of this, uh, because of this story, we all, um, we all grew up knowing that we are nature, that we are everything, and that you can talk to the mountains and everything. So um, they they told us a story that the universe dropped these first nine drops of uh, tears that we call the vowels. And each one of the tears vibrated in one way, which uh, 
altogether sounded like and that's why we call it the om mm. but it's like uh actually where ah and all these sounds were the first drops to the mind and they divided into the water the the earth the fire and the air and these four had each one of them a purpose in the universe which was first expression we have to express it was the water We have to experiment the earth. We have to integrate the fire and transcend the air. So each one of these processes for each one of these drops had four drops more that took matter. And we call them the consonants. And we're 36. So nine times um, four. <coughs> four, 36. So they call the 36 patterns and sounds that could shape the reality. So we were told about how by singing, by the words, um, the transcendence of ourselves, we could manifest new realities and create from the ocean of mind. And that allows us to talk to the plants and know which medicine was the right one. That allows us to talk to the snakes to tell us how to heal that allows us to talk to the rocks and move them. And we knew that we were the snake, the rock, the tree. So we were just communicating with another part of ourselves that is another drop in the ocean of the mind. And um, this way of, of thinking things uh, made a context, a very natural context in which we were able to build the geometry, the reality that we were seeing. That's why the pyramids are not to rise you up to the skies. The pyramids are actually octahedrons, that, which is the very tiniest reality that you see when you go deep into the divine. So in order to, for the world to become a portal of the divine, we needed to sing to create with the matter that we have, the octahedrons to connect with divine. So all our culture was about to communicate with the world. And we call them the Arsayan. I named my foundation because of that. Arsayan means those who talk to the world. And we were taught to how to communicate with the everything, with the world. And it was part of our process of learning. We had three main schools. Um, not all of them, not all of us would go through the three, mainly the first one. The first school was Emenian. The Emenian were the ones that taught you about the letters, about this, this story that I just said, mm-hmm. uh, how the unity spread into all these realities and to understand them and how we are part of it. Then the Arsayan would teach you how to communicate with each one of those parts. And then the Idilian were the last ones where you become them, when you become and you are able to handle the weather, the storms, to move the rocks um, and and to build something like a pyramid, for example. Mm-hmm. 
So um, these three main schools, um, I, I, I went through through the three of them, and um, you were a woman. I was a woman yeah. related to the school of water. That's why all my my connection is with the element of water. And um, so I went to that school, but I was obligated to go to that school, not because of choice, uh, because I wanted to, but because I had the the resonance with the element. So the priests and priestesses would choose between the children who was able to go to each one of the schools. And you would spend a long time doing the preparations for that. So it was a tough path that we had to do along the Nile to prepare ourselves to leave behind what we believe we are. So we had to break through each one of our layers of the ego until we become the element. And that was what we today remember as the gods and the goddesses of the ancient time. They were just people that represented a concept or an element of the universe. So we had to become that, and we were called divines or gods or something like this, but everyone knew that we were people. But we were inspiration for others to become that. Um, So representatives of the divine on earth, we were not treated like gods. We were treated like guides. Uh, so we, we, we were forbid to be taken as gods because mm-hmm. otherwise you didn't understood. You didn't understand what was all this about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were just there as a, as a living presence to, encode an information that others needed as a guidance to become something different. And um, that's why we were forced in such a way to be married to one another, no one else from outside. So we had to get... So water people had to marry water? No, uh, water had to be with the earth, fire with the air, and you cannot mix it. Mm. So you were kind of forced... To do it, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> so you have to deal with it. <laughs> um, and um, so, for example, the ones on Earth were the ones taught how to move the stones. The ones in water were taught how to break them, for example. But um, so, how to pour the water, how to make it vibrate, um, but. We were not the ones levitating. Rocks. So that's so that's how you actually created the clean breaks in the stones. Because there's yeah. a lot of debate about how did they chisel it so yeah. precisely. Mm-hmm. And really, what you're saying is that the water, water and sound, the water priests and the sound, using the sound of the water, changing the vibration of the water, mm-hmm. and maybe with the help of the earth priests and priestesses. Yes. Yeah. We were all working together. Working together could actually cleave the stones. Yes. And then the earth, the earth. Priests and priestesses could then sing the stones lighter and then have them guided in place. Yeah. For, for us today, when we look backwards, it's like a movie, <laughs> but, um, uh, you should not go so far and you can go to the, to the tribes in the Amazon to see how 
people are called, oh, you are the Jawar, you are the, you know, mm-hmm. the elements of the master of this, the, you are the, the eagle or the white eagle. You have these names in the, uh, in the American traditions. You still have this thing of becoming an element, becoming a, an animal. Uh, yeah, I mean. To awaken the, this potential. So you, you can do that. Uh, but when the whole civilization allows you to do it, it's so powerful that can move mountains. Mm. Actually, you can create an earthquake. You can create um, a storm. You can pour the fields. Um, uh, so that's why that civilization was so balanced with nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually when people think about Atlantean civilization, think about technology, uh, but actually for us, we were taught since we were very child, very young that we are the technology, that our bodies are the real technology. And everything that we do around is just to improve the signal of our technology. Mm-hmm. And we don't need anything from the outside. That's why when you go to the, um, to the archaeologist, uh, you can find these huge stones and creations, but you can't find anything else. Yeah. Cause you were still riding around on mules. Yeah. We, we were living in the forest. We were living in the nature. Uh, we had houses. We had things, but we, they were made with such a natural things that they disappear. Mm-hmm. So um, we didn't need much. So it was, it is not like we expect for a civilization to be today that needed a lot of things in order to say we have technology. We were the technology. Mm-hmm. Our bodies were the, the technology. So we were able to communicate by singing, by thinking, by feeling, uh, uh, hugging a tree, we could send a message to other village. Um, we were able to become nature, <clears throat> to become everything. Mm. And um, that's why also they use animal paintings or stuff like this. And that's why some people believe that uh, the priests or priestesses used to have heads of birds or, but actually we were representing the 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 nature what was really there mm-hmm. do you think that it, it seems to me in my own <clears throat> limited field because I live in a field of belief where we've witnessed miracles enough times mm-hmm. that it's no longer doesn't feel like a miracle anymore yeah feels like uh-huh like of course uh-huh yeah and and I've been in that and, and the and the psychedelics again have been my bridge to be able to get to this yeah get to this belief but we have this field we have this field of belief in our in our community mm-hmm. you know that's come together and so these things happen that are that are seem to be unlocking people's latent powers you know and and of course by Lana being one of the first that I saw and watched her channel energies and languages mm-hmm. and be able to do things that were beyond comprehension yeah and you know Many, many, many people, you know, Soraya, who's 
sitting right here next to us recently this week, watched that come online and, and her hand moving in, in geom- geometrical ways mm-hmm. and then able to do healings. And like things are happening now in this field, I think potentially because of the belief of the field mm-hmm. and also the technologies and ceremonies that we've created to kind of bring that forward. Do you see that there's this alternate parallel structure of a reality that's starting to starting to find its way back a remembering of the old ways that might be able to start permeating through and maybe make a little bit of progress in our generation but then the next generation that comes up when we start telling our children yeah these same stories that we know are possible of like what is capable like things can start to shift where we could enter a world where we have all of the technology as we know it but then start to remember our innate human technology. Mm-hmm. And that's probably never occurred on earth before yeah. where we had access to both spiritual and mechanistic technology. Yeah. Uh, of course we are, we are opening the memory for that and uh, to be able to become many things. I, I can see for example now society has this really struggle to know what is a man what is a woman for example uh and um like uh you can be a woman if you want you can be a man if you want and um this uh this talk that everyone is listening right now is just the tip of something that is open the possibility that you can be anything. And um, uh, the thing is that we are doing it from the unconscious, so we don't know exactly what we are trying to do. So, so it's, it's messy. It's messy. Um, we are mistaking the concept of what it is to be whatever you want to be, that you can be anything with, um, with um, what we have already decided to be. Decided to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that, that even though as what we were talking before, I guess, uh, about the, um, well, about other, uh, how, um, things can be taken. I don't know the word. I forgot the, the, the thing we were talking about. Literally. Um, ah. Like things can be taken literally. Like we have right now on our phones an emoji that is a pregnant man. Yeah. And like that really actually that in some ways represents a beautiful idea that even in the masculine there is a womb of creation. Yeah. But like ultimately we're getting it confused with. Yes. And a man is not going to have a baby. Right. Like, so, so that's where it gets messy. It's like, we're not understanding that this is actually a spiritual understanding. Yes. That we're able to access these forces of gender and and sex within ourselves. And Mm -hmm. there is a masculine womb. There is a feminine phallus. There's a woman's phallus. Like there's a man's, you know, there's all of these things energetically that are accessible, but it doesn't change the biology of what we've chosen. Uh huh. To have his matter. Yes. So you can embody the feminine. You can embody the masculine. Uh, it, it has happened all the history. In the Atlantan times, we had transsexuals too. We have, uh, because there was no 
this imitation of feminine and masculine because we were everything. So we also have that. Um, we also have uh, have this ability to to be whatever we wanted to to be. But today, because we don't have the awareness of what it is to be everything, we think that we have to be accepted by others in order to be what we are. Mm. And and we have to be accepted by law. We have to be these kind of things. And that brings chaotic concepts because it's all about outside and not within. Um, it's all about being accepted, which is something that is from the unconscious, not the conscious. Uh, so um, I've heard some, some people saying, well, today it seems like if you want to be a giraffe, you can say, well, I'm a giraffe, treat me like a giraffe. And I would say, well, in the ancient point of view, yes. If you want to be a giraffe, teach us how it is to be one. Uh, you know, um, how does it feel? Um, but today is like a judgment of acceptance or not. Right. And um, so it's all a cultural way of, of seeing things. But what is actually happening is that our the children right now are being born in a world that the discussion is what do you want to be? And that's the most amazing thing. Mm. Because uh, what do you perceive yourself as? Uh, like uh, a woman? Like a, But the problem is, like a woman, like a man? No, what do you feel you are? Mm-hmm. So that's and, the most and not worried, not worrying about what other people call you or exactly. whatever, because people are going to call you all kinds of things. People whatever call you, you an are. asshole. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're an asshole. Yeah. So, um, or you are, but you know, whatever you identify. In a good way. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so I guess that the very important point here is that, uh, that kids are being born in a context that that are not being told anymore or they are not going to be told anymore uh, you are this but they have the chance to become what they feel they are and this is just a tiny little beginning of an uh, an unconscious society um, bringing back the idea that you are free okay uh, then we have all the discussions that I'm not going to go sure. into that. Uh, but what is really important is that word, is what do you perceive as? What do you want to be? And we've been thousands of years without anyone asking us this. Mm. And that's what is changing the children being born now. Mm-hmm. Because... They listen the word. What do you want to be? How do you perceive yourself? And maybe, and this is, the goal is not to say a woman or a man. The goal is to say, wow, what am I? <laughs> and that's the, the thing that they have right now. The kids have right now this environment asking them what they want to be. And that's amazing. Then we have all the conflicts of our society, our preconceptions of stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Christian things, uh, people that put ideas upon biology, 
which is not good too. Um, uh, so a lot of mistaken concepts, but the one that I want to really take care of is that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that opens a new line of reality where the kids, the children in the future will be able to decide what they want to be. And if we keep that, and if we keep that in as they are children, teenagers, and, and adults, uh, we can start to become anything. Mm. And we are connecting again with that ancient memory of uh, the same molecules that are in me are also in the sun. So if I want to shine, I can shine too. I have helium. Mm. I can do it. Uh, I want mm. to be water. I have hydrogen. I have oxygen. I can do it. So if you go to the very basis, you have all you need. Do you want to be a mountain? You have silicon inside. Mm-hmm. You can do it. You can feel a mountain because you have it. So <clears throat> when you go deep into the very basis of reality, that would bear the the things that I touch that seems not to be alive. They are made with the same molecules, the same atoms that I am made of. So you can become anything. It's beautiful to see somebody from your perspective because you're you're coming from a perspective of okay, this is happening and it's beautiful and it's messy as it always does when something is birthed. There's yeah. a messy <laughs> aspect of it. There's the screams and the blood and the it's a messy, beautiful process. But ultimately, that that infant is beautiful. That mm-hmm. thing that's being born is being will grow up. Yeah, and that idea will grow up into something beautiful. Mm-hmm. It will take time. It will take time (laughs) and we'll have to, we'll have to have the patience. Mm -hmm. And it just gives this whole permission to just be in a greater level of acceptance Mm -hmm. for these things that are happening now that are like, all right, like this is a little weird in this stage. Like there was recently a Supreme Court justice who was asked by another senator, if she's a woman, if she could define what a woman is. Mm -hmm. And she said, nope, I can't. You know, and everybody's saying like, well, that's crazy. And in some ways it is because she's not, she doesn't actually understand what the question really is. Yeah. And like, there's an obvious answer to that question. And then there's another spiritual answer to that question, but she doesn't have that awareness. So she's just kind of like, ah, I don't know. And we're like, what? We want her to be a judge. Yeah. You know, like we don't have, like, this doesn't seem right, but it's just actually like the messy stage of something beautiful that's evolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole process. You, if you have a one year old and say, you now become a doctor, it's like, <laughs> you know, why you are not a doctor? Yeah. Because it's only one year old. Maybe he doesn't even want to be a doctor or whatever. So, um, there's a process of learning stuff until you reach what you are trying to become. And even when you become that, you might doubt about of it and change it like we all do in our lives. Mm. So we cannot um, think that what is happening now is the terrible thing. It's actually the beginning of something that uh, 
will bring us to something amazing. Uh, for example, now that you say define what is a woman, uh, actually a woman is the wife of a man. That's the right definition because a woman comes from the ancient words with man, which is the one that is that belongs to a man. And it's it's horrible. <laughs> the word woman is horrible mm. uh, when you think about it. Um, actually, we all are man because man think, means the thinker in the native language of Europe. Mm. So the woman that is beside the thinker, no, the thinker. <laughs> so man is a thinker. So we are all mankind, the ones that think. And that's the very origin of, of, of the, of the word. And, um, or also the thinker that has a womb, womb man, mm. uh, is, is, is just that. Um, but we are all the thinkers, the dreamers. And, um, with, there is like the explanation of polarity. Okay. What is polarity? Polarity is just one thing. It's only one being that can be perceived in two different options. So biology decided to divide it into different options, and we decide who we call that option. But actually, we are all one, mm. the thinker. Yeah, all one, and then also radically unique. You know, and, and I've often thought that, you know, I don't know, we have 72 pronouns to describe our gender. Yeah, you know, like 72, but actually 72 is completely insufficient. There needs to be 8 billion. Yeah. There actually should be 8 billion because everybody is a unique gender because everybody is a unique self, which is a unique combination yeah. of all of these different energies. Mm-hmm. So we're actually the, some of the, some of the challenges we're stopping too short, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, fully, like yep. fully, you're a unique gender. So let's, you know, th- an invitation that I've thought of is like, sure. And this is fine. And if you want to, if you want to go with that and these 72 are sufficient and one suits you, great. Like, yeah, that's, that's great. But actually, you know, in your name, in your sacred name, you know, which is named just a representing your unique self is contained your unique gender yeah, and who you uniquely are. And so when we get back to trust our, I am, as this unique being of a unique gender, of a unique quality, of a unique mix of all of the different elements, of all of the different guides, of all of all of who we are, and just say, no, I am, and this is my name, mm-hmm. you know, then it actually says the truth, yep. which is that it is we are, we are one of one and one. Yeah. Well, what we are doing, what we are doing in our society today is kind of what the universe did with the reality. We take one only being, and we start to create many options of it to create diversity. And today is what society is talking about, diversity. Um, so, for example, in the past, we uh, in the Atlantean times, we had only one um, pronoun to talk about anything, which was nu. So I'm talking about her, and it's nu. I'm talking about him, it's nu. It's uh, only one thing, simple. It's just a concept, no. Mm-hmm. And if I am trying to define how we are all one, is amnu, and that's it. So amnu, <laughs> I am the other you. 
So that's it. And um, so no conflict about it because when you start to divide the the differences of um, of uh, of each one, you will never end. It's millions, as you said. You have a million options of who you can become. Billions. Billions. So, so that's diversity, and it, and that's perfect. What is the problem? That when diversity becomes duality. So now you find this. Before it was easy, for example, the community was called all gay, gay people, because they are, they were funny. So that's what gay means, um, to be funny. So they were funny, happy, and that's it. They are happy because they are free. That's it. Easy. But now you have L, G, I don't know the letters, sorry. And, mm-hmm. I, and I am one of them. So, <laughs> so, um, but I don't know the letters. There are too many. So, um, what happens that, that the G is fighting with the L and the L is fighting with the Q and, and, and you know, it creates so much separation right. that not even ourselves are agreeing with the others. So you've taken something that was originally a spark of freedom. Yes. And made it a, a, Into separation a container. To, no, because I am this and you are different from me. Yeah. Like, what? The whole point was we are all equals and you are dividing us every day more. Yeah. You know, so I guess that what we are doing is something really good because it's acknowledging the individuality of each one of us. So it will eventually go to the very self. So it's like we're dividing groups, then the groups into tinier groups until we figure out like, oh, yes, I'm unique. And yeah. I'm not part of anything. I'm just unique. I think one of the, one of the pressures that's happened is because of discrimination. Yeah. Because of discrimination, then it's almost created this necessity to identify even even with race. Like the truth of race is that we're all intermixed. To That's some the origin of every culture and any religion. Yeah. It was fear from others. Right. Right. And fear, oppression, violence, and which is all very yeah. real. And but and, it makes you one more. Yeah. It makes you another religion and another culture that also will fight. So. Yeah, it is a good purpose to survive, but you become now the hunter. And it's something that we all did by nature uh, from the very beginning. You need a group to survive. We are mammals, for sure. We need You need your herd to be protected. And that's good if you're willing is to survive in this planet. If you're willing to become a conscious being, a part of this world. So uh, cultures, religions, and groups are just taking you away from the real purpose, which is being one. Mm. Um, so that's why I, in evolution, I agree with the division because, of course, it's part of the system and I am part of it, of course. So I, I like it because otherwise we'd, we wouldn't have this all these chances of creation. Uh, the thing is that when we start to become aware or or try to say we are trying to come back to the one, the last thing we have to do is to put a name on a group. Yeah. Um, or to try to 
separate ourselves from others. Yeah. In in a way it feels like we're healing a lot of we're healing a lot of trauma mm-hmm. right now. We're healing a lot of trauma by like really acknowledging groups that have been oppressed. Yeah. And like making reparations as best we can internally and externally and there was a lot of debates on how this can be done but it seems to me that this is an intermediary step and and potentially a very necessary step very necessary step to acknowledge the suppression Mm -hmm. which is obviously an atrocity a fucking atrocity like there's nothing more ugly in this world than and then an ism a sexism a racism a, a homophobia or all of these different discriminational patterns that we've experienced yeah. or against witches or whatever whatever we want to do like to to celebrate to celebrate the groups and bring them back to par to heal yeah. all of these kind of latent latent entrainments that we have heal all those but ultimately the place we're getting to is is the recognition of radical uniqueness mm-hmm. and because it feels really weird to me when i go i have to fill out some paperwork and it says race and i get all of these lists and then it comes to white i'm like i guess yeah <laughs> you know like yes, i mean you're looking at right now, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty fucking red yeah and, you know like i don't know like <laughs> what, what like what is it what is this how are you gonna how are you gonna reduce me to a color but like, this is this is i i was amazed by that here in the states because i i've never seen this in any other country like you are in this country there is all about uh unity but when you go to ask for something you have to say your race it's like aren't we all equal so it was really weird and I think it's again, it's it's the it's the it's the systemic racism, yeah, that's caused this like need for the acknowledgement and like, whoa, because we fucked it up so bad, yes, that we have to we have to get back to this, and now we're in this, you know, we're transitioning, you know, hopefully our prayers transitioning to a world where we can recognize the radical uniqueness of our gender, our race, of all of these different things, and not have to fill out these little boxes which reinforce these ideas of separation, yeah. which keep us farther from each other. I mean, even with nationalities, you know, like all of these things, um, what, where, what's, what country are you from? Where are you from? I don't, I don't, okay, I was born in Santa Monica. Does that mean I'm a Santa Monican? <laughs> like, no, I don't, I don't, yeah. it doesn't feel like that to me, but whatever you want to say, you know, it, it's a very strange way that we divide. We, we continue to divide ourselves, yeah. and and it feels like that future, that more beautiful world, heals, heals, does whatever we need to do in the intermediate to heal, to acknowledge, to, yeah. and then ultimately rest on our radical uniqueness, our radical I am, mm-hmm. I am self. Yeah, it's a process of understanding. It's like a, like a kid playing with toys, and uh, first. The kid needs to break all the structure of the game in order to understand each part of it until it recognizes the uniqueness of each one of those parts and put it together until it see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole process uh, of educational um, uh, awareness uh, that for a child takes five, seven years, for a civilization takes 70 years. Mm. So we are in that moment uh, starting one of those processes of transition to understand the different parts and to become aware of the different parts because we already have broken all of them right. Right. <laughs> in the last in the last centuries. So um, uh, because of 
because of this, we are now trying to uh, pay attention to each one of the parts that we have broken and take care of them to understand how they fit together. And eventually in 70 years, we might have a result of a civilization that acknowledge uh, the uniqueness of every one individual and being all as one. Mm. And I guess that we are going so fast that we will reach that point very shortly, shortly. But, um, but we need to embrace the process of going through it. Um, and as I said, not through morality, but through consciousness. Mm. So we could accept anything that is going on, like, um, uh, as a part of this process that takes us to the understanding of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, and it will be always like this because the universe is about knowing yourself. So eventually in 100 years, we will figure out another thing to screw it up <laughs> <laughs> and to find and, a different and, and way, to way to get fun. Another way to heal it. Yeah. As we're wrapping up here, I have to ask, is there going to be some kind of extraterrestrial intervention of any sort that you think is possible, likely, certain? Because, of course, now we're at a time where actually the collective beliefs, the collective belief field mm-hmm. is pretty much in belief that there are extraterrestrial beings. Yeah. Some, some that have taken physical 3D form, some that do not. And I don't want to get into your whole discussion of the confederation <laughs> and all this. That's, yeah. that's been talked about that a lot. Guy loves asking you those questions. So I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you get a lot, a lot there on Guy if you want to go there. But but what do you think as we're thinking about I just can't help but you know think about this transition that we're making. Do you think there's going to come a point where there's some kind of intervention that plays a role in our in the merger of these timelines between our our spiritual technology and our our current material technology and and, and the way that our culture is moving is there going to be an intervention of any sort do you think that's possible? Mm. Well, it's like the same thing of asking in the 16th century or the 15th century, uh, there was a, a lot of people that believed that God, God would come from a cloud and save everyone. And it didn't happen, even if all of them believed it. And there's a, a reason why, and it is because uh, our frequencies doesn't match it's frequency and it's not about how much do we believe in them. It's about how as a planet we are really prepared to be in touch with beings that are not in the same frequency as we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course they are close by. They have been doing interventions for thousands of years. They are here. They, they are all the time here. If the question is why they don't show up like, in the streets of New York and, and say hi, uh, it's because they would break with the entire process of evolution of this planet. Mm-hmm. So they can only help through us, that we were them and we are born here through them to do the process from here. So a lot of us, we are souls of aliens that came here to have the human experience in order to help the planet to transcend and to go into another 
level. The thing is that they cannot interfere in the process of someone else. When you accomplish to be that aware, like most of the beings that come to this planet are, um, they know that they cannot interfere. Otherwise, they are changing their own reality. And that would be a mess for them too. You mentioned that in a, another conversation we had that many of the you know, extraterrestrial off-planet being star beings are actually us in a future evolution. Mm-hmm. And because of the fourth dimensionality of time, yeah. that they're actually, we're actually being visited by ourselves, which is a very interstellar moment yeah. where Matthew McConaughey touches Matthew McConaughey through and they do the handshake oh, through, yeah, the, through the portal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, so in a way there's, you know, there is some hard boundaries that, that they can't or won't cross because things get fucked up. So ultimately the answer is, Mm-hmm. It's on us. It's on us. And they are helping us from the future. As they, as we are helping our ancestors to set us, set ourselves free, uh, from them. So. Well, this is super good news though, because if they exist in the future, that means we can't have fucked it up so bad that they don't exist. Yeah. Depending on which race we are talking to. <laughs> <laughs> If you see the gray world, uh, that's a totally different story. If you go, so this is so now we're getting into the multiverse kind of concept where there's different timelines that have created different. Each different one of the races is trying to see uh, which one of us will create them somehow. So each one of us of them are giving us the tools for us to create them somehow. That's the fourth dimension. The gray world, we don't, that's the gray aliens and the gray world. The gray world sucks. They don't have any genitals. Well, we have it. to me they have no genitals. <laughs> no genders? Genitals. Genitals? Oh, no, no. Oh, that world sucks. sucks. It's a boring planet. Uh, that world sucks. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> well, you can grab the head of the other head. <laughs> <laughs> and have fun with it. Listen. <laughs> Listen. No. No. I say no. No, I'm not into it. So, (laughs) but not all planes has balls neither. (laughs) So maybe our trillions are the best option. Well, I'm I'm fresh out of luck. Fresh out of luck. Well, you have a lot of time to think about. (laughs) Matthias, thank you so much for just being here, being unafraid to speak your truth. I know that. In any time you speak a truth, the immune system of those who don't believe you will attack you. All of the, you know, the white blood cells of this belief system, I'm sure they come at you. And, but, uh, I love to be a virus. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed, a noble purpose. Uh, would you mind singing us home out of this magical world that we've, uh, that we've, we've ventured with one more song? Sure. And then uh, we'll say goodbye to everybody. Mm-hmm. Going to sleep? Let's go to sleep. <laughs> the lullaby. This is a lullaby that you used to sing to your to your child. Yeah. Okay. So it's a mother saying, come to me because it's getting dark. And there the darkness cannot take if you are in my arms. Come to me, my dear son. Let's go to sleep.
is throwing a festival. It has all the musicians, my favorite musicians on the planet, really. The Glitch Mob, Dr. Fresh, Troy Boy. I mean, if you can't dance and you don't want to dance when you hear them come on, you're crazy. They're the best. You have Emancipator, Dirt Wire, Lucky Luke, Sat Song. There's so... (laughs) Commercial. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to do this one, right, Rama? Yeah, let me find that. Fabulous. I hope that was something we all enjoyed. Let there be peace on earth. Okay, this is our... Hello, I'm Lee Carroll, you know... No, 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 no. It's changing, sorry. (laughs) Okay. Uh, this is our all of our collective friends here, Greg Braden, Teresa Ballard, William Henry, Robert Grant, Nassim Harameen, Billy Carson. On we go. Music of the Spheres. Could sound hold the hidden keys connecting our universe? Examining frequencies produced in nature from animals to the planets in our solar system. Experts explore what missing links we are finding from vibrations. Similarly to how whales, bats, and fish use vibrations to communicate and survive, researchers are utilizing audio technology and the law of octaves to change what pitches humans can perceive in hopes of unlocking these secrets held within sound. 
Okay, this is 25 minutes. Here we go. Rama. I'm trying to get to the sound here. Uh, I don't know what happened. Okay. Now we have to press it again. It's not on. within which we live and move and have our being. There's a harmonic relationship ringing of all the spheres in space, from the very small to the very big. So think of all the protons ringing and all the electrons ringing. And all the planets ringing. And all the solar systems ringing, all the stars ringing, right? In a, in a galaxy. And then the, the galaxies ringing in a supercluster. When we get to the universe, you can imagine where many octaves past the proton. Many, many, many. So clearly, we live in the music of the spheres. The music of the spheres is a really interesting concept that supposedly the ancient mystics, such as Pythagoras, and even Kepler, the astronomer, were said to have understood that they were able to hear the sounds of the planets. The mystics interpreted this musical composition as a mathematical masterpiece. If you continually double frequencies, you can move from dense physical matter, which you can strike with a hammer, 
and get resonance like Pythagoras did when with the anvil. And you could then extrapolate. Doubling that frequency, I'm going to get this sound. I'm going to get that sound. I'm going to get that sound. Oh, I'm no longer getting sound. At this point, I'm getting ultrasound. And then it's going to move into infrasound. And then it's going to move into something where you can see it instead of hear it. The law of octaves is simply doubling the frequency. Now, whether or not we can hear this sound is different. Because we hear our hearing ranges from around 16 of these vibrations, these cycles per second, to around 16,000. But our friends in the ocean, the dolphins, can hear upwards of 180,000 cycles a second and project frequencies at that level. What we perceive depends on the pitch. If we want to study the high-pitched sounds of bats or whales, or the low-pitched sounds of planets in the solar system, in order to do that, we can either raise or lower that sound by octaves. In other words, this is the doubling of the sound. And then you can hear it with your physical ears. In the study of whale sounds, to lower them an octave, you can then actually hear them have an experience of them, whereas before you wouldn't hear them at all. The whales hear them, but we wouldn't hear them. They are able to communicate and probably instill great information with sounds that we can't hear. So just because you can't hear it doesn't mean that there isn't a sound being created. That includes the music of the spheres. In recent years, NASA engineers recognized solar winds striking the ionosphere, creating vibrations that can be modified to be within the range of human hearing. Scientists think, well, there's no sound in space because there's a vacuum. Well, then how come there's human range vibrations in space and every single planet? Why is that there? So NASA says, well, we don't know the answer to this question, so let's send Voyager through that ion field and record it and see what, what we get. go on the NASA site, you can actually download the, the soundtrack of, of the sound of our sun. The sound of our planets, like Jupiter. And Saturn. 
uh, you put headphones on and you hear sort of an electronic wind with these breathy choirs of voices coming in and out from Miranda. Or the moan of Jupiter, Io, it sounds like the crickets and dolphins and birds. Wind. It's like, oh my God. And it has this effect on you. Physics allows us to better understand this cosmic soundtrack. All these things are giving you a sense, and certainly that was the sense that Kepler got, that there's a harmonic relationship ringing of all the spheres in space. The structure of space is not only oscillating, but it is circulating. It has movement. It produces angular momentum. Think of it as a fluid that's circulating. There's circulation outward and there's inward circulation. If we listen closely, we can discover how these waves of sounds across the spectrum create recognizable patterns. Human voices, when you speed them up enough, they sound like birds. You speed them up, they sound like crickets. You speed them up, they sound like dolphins. You slow crickets down, they sound like birds. You slow birds down, they sound like dolphins. You slow dolphins down, they sound like people singing. It's like fractal reflections of the hologram of the universe that reflect boundless into the galaxies and the universe as a whole with patterns that are reflected in my brain networks, that are reflected in the quantum field. How is it that we interpret or give meaning to these fractal reflections? The holographic principle, as uh, described in current black hole theory, says that information is encoded holographically on the surface of the black hole. Everything you see is the result, or everything you experience, including your own body, is the result of this holographic nature of space itself. How you experience the world, how you feed information back to the, to the world, is by actually interacting in this holographic nature of reality, you are feeding information on surfaces across the universe and the universe is feeding you back information in terms of your local experience through this holographic nature. The Hermetic Principle, as above, so below, is another way to express this holographic reality. The Scaling Law and many esoteric lineages propose that the human is a fractal of a repeating pattern. 
microcosmic and a macrocosmic scale. From this view, not only is our planet seen as a single entity, but so is our solar system. With the planets as chakras. Our galaxy may be the next fractal level out. Itself a living being. And this principle repeats itself all the way out to the body of the universe, which in the East they call Brahma. Each of our thoughts and actions are intricate parts within this universal being. It's really an interaction between all things in the universe, this network of interconnected structures talking to each other. And so thinking of the brain as isolated from the universe, I believe is inaccurate. It's like there is transmission across the scales and the result is what we call consciousness or awareness. It's like the universe thinking about itself and discovering itself. A feedback of information. Our Earth is also a part of this vast hologram. The Gaia hypothesis is named after the ancient Greek goddess of the Earth, Gaia, and was a term coined by the scientist James Lovelock. Hmm. I'm not sure what happened. It's just going around. Hmm. Um. Turn it off and turn it back on, and it'll still, it'll, yeah. maybe that'll help. Mm-hmm. Now turn it on. It should go at the same place, right? I hope so. Yeah, it looks like it. Huh. was a term coined by the scientist James Lovelock. It is the idea that the Earth and all of its systems behave like a huge single entity, like the human body, with self-regulating feedback loops. The Earth has chakras, like a human, and the lungs would be the rainforest and the trees, and the circulatory system would be the rivers, the oceans, and lakes, and so on. Like us, Earth has a constant rhythm. The Schumann resonance is like the it's like the heartbeat of Mother Earth. The Earth has a magnetic field around it, which is generated from that molten iron core. Those magnetic field lines have a pulse to them. They have a frequency to them. And the Schumann resonance is sort of like the base core frequency of the magnetic field lines of the Earth, which is around 7.8 hertz, so it's close to 8 hertz. The Schumann resonance is a frequency bandwidth that goes from the crust of the Earth to the ionosphere. 
the 7.83 is a mean because the Schumann resonance, depending upon lightning, sunspots, and other activity, will fluctuate. Each of us has a harmonic connection to this earthly sphere. And we as individuals, as humans, interface with this electromagnetic field that falls right within the brainwave bandwidth of either a very low alpha or a very high theta, which is a very, very nice state of relaxation and meditation. But if it goes higher, we oftentimes may feel scrambled, so there may be a relationship between the Schumann resonance and how humans and our nervous systems are affected by this. Planet Earth progresses through a spiritual evolution like all living beings. We are returning today to the ancient understanding that the Earth is a living being. It's alive, it is functioning as an organic being going through a life process and has a particular vibrational basis of its vital life force, the same way that the human energy body has, but at a much larger level. One of the fundamental keys to understanding the ancient mind is that they had a very highly attuned power of perception. They were so in tune with the earth, and we know the earth is, a, is a, essentially a vibrating crystal, and that it's responding to electromagnetic radiation and frequencies coming from all over the cosmos, including our sun. And so the vibratory power of the earth itself has the ability to create a pattern of the earth that places things in certain locations, both as far as energetic currents on the earth and in the actual physical shaping of the continents, placements of the oceans, etc. This was ancient knowledge, but it's coming back today through modern research. Every orbital body in space including our sun, plays a part in this cosmic orchestra. Our sun is literally a musical instrument, according to the Stanford Solar Observatory. Our sun plays one million notes simultaneously. It's like a giant pipe organ. The sun is this explosion. It's so powerful that it splits the atoms into their component parts. Protons, electrons, and neutrons. In a fourth state of matter called plasma. Charged electromagnetic particles floating around in kind of a foggy suit. And it's so powerful that when it strikes a planet, it blows its magnetic envelope in its ionosphere back like a comet tail. And the leading edge of that is called bow shock. So we've got interaction of the solar wind striking the ionosphere, charged ions, charged electromagnetic particles, and it makes them resonate. Our sun and every planet and star in the galaxy are in a constant harmonic dance. So it's actually inaccurate to think of our solar system as this plane of planets that are coming back onto the same path every year. From one year to the other, we're literally millions of kilometers away from where we were the year before. We're not in the same position at all relative to the galaxy. 
and the galaxy is moving through space as well. So you can think of it as like vibrations or strings ringing in the structure of space, making spirals. There are many different parallel dimensions that are all vibrating slightly differently, such as a string. These harmonics are geometric, mathematical, multiples of it. And this relationship can be found in the orbital distances of our planets, periodic table of elements, botany, crystallography, chemistry, all adhere to the harmonic relationships of vibrating strings. The human body is also a part of this cosmic musical composition. The body has numerous rhythms that are playing a symphony continually. Our circadian rhythms, biorhythms, astrological cycles, brain waves, heartbeat, breathing. These are just some of the rhythmic cycles of the body. Many ancient cultures acknowledge the connection between the human body and the universe in their ceremonies and traditions. In the yogic tradition, they have assigned uh, certain planets to the chakras. You might, for example, have Saturn as the root chakra and Mars as the second chakra. What you'll find also is that it depends on the tradition and the, and the perspective or the, the angle that they're looking at it from. The Kabbalistic approach works with the Tree of Life and how the planets are corresponding to the different parts of the Tree of Life. So the planets, in a way, are like different notes. And the various systems that work with the chakras have drawn from those notes to create a certain musical composition that allows for the opening of the chakras. Mandalas are another example. The Sri Yantra is one of the oldest mandalas from the East and is considered to be what the sound of Om looks like. And there's four triangles going up, five going down, and they're all very different shapes from each other. Supposedly, the complete mathematical geometrical construction of all laws of the universe that make everything. It also has a similar geometry to the symbol of the heart chakra, which is called anahata and means unstruck sound. It also resembles the structure of space and the molecular structure of water when frozen. The mystical sound of creation underlining all of life may still be audible, at least for some of us. In 1965, physicists discovered a background noise of low-level radiation emanating from all directions in the universe. It's hypothesized to be remnants of the Big Bang or the origin of the universe. Could this be connected to the sound current or the sound of creation alluded to in so many esoteric lineages? I started hearing the sound current in 2013 during a deep meditation and work with Sage from India. At the time, I didn't really understand what it was. Since then, my experience and research has shown that it is something significant and can be a great blessing. When you get down to what animates human beings, it is that we are each unique individual souls 
all responding to the same generative wave. So the wave itself is called the sound current in many esoteric teachings. The sound current is an emanation. It's an emanation directly from the Godhead coming down, and I say down particularly because it is going in wavelengths, in quanta, from infinitely high frequency to infinitely more dense frequencies. The ability to hear the sound current is revered in so many esoteric lineages. And I believe it is a sign for frequency increase on the planet because more and more people are also reporting hearing this sound. The sound current and all of the scales between the brain and the universe are part of a giant musical ensemble. It's more complex than just a simple musical instrument. But the principles are the same. If you understand these principles, you really start to tap in to understand some of the most fundamental principles of creation from which we emerge. You could think of us as like a little oscillating string of the structure of space singing its own song. Someday, maybe in our lifetime, these songs from Earth could join other songs throughout the galaxies in one universal celebration. Perhaps we will begin communicating with extraterrestrials in our everyday world. Will they be speaking English? That's a possibility. But more than likely, as we saw, for example, in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, they'll be communicating with us through music because music is math. And music and math, that's the universal language. And so we know that music can encode knowledge. And it's incumbent upon us now to understand the sacred science of sound because ultimately that likely will be the way that we will be communicating with extraterrestrial beings. Coming up in our final episode of Sound of Creation. Ancient and religious traditions say that spiritual evolution is the true purpose for human incarnation. Is sound a secret key to spiritual realization? It's time to go for a little break. Wow. Light, color, sound. It's what Mother's been talking about. How many years now? I can't count. Or color, sound, vibration. Yeah. Color, sound, vibration. That was wonderful. (laughs) How many ways do we describe ourselves? Who am I? 
We'll continue on this journey with a look at the stars when we come back and a little chat with Richard, our brother, and Tanya, our sister, and Kay Pacha, another brother, all from the one beingness that we are all together. Namaste for now, everybody. See you very shortly, 10 to 15 minutes. Namaste. That started out with one musician turned into a whole orchestra. And all the babies and the children were all participating. Everybody just joined in. That was lovely, Rama. Okay. Uh, Well, we just got a few minutes. Yeah. Do you need to do another one? I passed the talking stick to you, Richard, because... Kay Potch's 36 minutes. Okay. Here it comes, Richard. All right, then. Well, welcome, everybody, tonight. May the 21st. And I probably don't need to tell you about the wild and powerful energies that configured and and came into play this past week, do I? Where do I start? Well, let's go. Let's start right up here with Mercury retrograde conjunct the sun at one degree Gemini right now tonight. And that Pluto trine, the sun, trine, Mercury, retrograde. And they're on the two ends of this uh, freight train here. And then uh, let's go back the other way. Uh, Let's see here. Let's see. About the day and a half ago, moon conjunct Pluto. And coming up. Right now, tomorrow, moon conjunct Saturn. And those guys at at 22 and 26 are conjuncting sun conjunct Mercury. So that's a square. So you got a square with Saturn at 26, Aquarius, you know, and uh, the sun was at 26 Taurus about four days ago. Tuesday-ish. So uh, that's you know, you know, with the with the long-term loose square, not exactly square, coming out of a square between Saturn and Uranus is now at sixteen Taurus. Now the other. I I don't want to use the word troublesome, so I'll use the word significantly energetic. The the trio here with uh, Neptune, Mars, and Jupiter, Mars conjunct Neptune. That happened a few days ago. Right now, Neptune's at 26 Pisces, and Mars is at 28 Pisces. And Jupiter is at 3 Aries. So those three are operating together. 
near the end of Pisces, so that makes a triangle with the Sun and Mercury on one side and Pluto on the other. So you got a triangle of forces there, right? If you're standing on the Earth and you're looking at Mars, Neptune is to the little bit to the right of it, and Jupiter is a little bit to the left of it. And then you got you'd have Pluto on your right arm and uh, Sun and Mercury on your left arm. And uh, while these are generally considered helpful because they're sextiles in a trine, I think we can we can we can we can remember other configurations where. Where trines and sextiles turned out to be troublesome because the energies that they delivered to the earth environment in that particular organization and combination just amps things up. Remember now, remember remember last weekend that, that full moon was in Scorpio, all right? So full moon in Scorpio equals violence, right? Equals mental health manifestations, right? So we got that going on. Then the other thing that happened this week actually started last week with uh, Chiron at 16 Aries. Uh, Venus went across that uh, and now at 23 Aries. So we got uh, so we got we got planets in in every single sign from Capricorn to Gemini. With uh, with all kinds of these are evolutionary times, especially for the 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 human physical body, right? And if you're an occultist, or if you're on the path of evolution with with intent and desire and aspiration, if you want to evolve, then, uh, you know, you, you, you've got, you've got opportunities here to walk through new doors into additional awareness or, you know, kind of getting away from this thing called higher awareness because I'm still reading, uh, uh, the Master DK's book, you know, I was reading, uh, I was reading uh, esoteric healing, but I, I put that aside temporarily and and switched over to initiations and the rays, which is volume five in the in the treatise on the seven rays, and and he's, the first part of this is he's talking about uh, fourteen rules. For disciples and initiates, you know, working their way along the path of development, you know, you know, talking about the personality in relationship to the soul, and all kinds of interesting good stuff. 
which is not technically astronomical, astrological, so I'll put that aside for right now. And turn it back over to you, and we'll see what Kai Potch has got to say about all this mess of very, very potent energies. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether Mars is at perihelion or aphelion, whether it's close or far away. I don't know a lot of things. Even even when I look at this, I can look at this additional chart up here, which tells me that uh, uh, the full moon, the, the full moon, they, being an eclipse, they were at the same declination. But now the moon has come around to where it's uh, south of the ecliptic. The sun is north of the ecliptic. And so that didn't do things very well. But Pluto is 22 south, and the moon is 19 south. So when the moon crossed between Earth and Pluto, it disturbed the flow of the energies of Pluto. So when you have a disturbance in the force, yeah, I've got a disturbance on Earth. And what else in here? Your Uranus is 16 north. Sun is 16 north. That was troublesome a couple of weeks ago. It's just like trouble, trouble everywhere. So uh, over to you, Rama. I was just going to say, Richard, before we start with the Kepacha, that I think it's in the how of it. How are we going to deal with all this? You know? Say what? How are we going I, to deal with it's, it's in the how of it. You know, we've got a real, yeah, I mean, you just you just laid it out in lavender that we got a real clash of everything. Okay, all right, all right. Here's, here's a technique I've picked up over decades of practice. Stick to your meditation, your regular meditation. Before, preferably in the morning before you start the day and interact with other people. As you go through the day, be conscious of the use of your of the energy in your body. All right? Don't waste don't waste energy. You know, stay grounded. You know, make a plan and you know make a plan and work your plan. Don't be distracted from your plan if you have to go out into the world. That's that's the uh, the simplest advice from 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 me. Thank you, Richard. All right, yes. Do your morning meditation and then make your plan for the day and then stick to the plan and then get home. (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's go. Okay. Here we go. Oh, I 
it's Scott Potcher with the Weekly Pele Report for May 18th of 2022. <laughs> yeah, baby! Made it back to the old American River. If you were here, I think I was here back in January or December. There's a lot more water. Snow melt coming down this river now. So gorgeous, yeah. Sun is still in Taurus, you know, until Friday. Sun will be moving out of Taurus into Gemini, but it's still happening. What else is still happening? Mars is still conjunct Neptune. You know, it just it's not just a day, it goes on for days. So Mars, Neptune, still up there in Pisces. Mars goes into Aries on Tuesday. So we are closing out the Mars, Neptune, Pisces, what can we say, movie? It has been a freaking movie. Oh, my word. I'm going to get into that a little bit more. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, along with the sun moving into Gemini... Mercury is going retrograde, coming into a conjunction with the sun, right? And that is exact on Saturday before Mercury goes backwards retrograde into Taurus. <laughs> it's like they can't make up their minds. Taurus, Gemini, G- Gemini, Taurus. No, no, Taurus, no, Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect for Gemini, isn't it? Oh, my God. The moon is up there um, going into Capricorn today. She's going to, you know, bop on into Aquarius. And, uh, you know, by uh, tomorrow, she's going to trine Uranus, square Venus. Um, you know, and then uh, by Sunday, she's going to uh, conjunct with Saturn before she then goes into Pisces. Yeah, and uh, by Tuesday, she's going to be moving on through Pisces and uh, joining together. And and we will have uh, a Neptune-Moon-Mars conjunction just before the Moon and Mars both go into Aries. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to just find a little spot here, a little nookie. I can't be too close to the uh, rapids because they're kind of noisy, but they sure do make a gorgeous background, don't they? Yeah, the one other thing I wanted to note, uh, I don't know if you've been watching lately, but, uh, you know, I did a a special on the eclipse and uh, taking it through the houses on Sunday. Um... And I talked about how the eclipses are an 18 and a half year cycle and how uh, every nine years or so, nine plus years, uh, there is a repetition. You may want to look back to November 13th of 2012 and what you were doing, what you started or what you ended. Because there was a solar eclipse at 21 degrees 57 minutes of Scorpio right near where this lunar eclipse happened last Sunday 
So, um, yeah. Yeah, these eclipses have a, a repeating cycle, and uh, you can learn a lot through biography and looking at, uh, you know, how the cycles unfold in your own life. The world is now on the brink of change as we enter a new age that we'll be discovering and working on together. Interesting now, commercials. Not usually. All right, everybody. There's so much to talk about. There's so much going on. I just got to jump right in. I just don't exactly know where. Wow, it is so intense. Indeed. Is it not? Are yes. you feeling it? Oh, man. Yep. Yeah, so, um, I mean, my own personal uh, uh, drama, you know, uh, basically, I went back to the house, uh, my brother's house I was visiting. I, there's the lunar planner. I found it last week. I unpacked my suitcase uh, a couple days ago here in California. My sunglasses are in the pocket of a jacket in the suitcase. I mean, <laughs> oh, God, man. But I must have left my uh, camera, you know, the uh, the stand down in Costa Rica. I, I still don't have that. But, yeah, things disappear. Things come. Things go. This Mars and Neptune, Mars, Neptune, and Pisces, I have to say, I mean, I have experienced... The biggest uh, financial loss of, of my life this last week, you know, uh, you know, besides uh, Bitcoin going down, silver going down, stocks going down, inflation going up. I mean, it's absolutely insane, man. I mean, I, I have another Scorpio 8th house thing happening, but, uh, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, uh, getting wiped out. And uh, I think a lot of people are getting wiped out. Stablecoin dropped 99%. Shoom, right? You know, and, uh, and I, I come back here, I fill up my car uh, with gasoline, $85. Whoa. I go shopping at the food store for some uh, groceries for a week. Week's worth of groceries is like $267, man. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on is this is forcing each and every one of us to really look at and prioritize our values, what is important to us, where we're going to spend our money, you know, where, you know, where we're going to spend our time, how much work, how much recreation. I mean, I was looking forward to slowing down, maybe retiring or something, you know, but uh, like now, kaboom. You know, that I got wiped out. It's like, okay, uh, it looks like I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going to be doing astrology for a long time, man. <laughs> and you know, I, I could I could get pissed off. You know, I mean, I, I you know I, I you know I could feel uh, victimized. Uh, Mars Neptune is Mars is my will, what I want, where I'm going, what I desire, and Neptune is infinite ocean of oneness that is so far beyond your ego wants and desires you can just forget it 
I, the image that came to me was Moses in a basket floating down the river as a baby. Vulnerable. You know, it's like we are vulnerable. And what we want and our egos and our plans, the best laid plans of mice and men, you know, come and go. Right? There are many, 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 many mysterious, invisible, spiritual forces at work. Some could say at play. <laughs> With us humans down here on this third dimensional material planet. But so, you know, there is this feeling of helplessness and vulnerability like, oh my God. You know, I, I can't control uh, Biden. I can't control the Ukraine. I can't control inflation. I can't control anything. I, I, I am. You know, it's, it's like I'm going down the river in a basket, and if I hit a rock, it's all over. Death is around the corner, south node of the moon in Scorpio. It's not around the corner. It's like right in front of our face. I mean, I know people passing. You know, this jab is really causing a lot of cancer, messing up immune systems. People are just like, you know, dropping like flies. It's really, it's sad. It's challenging. It's terrible. And at the same time, it's an education. And it's uh, and it's a learning experience. And, and part of that learning we're going to look at with the Sabian symbol, uh, that is the sun conjunct Mercury, it's the chart at the beginning. You can see the sun and Mercury right together in the very first degree of Gemini. Yeah? Uh, let me read it. Why not? Yeah. Uh, it is uh, the glass bottom boat. The glass bottom boat reveals undersea wonders. The revelation of unconscious energies and submerged psychic structures. Within the relatively security of a boat, an individual person can learn to be aware of the as yet hidden contents of man's collective unconscious. Neptune Pisces, the collective unconscious. Provided this boat, that is to say, his ego that separates him from the collective planetary psyche of mankind love this guy has been given a glass bottom. The conscious mind must have become in part at least translucent. This translucency is not direct openness. The window of the mind remains closed, but through it, the individual can become aware of the outside. Here, outside means the psychic depths below the normal level of consciousness. At this first stage of the discovery process, one can only speak of vision, not identification. The feeling is one of wonder. I didn't know this could exist. 
how beautiful or how exciting a new dimension of reality is perceived by the earnest inquirer. You can meditate on that one a lot. I have been and I will continue to. <laughs> right? I mean, that conjunction is really not for a couple more days, but it is happening right now. This is a direct alignment, okay, between the sun, Mercury, and the earth. And Mercury is our left brain. It is our mind. And that left brain, linear, logical, rational thinking is controlled by the ego. And when we open up that left brain, that mercurial consciousness to the collective unconscious, it's very important to have the glass bottom boat, like what he says, the window is closed. If we open up that window too much, too far, too fast, the, our boat will sink, right? Our ego will sink. We will be overwhelmed. We will be submerged in the collective, the morass of the collective unconscious. And we know what's going on in the collective unconscious right now. It's crazy. The United States just signed off another $50 billion, you know, to send bombs, you know, and, and uh, $40 billion. increase the $40 war billion. over there in the Ukraine. I woke up this morning and it was very beautiful. I read the speech uh, by the Prime Minister of Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is 100% broke. I know oh. just how they feel. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's not funny. They're sitting there with three boats full of oil hanging out offshore because they don't have the money to pay for the oil. And a large percentage of their power, electricity, is generated by oil. So he's announcing that they may have 15 hours a day of no power, of cutting off the power. You can imagine, you know, no power. I'm sure, you know, gasoline, oil, transportation, you know, uh, you know, everything having to do with, you know, the food supply, the food chain, moving things around. Uh, yeah, I mean, just all the supply lines. And when the government goes down in a country like that, everything goes down. The people go down. And so it is. I'm, I'm laying in bed this morning, you know, uh, reading this news story, and I'm just going, wow. You know? Yeah, I just lost my shirt. I've been losing things left and right all over the place. My stash is gone, but... I've got this comfortable bed to lay in. I've got electricity. You know, I've got a refrigerator full of all that food that I bought. And even going through the store, you know, I'm going through the store and there's like plant-based milk. You know, instead of cow's milk, plant-based I like oat milk myself, you know, 
But this plant-based, it's a mixture of oat and almond and soy or so. I don't know. I mean, you know, you know and I, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. You know, I'm going, well, you know, this is probably better for me. <laughs> Even though I love anything from the cow. <laughs> Ice cream, cheese, butter, you name it, man. I love the cow. I'm going, you know what? I mean, I should really get this. It's five ninety nine for a oh. half gallon. You know, that's like twelve bucks a gallon for this stuff. You know, so you know, Taurus, the North Node moving through Taurus from January of this year till July of next year. It's really pushing each and every single one of us to mind our pennies. Mind your dollars, mind your euros, mind your colones. Where are you putting your money? Are you putting it in a local bank? Are you putting it in crypto? Are you putting it into organic food, even if it's more expensive than chemical-filled food? I said yes. I bought everything organic, knowing darn well that, like, you know, I really don't have the money to pay for this, but doggone it, you know, I'm going to, you know, my body, our bodies, Taurus is our physical survival in this physical body. And not only do we want to be grateful for these bodies, we want to treat these bodies as temples. We want to care for these bodies, Right? You know, like, I just feel like this is such a time. You know, this Mars, Neptune, and Pisces, it reminds me of the movie 300. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that movie. I mean, I like these action kind of movies, man. It's the Spartans, the Greeks, 300 Greeks, going up against the entire Persian army. This is like us going up against the World Health Organization. <laughs> you know, it's us going up against, you know, the World Economic Forum. <laughs> These freaking billionaires, man. You know, it's almost like, you know what? It comes to a point where it's not about winning or losing. It's how we stand in the world. What we stand for. What we value, we pass this on through our magnetic field to our children, their children, their children, our neighbors, our friends, our family. With the books we write, the videos we make, the blogs, the you know, you know, the the, the media, all of our communications. Sun, Mercury, in Gemini. Now Mercury's going back into Taurus. Going, ah, wait a minute. You know, I've even got more business to take care of in this physical, physical world. And that brings us to the mantra for today. We are spiritual beings in animal bodies. And that Mars-Neptune can go, oh, no. It's too hard. It's too cold. It's too cruel. It's too violent. I want out, I want to escape, I want to deny, I want to avoid, I want to, you know, head off to the ashram, the monastery. No sex, no money, 
no pleasure. It's all right. I'm gonna, you know, I, I'm gonna suffer my way into heaven. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, Jesus Christ was a martyr. He opened up the age of Pisces two thousand years ago. It's up to us now, as we enter the age of Aquarius, we close the age of Pisces, and we find a way to enter Nirvana and enter Samadhi intact. <laughs> you know, without self-emulation, we don't have to kamikaze. Okay, we don't have to martyr ourselves. We, it, it's like you know, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm really gonna, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna hold my truth, I'm gonna hold my faith, I'm gonna hold my vision. I think I talked about that last year. I mean, last week. Same thing. <laughs> the past is gone. What's gone is gone. <laughs> anyway, I got two songs. One is, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, uh, the Spanish, uh, uh, I think it's the Spanish Dream or something by John Prine. Gonna move to the country, build me a home, plant me a garden, eat a lot of peaches. Try to find Jesus on my own. Throw away your TV. <laughs> no, blow up your TV. Throw away your newspaper. <laughs> Something like that. Check it out, man. If you don't know John Prime, he is awesome. I love him. And I love all his stuff. He just passed away a little while ago. That's a loss to humanity, man. But I got a second song. Came today, this morning to me while I was doing my yoga. It's not Tom Carr, yeah, and it, and it has to do, okay, with just like you know being here, and 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 you know being here, being being in these bodies, being grateful, and that we become what we think and what we feel. So rather than go into victim, rather than go into anger, rather than go into frustration, irritability, Mars, you know, moving into. Aries here, you know, is like coming up to Jupiter. I mean, it's, it's, it, things are not going to be very pretty. You know, people ask me, how long do you think this is going to go on? I hate to say it, boys and girls, moms and dads, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between. It's going to go on for a while. Mars is actually coming up and it's going to move through Aries, which is war, anger, violence, frustration, irritability. You know, it's going to come up and it's going to conjunct with Eris, you know, which is Kali. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, man. Okay. Then it's going to go into Taurus, you know, frustration, irritability. You know, it's like, this is my money. This is my food. Uh, this is my stuff. This is you. And then it's going to join together. And uh, in the first week of August or something, we have a Mars, Uranus, North Node of the Moon conjunction at 18 degrees of Taurus. So you can bet. You know what's happening? You can see it happening. Uranus is the planet of extremes. What's extremely happening? The distribution of wealth is rising into the pockets of a handful of billionaires while entire countries like Sri Lanka, are destitute. 
having nothing. You know, Elon Musk, instead of, you know, buying Twitter, could save an entire nation with very little of what he's putting out for his acquisition. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be judgmental or anything, <laughs> but I'll tell you what makes for revolution, what makes for transformation is inequality and extremes. And Uranus moving through Taurus until 2025 is pushing us to the extremes. Extremely rich, extremely poor. Yeah. Extremely healthy, extremely sick. Extremely secure, absolutely no security. You know, it's this division. All blue or all red. Okay, all for, all against. You know, the muzzles or whatever. I mean, all these extremes are bringing in an opportunity. It's the glass bottom boat. We learn in this polarized reality of third dimension, we learn through polarization. Oh, that's not me. Oh, that's, we get to see, we need project, we get to see objectively outside ourselves into our own personal psyche and the psyche of the collective unconscious. And we can discover things about ourselves. You know, I I became aware. It's like, okay, wow, you know, maybe God's mad at me. You know, he's taking all my money away, you know. I could go and I was, you know, born Catholic. I was going to be a priest. I went to the seminary. So I I carry guilt. I have this millstone of guilt, (laughs) you know, around my neck. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, I can go into guilt. Oh, my God. I'm being punished because I've been bad and I don't deserve to have any money or whatever, you know. It's a perception. It's a mind game. We tell ourselves stories. We make our own realities out of what life gives us. I'm going to take a different reality. I'm going to say, you know what? My astrology is important, and what I'm doing in the world is important. You know, spirit doesn't want me to stop teaching, doesn't want me to stop doing astrology charts, doesn't want me to stop doing readings, doesn't want me to stop doing the Pele report. You know, I'm going to keep on doing what I do, because I have to, but also this brings us to another place. You've got to love what you're doing. This north node of Taurus is ruled by Venus. Venus is love. Do you love what you're doing? Are you are you making money at something that you don't enjoy, that's not your passion, that's not a, the highest expression of your potential? Well, yeah, well then of course you're going to bitch and moan. You're going to feel victimized and put down and put out. You know, a musician who's got to play more music says, yeah. 
an astrologer who's got to do more astrology says, yeah. An artist who's got to do more paintings says, yeah. So what? Fun. Hey, this, this, is, this is my, I love doing this shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, so what, what, what the universe is telling each and every one of us is look at your life. Look how you are surviving in this physical body, in this physical world, and enjoy it. Eat delicious food that is nutritious and makes you feel good in your body. So you're ready to go jump in the river and you wake up with energy, right? You know, like feed yourself, take care of yourself, love yourself. And then when it comes to, to when was the last time you had a massage? Wouldn't it be something to spend your last 50 bucks on a massage? Just to say, you know, just like a statement to the universe, <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, you know, I don't have anything right now, but I trust, I believe, I know, I am one with all that is, I am supported. Mars, Neptune, and Pisces. Sun moving into Gemini. Time to network. A little help from my friends. The Prime Minister of Sri Lanka, he says, I know that there are some friends. I've got some allied nations. You know, I, I know there are people that are going to come and help us out here. You know, that are going to give us... We need a few million, you know, to get this oil off the boat. You know? Yeah, he seems like a good guy, uh, but anyway. But you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, if you, Taurus is this about unconditional self-love, and this also has to do with, you know, what kinds of suppression, what is suppressed? Just yesterday I posted uh, Brandy Joy, a new teacher at the New Paradigm School of Astrology. She's talking about the root chakra Pluto, Uranus, and Saturn connected to this root chakra, second chakra. It's these lower chakras. Earth and water, Taurus, Scorpio. We got to come out of our little bubbles, okay? Our little spirit uh, parachutes, you know, that hover over and above. Oh, no, you know, no money, no sex, no, uh, you know, no pleasure, no... You know, no, no, I, I'm, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to go to the ashram. I'm going to give all my money to the guru. I'm going to be celibate. I'm going to, you know, I'm renouncing. I mean, that is the Pisces way to samadhi. Guess what, folks? The Pisces age is over. <laughs> you can have your cake and eat it, too. <laughs> But it takes. I prioritize. I value. I love. I believe. I trust. We got to move into these beautiful, powerful emotions and attitudes. Mercury is attitude. Sun, Mercury in Gemini, change. We need to change our attitude, change our perspective. It's not what's happening out in the world. 
It's not, you know, the glass bottom boat. You know, it's how we perceive it. The lens that we use, the lens, the glass that we look through is the glass or the lens of what we believe. Let's look at our beliefs. Jupiter in Aries, beginning a new 12-year cycle. Seeding new beliefs. <laughs> I could just go on for freaking ever. Oh, God. Let's knock it out, baby. What is it? Yeah. It is. I am a spiritual being living in an animal body. This evokes both love and fear. I mean, it's like I love Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I love touch and sensation and massage and ah, yeah, you know. And I am afraid that I could end up on some street corner with a shopping cart. You know, if I, you know, it's like, you know, oh my God, I got to take care of this and that, and then, you, know, you know, what about and the, so both love and fear come along with this polarized material body and existence. This is what our souls are evolving through. Yeah? You know, it's a dualistic polarity. And so, you know, we, you know, we, ch we chose this. <laughs> when I fully accept and embrace this truth, I will enjoy all the things I hold dear. Notice I said things, things, physical, tangible things. I will enjoy my car that it costs a fortune to fill up. <laughs> I will enjoy my bicycle. I will enjoy, you know, my body. I will enjoy my ice cream. I will enjoy, I mean, I will enjoy this river. I will enjoy Gaia and Mother Nature and the flowers and the birds. One of the songs I was thinking of, um, It's a Wonderful World, yeah. was another song that I was going to make for this week. It is a wonderful world. You can move into appreciation, gratitude, enjoyment of what we have, even if it's simply nothing. But this rock in front of me, I can enjoy this rock in front of me. Taurus is all about simplicity. Move to the country. Build you a home. Eat a lot of peaches. Grow a little garden. This is Taurus energy. We don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars. We don't need a 401k retirement account or... You know, this, that, or the other thing. You know, make sure we have insurance and, and then, 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 you know, don't quit or you could, you know, whatever. I mean, come on. <laughs> Taurus says, you know, boom. I am fertile. I am the life force, the life energy. And I attract what I need in this world. So one last time. It goes like this. I am a spiritual being living in a physical body. In an uh, animal, sorry. I am a spiritual being 
living in an animal body. This evokes both love and fear. When I fully accept and embrace this truth, I will enjoy all the things I hold dear. May you enjoy all the things that you hold dear. <laughs> yeah. Namaste, baby. Aloha. So much love. talking stick back to you Richard hello hello <laughs> hello Richard hello yeah uh, I think he did a very very good job he now, did his, his way his way of, of approaching conditions is is his way. And each of us, by nature, is going to develop our own way as we go through these uh, these trying times. So, um, I don't know. I, you know, maybe uh, maybe we'll talk more in the next hour, if you'd like. Sure. Sure, Richard. All right. So how long is how long is Tanya? Yeah. Fifteen minutes. All right, that'll that'll finish off the hour. It will, Commander. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. It's Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrometrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the forecast where we look at an astronomerology event coming up in the stars and numbers. And in this case, it's the Gemini New Moon on May 30th, 12.30 p.m. Universal Time. That's London. And that's 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time, New York. And 4.30 a.m. Pacific Time, L.A. Now, this Gemini new moon is super exciting. It's very positive, has wonderful aspects, and it follows a very intense, empowering, cleansing, purging, total solar or total lunar full moon eclipse in Scorpio from May 15th and 16th. So it is very welcome. Gemini always is a more sprightly, fun energy, and this Lunation is incredible because it creates a sextile to Jupiter, sextile to Mars, and a sextile to Chiron, all in Aries. And it signifies wonderful new beginnings, being a new moon, and this incredible stellium in Aries creating this triple sextile, Aries being the first sign. And so there's this wonderful energy of healing and starting fresh. And the ruler of Gemini, which is the planet Mercury, 
creates a magnificent sextile to Neptune and a square to Saturn, which means you're taking responsibility for your spiritual life. You have a strong dedication to sharing a message that is both spiritual and practical. So it's not all in la-la land. It is literally the combination of your heart and mind being grounded and being connected to the divine all at once. So it's really about unity consciousness here. And, of course, we always want to look at the ruler of any lunation, in this case the new moon in Gemini, being ruled by Mercury, because it adds extra insight into the impact of the sign that the moon and the sun are in. In this case, they're both in Gemini. Now, Gemini is a sign of motion, activity. It is a fun sign of humor. It obviously governs communication and your skills and how you communicate. It governs facts and information, curiosity, writing and speaking, effective listening, of course, teaching as well. It governs siblings, short distance travel, understanding different viewpoints, awareness of options in your life, and a lot of variety and ability to think quickly and take all angles of a conversation into consideration. So that means really enjoying the moment and having a lot of ingenuity at the same time. Now, Gemini also governs relationships that are based on proximity, so closer to you, meaning siblings or neighbors, schoolmates, roommates, colleagues, anybody who plays a role in your life consistently in your immediate environment. And the sun and moon in this new moon are at nine degrees. Nine is an emotional number. It's in the triad of three, six, nine in numerology, which is the triad of love and creativity. And so there is a sense of letting go and feeling with the number nine. Nine is the the last single digit. So it does govern endings, but as well as unconditional love and compassion. So the sun and moon are at nine degrees in Gemini, creating a sextile to Mars, a very passionate planet. And remember that incredible connection to the three planets in Aries, which is the sign that Mars rules. Those three planets, again, are Chiron, Mars, and Jupiter. So that sextile to Mars and Jupiter especially is just so exciting. So that means even though you may find yourself feeling dejected in some way or despondent, this will really help you see there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that you just need to create that opening so you can see the light, to find it, to actively look for it, and to not focus on what's not working, but to focus on what you can do to make it work. So focusing on the solution, right? Mercury is sextile Neptune and square Saturn, as I mentioned, and trying to Pluto as well. So with the ruler of Gemini making all those connections and all these contacts, there are going to be more contacts in your life. You're going to be making more connections. Your mind will also be very active. So it happens on May 30th, 
2022. That date adds up to 14. 14 reduces to 5. 14 is the media number. Gemini and Mercury are connected to media by virtue of Mercury governing the communication field. So there is a sense of a lot of messaging, being able to share your message. Now, one thing I need to bring up at this point is that during this Gemini new moon, Mercury is actually in retrograde. Mercury, the ruler of Gemini. So it gives you a great perspective on the internal issues that may be preventing you from sharing a message, from being the messenger. Or it can also open up the internal so that your message is more profound, more deep, more truly from you as opposed to regurgitating data and info that you gleaned from external sources. So there is a real sense here of having great emotional focus and being more conscious due to the retrograde because you're turning within. Any retrograde takes you within. So your instinct is strong. Remember the moon is sextile Mars. You really are fired up. You're enthusiastic. I mean, Mars and Aries sextile any ruler of any lunation really creates new beginnings, energy, and a sense of independence and just celebrating your small and big successes so that you feel inspired to move forward. And, of course, the sun is also sextiling Mars, being next to the moon, and that energizes you and it stimulates you to act and you just sense that you're creatively on fire. And so you really trust What's coming through, you move forward quickly, you don't doubt it, and you can create tremendous momentum this way. The sun and moon, of course, has sextile Jupiter in Aries as well, and that is just a feel-good. I feel positive. I feel like I can navigate anything. I feel recognized. I feel open to miracles, and I feel open to recognize that Healing comes through joy. Jupiter is the planet of joy. Healing comes through sensing that joy is the most healing and cleansing and immediately accessible way for you to leave pain behind. So if you laugh at it, if you have humor, if you smile through it, if you, if you literally just activate a smile, even if you may not feel the smile, just smiling itself changes your physiology. So joy is the great healer. And remember that Chiron is the third planet that the sun and moon create a sextile to. Chiron is also in Aries and Chiron is the great healer. During this Gemini new moon, Mercury is actually in Taurus now. It started its retrograde in Gemini on May 10th and now has retrograded into Taurus. So that gives it more stability, more patience in terms of communication. So you don't fall into these patterns of judgment and you instead use that Mercury trine Pluto energy to ask how can I approach this in a new way and how can I change my approach to do a conversation, transform it, be open and flexible, purge whatever comes up for me 
and really connect to this person in a genuine way. So there'll be a lot of opportunities during this new moon to recalibrate how you do things and how you think about things. So this Gemini new moon is basically activating new beginnings in so many beautiful ways. There are a lot of blessings that come from the other planets, Mars and Jupiter coming together with this incredible sextile. This is really creating four connections between the sun and moon, Jupiter and Mars. And it brings a lot of gifts. It really helps you to tune into the ability to create joy and blessings in your life at will, which Mars, of course, loves to do, anything that is immediate. (laughs) Now, because Mercury, the ruler of Gemini, is in retrograde, you do want to take extra time to rest in general at this time, not to go on overdrive in terms of the speed limit, meaning not to speed things up to the point where it's too fast and you lose control, so that's the Mars energy, but to just be patient especially in how you communicate with others, because then you can initiate a wonderful natural flow of moving forward, as opposed to a willful, impatient, you know, which is not being in the flow anymore, but this propulsive energy that then, in a sense, separates you from your environment and your connection to the divine and the people around you. So lighten up, focus on what delights you, allow yourself to really embrace that lighter energy that Gemini brings. The twins, in a way, are bouncing off ideas, they're playful, they have each other, they are excited to share anything that comes up. And so this energy at nine degrees Gemini, which is so compassionate with that degree number, is allowing you to really have some enjoyment in your life, especially after this intense eclipse cycle that we just navigated through. This is a welcome break of light, delight, enlightenment, the lightness of being, just being in a place of stripping away mental anguish and mind games and anxiety and simplifying your life to embrace only what's essential. And the most essential part of life is when you smile at the world, when you smile at anyone, they light up. When someone smiles at you, it washes away everything, all the past and you know, the anxious moments because you are pulled into the present moment. And this is really the key to Gemini's humor is to allow that joy to flow through. Remember, Jupiter is creating this magnificent sextile to the new moon. Jupiter, the bringer of expansion and joy. So there's so much good news here to take heart in and to partake in and embrace in you, to allow it to flower, to allow it to unfold, to not impede it with whatever negative 
stuff you may be focusing on, allow that all to resolve itself. You don't need to partake in that. Your responsibility is to you. And Gemini reminds you that that is a request to lighten up and to partake in what really delights you. So have a beautiful Gemini new moon. Have a beautiful week. And remember, you have a star code as well. And if you want to discover yours, go to starcodeclass.com for a free masterclass on your birthday, birth certificate name, your astrology birth chart. It includes a free handout. It's magnificent in discovering you at soul level and infusing joy and gratitude. Again, it's free and you can enjoy that 90-minute masterclass at starcodeclass.com. Have a beautiful week and I'll see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love. Richard's there. Okay. Are you still there, Richard? I think, Richard. Are you? No. Time to go. No, it's time to go. So let's have the phone numbers. Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code. I'm still here. Okay. Oh, okay, Richard. Good. I wasn't sure. Okay. I'm sorry. Pass the talking stick back to you. So I'll see you in a few minutes. Okay. Okay. So give the pin code again, Drama. Okay, oh, Richard. 353863 pound. All right. And phone number. And phone number. Uh, 720-716-7301. There we go. All right. We'll see you at the conference, everyone. And then we'll be right back here in the next top of the hour, next, uh, at the top of the next hour, uh, with BBS radio, best radio there is in the universe. Right here, right now. Namaste for now, everybody. See you on the conference. All done, huh? Yeah. Thank you for honoring Vangelis, everybody. He was 91. Is that when he went over the rainbow? 87. 87. Yeah. 87. I think. Did they ever say what the cause was? No, they didn't really see yet. Not yet. No. Uh, was that um, what was the name of that one oh so long so clear so long so clear was that John Anderson and Van Gillis and Van Gillis together yeah and the band's name was yes right um, no. no I think it was their own Band, I'm not sure exactly. John Anderson was yes. John Anderson was yes, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, I John don't. Anderson was in there with Van Gallus, I think it was. Yeah, yes, maybe so. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm just going to say we had quite a uh, conversation, you know, in terms of the situations here and on the conference call. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, um, Hami was mentioning that a loaf of bread up in the Pacific Northwest and in and around Seattle town is anywhere from seven to ten dollars a loaf. Mm-hmm. Is that true here too? Yeah, like at Whole Foods and a few other places. If it's got wheat in it, they're going to pay for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see, we have, haven't eaten wheat for years and years and years. Uh, we read Dr. Gundry's book and he said, nope. And that's because of the, what do they call those things? <gasps> Lectins. Lectins. That are in that particular grain, which are extremely deleterious to the digestive system of the human body. Because they are a protective measure, like a coating to protect from nature devouring the grains. So survival mechanism. Um, but you can eat millet and there isn't any electins in the millet. And mm. millet is like, a hundred percent alkaline. And they make millet bread. Yes, and they that's what we buy. Mm. Or they combine it with hemp seed. Yeah. Millet hemp bread. It's delicious. Mm. And uh you can do stuff like that without lectins in your diet. That's just making a strong suggestion. <sighs> For a better health in the body. Things that we can do. <sighs> I know that the alchemy takes place with understanding, overstanding, understanding. It's not just what you're going to eat or what you're... It's, all, it's about this alchemical way of... Uh, Transforming consciousness, conscious awareness of the whole human being, and not people like Greg Locke, this global vision Bible thumper church pastor. You haven't seen any insurrection yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to do something that's going to make your hair curl. Mm. No, thank you. We don't need your performance, sir. Okay, so here we go. This is called Alchemical Patterns within Shakespeare and Giza. And this is, what mathematical mysteries did William Shakespeare encrypt within his legendary sonnets? Exploring the works of the band, polymath Robert Edward Grant deciphers the encoded alchemical knowledge connecting the European Renaissance with ancient Egypt. 
illuminating the work of Alan W. Green. Grant shares how the divine proportion, proportions and mathematical con- constants of the Great Pyramid of Giza are revealed within Shakespeare's masterpiece. So again, this will be Robert Edward Grant that's going to elucidate as the host uh, by asking questions of this uh, I guess he's the host. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's see what this has. This is 24 minutes, everybody. It's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> round and round we go. Oh my goodness, everyone. Hmm. Hmm. Send good vibrations for starting. Yeah. Are you doing it over again, Rama? Yeah, I'm doing it over again. Okay. There you go. Hit that middle button. Sometimes I... Oh. Sometimes you can uh, turn it on at the bottom there, you mean? Mm-hmm. could try to turn it off right there and down again and maybe that'll start it up just hit that button right there okay now start it up again right there huh there we go bingo okay <laughs> angels of technology I'm Rob. Oh dear. Well, turn it off and turn it on again right there at the same spot. Okay. Bert Grant, and this is the Codex. In our previous episodes, we've seen already how Leonardo da Vinci has encrypted detailed mathematical constants and other information into his various works after the time he spent in Egypt. The Vitruvian Man being principal and the first encryption that I was able to decrypt. Besides Leonardo da Vinci, however, were there other people during the Renaissance who possessed similar knowledge? Because surely it couldn't only be that Leonardo had access to such profound insights and information. 
The others that we noted that we have found thus far, and there are probably many that we don't yet know or realize, actually were so concerned that they might be found out that they felt the need to encrypt all of their efforts, not only in the form of encryption that we found already, both mathematical and artistic related, but even under a pen name. Might that pen name have been William Shakespeare? William Shakespeare is quite possibly one of the most famous people and prominent figures in English literature. Today, just the volume of words that he himself innovated and brought to the world is astounding. One could write an entire dictionary out of just the words he introduced to the English language alone. And yet, he even introduced concepts that were prevalent in other languages in the course of his plays, sonnets, and other literary works. William Shakespeare today stands as a paragon of English literature that is still studied and restudied over and over again by students the world over. One of the people that has done one of the most extensive research projects around William Shakespeare is my friend and colleague, Alan Green. Alan is the quintessential cryptographer and cryptologist that has cracked the Shakespeare code. Realizing that William Shakespeare himself is actually a collective of several different Rosicrucian and Renaissance period polymaths who not only wrote the plays of William Shakespeare, but also encrypted the sonnets, 154 of which include deep and profound messages of significance relevant to our day to day. And in addition, they even wrote the King James Version of the Bible. Alan is going to be explaining to us what he has found as he has researched all of the works of William Shakespeare in the simplicity as a starting point of the cover of the sonnets. These were poems written in such beautiful prose and they mirror iambic pentameter mathematical principles. Yet again, another form of experiencing geometric beauty. Alan Green has decrypted the cover of the sonnets and we're excited to share it with you today. This is the original title page of Shakespeare's sonnets as first published in 1609. It looks fairly normal for the period except for the two horizontal lines that usually add critical information between them. The fact that they're empty is a clue that's been ignored for 400 years. We're going to look deeper. We're going to literally connect the dots, the punctuation. The TT stands for Thomas Thorpe, the publisher. Look at the italic slope of that second T. It's actually guiding us to connect this dot at 1609 to this dot at imprinted, using the sloping T as a guide. Is there any other dot that's drawing attention to itself? Well, yeah, the G dot is only about 10 times the size it's supposed to be, and so let's connect it to the D dot and to the 1609 dot. Yeah, we're fine. We have a perfect 
right angle triangle. Interesting. Now, just as that second T was a guide, the dot after that second T is a guide. If we look where the 1609 dot is pointing through there and on up, it lands at the right end of the seemingly random top horizontal line, but obviously it's not random. I'm going to take that point and connect it to the G and it to the D, and again we have another second right angle triangle. Kind of makes you wonder about the second line here, and yes, same situation. The only dot left is the Aspley dot here, and if we do the same thing here, we find we've got four perfect right angle triangles. In fact, that last one is more than an ordinary right angle triangle. It's a perfect three or five triangle. We'll remember Pythagorean theory from high school, three squared plus four squared equals five squared, yes. So, what is this really? It's actually hiding this. Perfect circle passes through all the six points. This is a visual representation of something called Thales Theorem, named after the Greek philosopher whose scholars believe was Pythagoras' mentor. But Thales is best known. It's the first person to measure the height of the Great Pyramid of Giza, and he did it using the geometry of right-angle triangles. Now let's complete the image by connecting the two remaining intersections between the circle and the horizontal lines here and here. Now, obviously, no one works at this level of precision just to hide some triangles. There's got to be more going on here. We must measure them. By G, 2, B, E, N, E. During the Renaissance, the letter G was often used on maps and emblems to indicate the globe or the earth. And anciently, the Pythagoreans used the letter G to mean geometry itself, the measuring of the earth. So looking again, and these TT dots connected to the G, we have in the easterly direction, E for east, and it's a zero horizontal baseline. Now, if it's really about measuring the Earth, perhaps all these lines that are radiating out from this enormous G dot, drawing attention to itself, are all radiating out from it. Maybe they are intended to be thought of as lines of latitude. We measure this one, it's 20 degrees exactly. And this one below the horizontal baseline is 20 degrees exactly. And we have another baseline here, don't we, that we discovered the tangent to the circle. If we use that as a baseline, there's another angle here, 20 degrees. They're all perfectly 20 degrees. Makes you wonder about these two, the remaining ones that are on the circumference, the only ones that have not been measured, because they're not perfect. And so we have to measure them by trigonometry. I will spare you the math again. But essentially, we can surmise that because this is obviously oriented to the north of its baseline and this to the east, perhaps they are latitude north Longitude is N E. Well, the numbers are here and here worked out. Is it true that they are coordinates? Let that sink in. Stunning, exquisite, all done by placement of the punctuation 
and two lines. Wow. Alan's research is showing us that with the simplicity of two straight lines and six dots, one of which was oversized by about 10 times versus the others, the writers of the sonnets encrypted something very profound in a mathematical relationship called Thales' theorem. And in addition, as we'll soon see, almost all the major mathematical constants can be derived from the extrapolation of the Thales' theorem. But where is this going? Why would these Rosicrucian hermetic wisdom seekers be encrypting the cover of the sonnets? First and foremost, probably to protect their own lives and identity. Many of these people were involved in higher society in England at the time. Their queen, Queen Elizabeth, was known as the Virgin Queen. Very much attempting to protect her status as a virgin, which was very important politically vis-a-vis the Pope in Rome. And let's not forget that her father, King Henry VIII, was definitely anathematically seen in Rome because of his breakaway church, the Church of England. This was a highly charged time. The identities and actions of those that used the pen name of William Shakespeare were very important and must be protected. The individuals that were among those people that collectively were considered William Shakespeare were none other than the Queen's mathematician and astrologer, John Dee, as well as her lover, Edward de Vere, including as well, Sir Francis Bacon. And beyond that, others inclusive of Christopher Marlowe. These people wrote together the works of the sonnets and the plays. But what and why have they encrypted? Well, Alan, through his 17 years of research, has been able to uncover these encryptions for us today. And a great mystery pointing to one irrevocable place, the Ross Tau or Giza Plateau. Well, here are the two proportions that produce the E minus one ratio, followed by another sequence of proportions in purple. You don't have to do the math, just hold your breath, because the ratios of these proportions are to an incredible two five thousandths of a foot and four five thousandths of a meter. Staggering. So the three most prominent units of measure are found intimately connected to each other in the basic proportions pyramid. And in the same place where we found the 12 math constants. If we reduce the green foot to unity, the red measures 1.718 feet. This is actually the structure of Euler's number E, ratio 1 to 1.718. And so the qubit is E minus 1. This is the relationship between foot and cubit. 
Jacob Anoli, in 1683, working on compound interest, discovered this formula. The same one that banks use today to calculate the interest we owe on our credit cards. One is the amount that we borrow. And if we're compounding at 100% interest continuously, the maximum possible owed on a loan of $1 converges to 1.718, and the total is E, 2.718, and that's the total owed to the bank. This rate of growth is inherently built into creation. It's the natural base of logarithms. The incredible thing is, this implies the foot is synonymous with the principle, the original unity, uh, what we start with. And the cubit, the interest or growth, uh, doesn't only apply to banking. It shows up in calculus, probability theory. It's used to predict population growth or the rate of spread of an epidemic. It's inverse as the rate of radioactive decay. It's Newton found the same thing in 1669 with this infinite series of what's called reciprocal factorials. They're on the bottom with the exclamation points. They simply mean one, two times one, three times two times one, etc. to infinity. And this part of the series converges to 1.718, and there's the one unity preceding it, exactly as in Bernoulli's formula. Have we always been told that the foot was based on the average size of a human foot and the cubit on the distance from the point of the index finger to the elbow? And doesn't such an arbitrary choice sound bizarrely unscientific, especially now that we see beyond doubt that both based on this mathematically significant relationship, the universal constant of E? So what about the meter? By reducing it by the same ratio to match the unity foot, we discover this meter is the equivalent of 3.281 feet. Now, is there any mathematical connection between it and the cubit? Well, the French derived it from one ten millionth part of the meridian of the polar circumference. At least that's based on the science of geodesy, measuring the actual size of the Earth by the inherent geometry of circles. Perhaps we should look at other reliable, consistent attributes of our planet, like the 12 hours of day and the 12 hours of night that mark the Earth's rotation, or the 12-month seasons of its yearly revolution of the sun, which gives rise to the 12-month zodiac signs of the constellations which themselves embody a retrograde pattern far more mysterious to track, but which the ancient Vedic scriptures declare, based on a series of seasons, if you will, that take our planet through an inconceivably long cycle in multiple increments of 1,200 years each for the Iron Age, 2 times 1,200 each for the Bronze, 3 times 1,200 each for the Silver Age, 4 times 1,200 each for the Golden Age, and which altogether constitutes Plato's great year cycle 12,000 years ascending to 12,000 years descending. The question is, do we see a reflection of such patterns anywhere here in the meter-cubit relationship? Well, if we take a circle with radius one meter, its circumference is 12 cubits. So one cubit is exactly this portion of the arc, one-sixth of a slice of pi, or pi over 6, just the way we measure angles in radians. Pi over 6 is 0.5236. If we take the cubit in feet, 
divide by the meter in feet is precisely the same. Beautiful, yes? Let's take the whole thing now. Make foot cubic meter the radius of our circle. Circumference now it is 12 pi feet. That's to an astounding 99.9993% accuracy. Or look at just cubic meter as the radius. Let's stretch this here. That's now 10 pi feet circumference. In fact, when we make the cubic be the perfect e minus 1 meter, the perfect pi over 6, which works out to this little formula here, and the foot is perfect unity, the inherent mathematical perfection is in there between foot and cubit e, between cubit and meter pi, and it produces this. Cubit meter is exactly five feet, all but for a minuscule 0.00004 feet. That's an incredible accuracy of two fifty thousandths of a foot. To put that into perspective, it's roughly the size of a human red blood cell. And of course that means that all three combined is six feet. Now, the numbers five and six are found everywhere in sacred geometry. Five representing the microcosm of the normal everyday life we experience on Earth. Six representing the macrocosm, the state of being we associate with divine wisdom or our reconnection with God. And how does man attain this state? Simply by recognizing the presence of the one, the original unity, out of which the five of earthly existence has grown. So we see there's a stunning spiritual metaphor playing out here in this trinity of the world's predominant measuring systems. Foot, cubic, meter, simultaneously and cumulatively representing three different stages of growth. One of the things that we learn very quickly as we analyze the Great Pyramid is the Great Pyramid itself seems to house within its proportional dimensions new, hidden knowledge. Now, if you lived several thousands of years ago and you wanted to encrypt something for future generations, how could you encrypt it in a way that would be impervious to physical and outside calamity, earthquakes? How could you ensure that the papers and papyri that you wrote on wouldn't one day be burned and lost to history? Possibly the only way to do it would be to build a standing structure of mathematical proportions that were so obvious to the seeker that he or she could determine on their own the messages held within in a message of standing and living stone. What we have found and what Alan's research has revealed is that the Great Pyramid actually houses and embeds within it all the mathematical constants. In fact, we have taken this analysis to include over 80 of the mathematical and physical constants that virtually determine the nature of our universe around us. And additionally, even the units of measure themselves that we use through the ages, namely the Royal Egyptian cubit, which is 1.718 feet, the meter, as well as the foot, 
all embedded into the construction of the Great Pyramid? But what does this tell us? The ancient builders of the Giza Plateau seem to very clearly have known the foot, the cubit, and the meter, and have embedded in the construction of the Great Pyramid advanced knowledge possibly exceeding our own knowledge today of fundamental mathematical constants. What the Renaissance polymaths had uncovered and understood is that the Great Pyramid is simply a reflection of our own understanding and ascending awareness and greater consciousness. John Dee, the Queen's astrologer in Elizabethan England, was a genius mathematician and polymath. He was also an incredible cryptographer who had done amazing things. Some credit him even with assisting the Queen to defeat the Spanish Armada, more than 500 ships that came to attack and take control and conquer England at its moment of weakness. Somehow, after the Queen had met with John Dee, an incredible storm fell upon the Spanish Armada, which left it broken and destroyed, paving the way for England to become a powerhouse nation vis-a-vis the other countries across the European theater at the time. John Dee was also a hermeticist. As a hermeticist, he understood the relationship of Thoth, Hermes, Trismegistus. In fact, in a treatise that he wrote called the Monas Hieroglyphica, he articulated the details of what it meant to experience higher knowledge of Hermeticism. In that Hermetic treatise, he describes all the details of this higher dimensional form of understanding and wisdom. The Monas Hieroglyphica stands for us today as an ensign and an example of what each of us can attain to achieve a higher level of wisdom. In our next episodes, we're going to be showing you the relationship of how we can take this higher knowledge of hermetic wisdom and apply it to our daily lives. We're also going to find deeper, more hidden encryptions in others of Leonardo da Vinci's works and even examine other polymaths through time who have encrypted these self-same messages to us for our benefit and use today. Oh my goodness. Mm. Oh my goodness. So Rama, did you decide which one you want to play next? Um. That was a mouthful. I thought he said that Queen Elizabeth was the Pope's child or something. Or maybe <coughs> I misunderstood, but I just wanted to make sure everybody understands. Henry VIII was Queen Elizabeth's papa. Mm-hmm. And they didn't say one word about Sir Francis Bacon, about him being mm. Queen Elizabeth's son. That was weird. Mm. It's just, oh my goodness. Yes, Sir Francis Bacon, St. Germain, was Queen Elizabeth I's son. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll just yeah. say Diana was Queen Elizabeth I. She didn't want to share that through Omida, but I'm just saying that did happen. Okay. So we're doing energizing and regenerating. Wait, wait, wait. Don't start. Yeah, I'm getting there. How did that happen? Oh, <laughs> it's doing. Okay. Are we going to do this one, energizing and regenerating the body cells? Yes. Okay, this one. Let me just read this a little bit here, honey. All right, this is uh, George Nury, and he's featuring Ben Fuchs. How can we learn to heal and fine-tune our bodies at a cellular level? The rogue pharmacist, Ben Fuchs. We like everything rogue, don't we? (laughs) Returns to beyond belief to discuss the biochemical principles of improving cellular function through daily practices to boost our energy and immunity systems. Rather than an often abused and non-effective pharmaceutical approach, Fuchs insists that we can prevent medical ailments through better awareness of our bodies and nutrition. By utilizing a varied intake of whole and fermented foods, Yes. Uh, what do you call that stuff? Fermented cabbage, everybody. Mm, sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. But they also have fermented all kinds of vegetables these days. Mm-hmm. Pick your delicacy. But fermented foods, yes. Uh, we have a little bit with our one meal a day. That's very helpful. We can diversify our microbiomes to regenerate cells, to improve overall body function. (sighs) Building a natural awareness with healthy habits can give us the power to take control of our own well-being. Okay, let's do this, Rama. This one is Mm. 39 minutes. 39 minutes. George Nury and Ben Fuchs. English language. Coming on. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, 2026. 20, mm. 3 is 9 and 5 is 14. Today is a 5-day. A day of change. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. I know that Richard said the astrology saying this is going to Take a while, but I'm seeing that we're being forced to go deeper, no matter how they lie. It's forcing people to think. I like that. Who said that? That we're called thinkers. Well, this was just said today, Rama. Was that Kate Pasha? 
like Matthias, right, Matthias, thinkers. When we are diseased, we are short-circuiting. We're short-circuiting at the level of the tissues and the organs, and we're short-circuiting, most fundamentally, at the level of the cell. The good news is, we don't need medical intervention to do what the cell needs. The cell only needs three things. It needs to be fed, it needs to be oxygenated, and it needs a clean place to do its work. Love is curiosity. There's a relationship between love and curiosity in the sense that when you're curious about something, you're showing love, and when you love something, you're curious about it. Welcome to Beyond Belief, natural pharmacist from criticalhealthnews.com, Ben Fuchs. I call him the rogue pharmacist, challenges modern pharmaceutical practices and their toxicity in the body. Hello, rogue pharmacist. Hello, Joe. Good to see you again. Welcome to Beyond Belief. Thank you for having me. Why do we call you the rogue pharmacist? Because I am a rogue. You know, pharmacy has a reputation for being very conservative and very orthodox. And I, what I love about pharmacy is the idea that you can use modalities from outside the body to adjust the inside of the body. And of course, what is the most powerful thing that we do every day on a regular basis that comes from the outside the body, that comes from outside the body that changes inside the body? We do it three times a day or more. We eat. So to me, we should eat. We should eat. Or, you know, once, twice, three times a day. The point being, when we eat foods, we adjust our bodies in a way that is akin to pharmaceuticals, but much kinder and much gentler. So I consider myself a rogue pharmacist because I work on how we can use things from outside the body to interact with the inside of the body for our benefit, but not pharmaceuticals. You know, when most people think of drugs, they think of pharmaceuticals, right? Absolutely. But that's only been the last 150 years or so, or 170 years or so, since the advent of modern pharmacology, since aspirin came about. Before aspirin, before organic chemistry, which is about the 1850s, 1840s, the pharmacist had a mortar and pestle, and he'd be grinding herbs, or he'd be tincturing herbs, or they'd be making homeopathic remedies. They'd That's be, what you do. That's what I do, exactly. So I'm a rogue pharmacist only in the sense that today when we think of pharmacy, we think of the pharmaceutical companies. But really from a tra- tra- traditional standpoint, I'm a traditional pharmacist, not a rogue pharmacist. It's almost like you know they call uh, herbal medicine and nutritional medicine and even homeopathic medicine or energy medicine alternative. Yeah. Well, to me... The pharmaceutical version of medicine should be the alternative, and we should be using foods, and we should be using plants, and we should be using mind power, and we should be using energy medicine as our primary source of medicine. So yes, I'm a rogue pharmacist, but in my head, I'm doing the the orthodox and traditional pharmacy. Why did you become a pharmacist? Because I loved chemistry. I was one of those kids that had a chemistry set. I had one too. You know, it it was fun to see how biology, chemistry, second frogs. It's exciting when you're a kid, and I was always fascinated with the brain and the mind, and I was always curious about how chemistry worked with the brain and how our perceptions were really based on chemical reactions that were occurring in our nervous system. And so when I was a farm, when I went, uh, considering going to pharmacy school, I considered studying how food, because I was always interested in food and nutrition, how food and nutrition interacted with the body via the brain and how our thoughts and our perceptions and our mental health or our lack of mental health was related to the kind of foods we eat and the kind of nutrition we we intook. And in fact, I often wonder, George, you know, we live in this violent society and there's all this crime and people are depressed and there's craziness and anxiety, all of this stuff. How much of that do you think is related to the kind of foods we're eating? 
Maybe some, right? Maybe some. You know, we know that can't rule it out. Excitotoxins. We know that foods, not only these days, don't provide us with nutrition, George. They actually deprive us of nutrition. In other words, it costs us sure. nutrition to process the foods, and the foods don't provide the nutrition. So we become more and more deficient the more and more we eat. When I traveled from oh, St. Louis to Boulder to do this program, I have not taken all my supplements that I normally take on a daily basis. I feel guilty. How do you feel? Do you feel low at less energy? No, do you feel no, anything? Not really. Not yet. Yeah. I don't think one day is going to do that. You feel hungrier, but I feel like I'm guilty of something. <laughs> well, it's, it's your body's wisdom talking to you. Do you notice that you eat more food, or you want to eat more food, or you're hungrier? No, the less supplements you take. Me. I've got yeah. incredible discipline. Okay. Now, when you call yourself the pharmacist. Looking for good health. Yeah. What is good health to you? That's a great question, George, because it's kind of a vague term. But from a biochemical perspective or a bioelectrical perspective, it really is not vague at all. Health comes from the word whole. When we're healthy, our body is integrated. All the parts of it are integrated into a whole. And that means that the energy can flow from point A to point B effectively. Right. From a biochemical or a bioelectrical perspective, poor health, poor wholeness, if you will, is fragmentation. And that fragmentation, instead of allowing the electricity to flow evenly, creates short circuits. And so when we are diseased, we are short-circuiting. We're short-circuiting at the level of the tissues and the organs, and we're short-circuiting, most fundamentally, at the level of the cell. And that's really what it's all about, George. It's about the cell. We don't ever hear about the cell in medicine. We always hear about the organ. You know, people always talk about oh, breast cancer, for example. You know, there's no such thing as breast cancer, George. There's no such thing as what bone cancer. What do you mean there's no such thing as Let me elaborate here. There's no such thing as bone cancer. There's no such thing as prostate cancer, right? Sounds crazy, right? There's breast cell cancer. There's prostate cell cancer. There's bone cell cancer. And this is much more than a semantical distinction that I'm making. You see, cancer, like all diseases, is not an organ phenomena. It's a cell phenomena. This is why it's important, George. Oh. See, and they replicate. When cells replicate, well, cancer is very fascinating. They replicate as cancer cells. But here's the point. See, a cell doesn't need medicine. In fact, there's no medicine that can help a cell. This is why we never hear about it. The only thing that's in the uh, only tool that's in the medical person's uh, magical bag of tricks are tools that can drug the cell, that can radiate the cell, that can electrocute the cell or that can starve the cell. We cannot do anything good for the cell from a medical perspective. So we never hear about it. We always hear, oh, we gotta take that organ out, or oh, we gotta shut down that chemistry, or we gotta radiate it, or we gotta electrocute it. See, here's the good news. The good news is we don't need medical intervention to do what the cell needs. The cell only needs three things. It needs to be fed, it needs to be oxygenated, and it needs a clean place to do its work. And while there's no magical tools in the doctor's bag of tricks that can feed a cell or oxygenate a cell or detoxify a cell, we don't need it because it's all lifestyle. And that's the beautiful thing about recognizing the cellular nature of disease. When we understand that when we're sick, we're sick at the level of the cell, we'll understand why not only can the medical practitioner's tools not help the cell, but even worse, we'll uh, we'll understand why the medical practitioner's tools hurt the cell, radiate the cell, kill the cell, excise the cell. And we'll understand, because the cell doesn't need a lot of stuff, 
that it's a question of what we eat. It's a question of how we breathe and how we oxygenate. And it's a question of keeping the environment clean. And that's all you have to do to stay healthy. And we talked about fragmentation being a sign of disease. When all of the cells of the body, keep this in mind, George, there's a hundred trillion of them. How is that even possible that you have a hundred trillion entities that are microscopic that are somehow integrated enough to form George or to form Ben or to form a heart or to form a liver? The amount of coordination and integration that it takes in order for us to even just blink an eye or move a finger or wiggle a toe is so miraculous that we are literally walking miracles just by virtue of our ability to sit and breathe and and do the most fundamental and basic things that we do in our lives. This has been a doctor, Dr. Stanislav Brzezinski. Love him. He has been blacklisted. He has been put on trial for his work and discoveries trying to heal cancer. Isn't that terrible? I first heard of Dr. Brzezinski back in the late 1980s when he was in a battle with the Texas Medical Board and the FDA regarding his innovative approach to cancer. Dr. Brzezinski had MRIs and brain tumors known to be almost universally fatal and it simply disappeared. It was obvious to me that Dr. Brzezinski had made the most important discovery in cancer treatment ever. While undergoing his research to acquire his PhD, Dr. Brzezinski made a profound discovery. He found a strain of peptides in human blood and urine that had never before been recorded in biomedical research. As his curiosity in these peptides evolved, he made another profound observation. People who were inflicted with cancer seemed to lack these newly discovered peptides in both their blood and urine, while those who were healthy and free of cancer appeared to have an abundance. The worst type of cancer can be cured for good. The people who are surviving, they live normal life. No side effects from treatment, no symptoms, no sign of tumors, back to life. Since Dr. Brzezinski began treating cancer patients with antineoplastons, he has successfully treated virtually every type of cancer, relieving thousands of families from across the world of this dread disease. Yet, unlike other clinical trials which are supported by billion-dollar pharmaceutical companies and are often assisted by large tax-funded research grants from the National Cancer Institute, the United States government currently prohibits any taxpayer money to be granted to Dr. Brzezinski's FDA-approved clinical trials. The problem that we face, however, is that a huge financial house has been built on the paradigm of purging the body of cancer cell. Brzezinski's discovery means that the foundation, the walls, and the roof of that house need to be replaced. Why go after Brzezinski? What are, what are they after? Well, so this is like Dr. Whitaker was saying, this is a big financial boondoggle. We don't necessarily want to cure cancer. We want to keep it going. Now, here's the thing, George. Cancer, a cancer cell is not a bad guy. It's just a, ro- uh, a cell that's gone wild. It's gone wild. It's under duress like a criminal. You know, criminals aren't bad people necessarily. They've been abused. So when a cell is starved, when it's suffocated, especially suffocated, and when it's toxic, what will happen is if all things are working correctly, the cell will commit suicide. This is really cool. There's a suicide program built into the cell called uh-huh. apoptosis. And this self-suicide prevents this dysfunctional or sick or broken down, starving, suffocated, toxic cell from reproducing. And that's a good thing. However, every once in a while, that apoptosis, self-killing or suicidal program 
won't work. And then that cell, it starts to buy replicate more and more. But here's the thing. See, George, there's two kinds of cells. There's old cells from an evolutionary perspective. We call them pro-cells or prokaryotes. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, advanced cells, like uh, animal cells and plant cells. Animal cells and plant cells are said to be eukaryotes, good cells or advanced cells. Sure. When a cell is under duress, it will not expend the energy. It doesn't have an ability to expend the energy to make all the substructures, to make uh, the nucleus where the genetic material is, to be functional enough so that it can become a liver or a bone, or a prostate instead. Or a it, kidney. Or a kidney, or anything. See, a cancer cell is a cell, almost as if it's saying to you, George, or to saying to the owner of the cancer cell, you have been suffocating me and starving me for so long and, and accumulating, uh, su- subjecting me to toxicity for so long. You know what? I am not going to be a liver anymore. I am going to be my own thing. I'm not going to become a hepatocyte, a liver cell. I'm just going to become my own thing, and I'm going to divide on my own. I'm not going to give up of my independent will to become an organ, to become a liver or a kidney or a bone. You have been abusing me for so long, I am now going to just divide and divide and divide and divide. And that's why cancer cells are so problematic. They don't give themselves up uh, for the team. They don't give themselves up for the organ. They become sociopathic. They become just living for themselves. There's a big metaphor here because human beings function the same way when they've been abused for long enough. They say, forget it. I'm not going to be a contributing member of society. A cell is a, a cancer cell is a cell that no longer wants to become a contributing member of the society mm-hmm. and it divides on its own. Like a bacteria cell, which is what a prokaryote is. Essentially, a cancer cell is a cell that goes backwards in time. It, it reverses evolution from being an advanced cell into being a primitive cell. A cell that no longer cares about anybody but itself and instead of forming organs, it forms films. And these films are made up of independent and discrete cells in a way that advanced cells are not when they become an organ. And the fact that they're dividing so rapidly means they're using nutrition rapidly. And this is how people die of cancer. Cancer doesn't really kill on its own. It kills by robbing the body of nutrition because it's dividing so fast. It chokes the body. It chokes the body. It chokes the body in itself in these films, and it robs the body of nutrition. And that really is the issue with cancer. This is why, George... There will never be a cure for cancer because you see, cancer is an adaptive response. But what's Brzezinski doing? Brzezinski is uh, curing the. He's not really curing cancer. He's eliminating. He's, he's uh, changing the environment that the cancer lives in. See, when a cancer cancer is so brilliant, a cancer cell is brilliant. Cancer loves sugar too. Well, it loves sugar, but it, it wants to manipulate the environment so that uh, it can proliferate. So it will produce chemicals that will break down the environment and protect itself against the defense response, against the immune system. What Brzezinski's doing is he's removing some of those chemicals that the cancer needs in order to proliferate and survive. But as long as you keep abusing the body by robbing it of oxygen, most importantly, this is something Dr. Otto Warburg talked about many years ago, and we're now starting to really appreciate, uh, depriving it of nutrition and drowning it in sugar and acids and chemicals and all the other things that are part and parcel of our 21st century American lifestyle, cancer is going to come back. What you want to do is you want to change the environment that the cancer cell is sitting in. This is so important. It's the environment that needs to change. We're obsessed with what we see, and that is the cell, but it's the environment that the cell is sitting in, the soup, if you will. And that is so cool because what it tells you is the cell is responsive to the environment. Change the environment, you will change the cell. 
You're a pharmacist, but you're opposed to most prescription drugs. Why? Well, it's not that cut and dry because there are times when you need prescription drugs. Yes, absolutely. Right? I had knee surgery a few years ago, and I remember them rolling me out of the out of the hospital, uh, out of the uh, operating room on the gurney, and I was laying there, and I heard this voice. And it sounded like my voice, but it didn't seem to be coming from my mouth, and it was going, morphine, give me morphine, just like that. And I wasn't saying vitamin C, and I wasn't saying whey protein. I was saying morphine, and praise God that we have morphine because you know what, George? Before morphine, when they needed to take your leg off, they gave you something to bite on, or maybe or whiskey, <laughs> or a little bit of whiskey, right? And they got to sawing. Can you imagine what this must have been like? Oh. Right? When they did surgery in the Middle Ages, they would have to hold you down before right. you withered in pain. Can you imagine what this must have been like? So. You know, I'm not Pollyannish about prescription drugs, but here's the problem with prescription drugs. We use them to disguise the signs of our ineffective lifestyle. We mask things and abuse things. Exactly. For example, diabetes drugs, right? To this day, among the best-selling drugs every year is diabetes drugs, metformin specifically. Sure. Every year. Why is it... That diabetes, which is the leading cause of death in this country, when you factor its involvement with cancer and you factor its involvement with autoimmunity and dementia, blood sugar, and I don't really like calling it diabetes, dysglycemia, messed up blood sugar, is the leading cause of death, George, and it is a purely, purely, 100% lifestyle issue. It is not genetic. It is not the atmosphere, the air. It is what you're putting in your body. It's the body's response to sugar. But yet we think it's okay, and I, I mean the paradigm, Dr. Whitaker talked about the paradigm, it's really a paradigm, it's not about individuals, and it's not about individual doctors, I've got to be very clear about this, doctors are good people, They're, the problem is the model, the paradigm, the paradigm says, eat what you want to eat, and we have a little metformin for you to, to adjust your blood sugar, live your life the way you want to live it, and we'll give you a drug, you know, there's a, I was just reading the other day, how antibiotics are now known to be stored in the microbiome, the bacteria that live in the gut, and the bacteria that live in the gut are now known to change the effect of probiotic of uh, antibiotics. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? So even good drugs that have obviously saved a lot of people, like antibiotics, have a dark side to them. And so that's number one. Problem number one is the fact that we can continue about our lifestyle that caused the problem in the first place and just take a drug in order to hide the symptoms. Not to change the problem, because you're still shortening your lifespan. Your, your body is still breaking down. You just don't see it. That's number one. But here's where it really gets to be problem. And nobody ever talks When you take a prescription drug, the body looks at that from a cellular perspective. It's all about the cell. Sure. The cell looks at that drug. You know what it says? It says, get the Satan behind me. It says, get out of here. It does not want that drug. So when you eat food, when you eat an amino acid or a vitamin, mineral, or essential fatty acid, that gets incorporated into the cell. The cell can now work with that material. But when you take a drug... That that's regarded as a poison and it mobilizes and marshals the entire poison control system. All drugs do this. And when that happens, the body has to use vitamin C to detoxify the drug. It has to use vitamin E. It has to use the B complex. It has to use copper. It has to use magnesium. So not only is the drug not helping, but it's costing you the precious nutrients that you uh, are uh, your body has that would help you with the problem in the first place. And then as if that's not bad enough, drugs don't just work on one part of the body. They work on the entire body. So you take a calcium channel blocker for your heart, that's going to affect 
your kidneys, that's going to affect your prostate, that's going to affect your digestive system, that's going to affect your brain. It can't help but do it. But you know what they call it? They call it side effects. It's not a side effect. It's an effect. They make it seem like it's a, oh, it's an oops. And it's, it's a, a big effect. It's a huge effect. Gaia News reported on the importance of gut microbiome. Yes. In an interview with Dr. John Dulliard. Let's watch. Best way to boost microbial diversity, the first step is with fiber. And what fiber does is not only does it feed the bugs in your gut, but also attaches to the bile, which is like a Pac-Man in your liver gobbling up toxins, a Pac-Man in your intestinal tracts, cleaning out all the villi in your intestinal tract. And when you eat that fiber, it takes all the toxins to the toilet. But if you don't eat enough fiber, up to 94% of that of the bile with toxins in tow, get reabsorbed back to your liver, and they dump their trash back into your liver, making it more difficult for your body to properly detox. And in an environment of toxicity, environmental pollutants, endocrine disruptors, it's so critically important we have a detox system that is really optimal. For Dr. Duyard, eating seasonally also plays a vital role in promoting diversity. As the studies show that, that the bugs in the soil change dramatically from season to season. And we have bugs that are actually are really good at delivering fat and fiber as fuel in the spring and carbohydrates and starches in the fall. So how do we get microbial diversity back is by starting to eat more diverse foods in season, get the right bugs at the right season so you have the ability to burn fat as fuel in the spring and carbohydrates as fuel in the summer. He is right. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. I got to love Dr. Duyard. I've known him for many years. He's a really good guy. He's 100% correct. I would add on the fiber, if people don't realize the detoxifying power of fiber, we talk about it for bowel movements and for you know digestive health, but it's extremely important for detoxification. Here's something else that's really cool about fiber, George. Bacteria eat fiber and they release some of the most powerful, mood-stabilizing, happy chemicals you could ever imagine. Something called butyric acid, which is a fatty acid that not only is important for your mood, but it's also important for your immune system. It's also a tremendous bodybuilder. It's a bodybuilding supplement. And it helps you sleep on top of that. And these are all the benefits that you get from fiber. I've talked to uh, people, carnivore people. Have you ever talked to the carnivore people who only eat meat? And for the life of me, I can't figure out how anybody could think from a health perspective that you could somehow be better off by not ingesting fiber-containing foods. It's that important. In fact, every day, what I do in the morning, because I don't have time to eat a big breakfast, but I want to be full, I want to have stuff in my stomach, I grind up flax seeds in coffee grinder and put uh, put a little bit put them in water with a little bit of cinnamon and a little bit of clove and I make the most delicious fiber drink and flax seeds are particularly uh, a good source of nutrition not just for fiber protein and for vitamins and for omega sure. fatty acids and the fiber fills up your belly and it so you're satisfied and as it drops down into your intestine it feeds your bacteria as Dr. as Dr. Giardis. What do you call good health? Good health is when you want to get up in the morning and do your life. And that's such a great question because we have allowed the medical model to move the goalposts. They tell us good health is a good cholesterol score. It's good blood pressure, a good blood pressure score. It's right. a good uh, basal metabolic rate or a good Take the step, score. Gerard. Right? Yeah, it's a good they, – they've allowed us to think that health is about metrics. But health is not about metrics because you can have a high thyroid uh, – you can be making a lot of thyroid hormone and feel lousy. Or vice versa. You could have low cholesterol and uh, have a, get a heart attack, or you could have high cholesterol and get, uh, live a good long life. The markers of health 
are not health. Low cholesterol is worse than high cholesterol, isn't it? Cholesterol is one of the most misunderstood molecules. If to a biochemist, which I consider myself to be, cholesterol is the most important and miraculous molecule in the body. The more stress you're under, the more you need cholesterol. The more bodybuilding you're doing, the more you need cholesterol. The more your immune system is suppressed or you're under immune attack, the more you need cholesterol. The more your brain is starting to, uh, with brain function is starting to decrease, the more you need cholesterol. Cholesterol is the body's uh, adapting molecule. And if you wanted to suppress a culture's ability to adapt to their environment, to thrive in their environment, you would give them a drug that suppressed their cholesterol. That's, that's the height of the biochemical lunacy of pharmacological models that we, the pharmacological models that we use to keep, uh, to protect against heart disease. Why don't most people take care of themselves? You know, that's a loaded question, George. I don't know that that's necessarily a health issue. I think there are, number one, there's, there's ignorance. We don't know. True. I don't mean that in an insulting way, but we just are ignorant of the facts. We don't know. We're not aware of things. Yeah, we're not aware of things. And I think also, George, there's an element of we don't know how good we can feel. We set the bar so low on health that we're just happy if we get up in the morning. <laughs> we don't know that it's possible to jump out of bed in the morning. What do you do every morning? First thing in the morning, George. You're doing your, your royal, <laughs> do my royal Canadian Air Force exercise. Exactly. Exactly. We are capable of not just getting up in the morning and, and, you know, I, bleary eye walk into the coffee maker and making a cup of coffee. We're capable of every morning bounding out of bed and doing exercises and having the blood circulate. This is, I'm not judging anybody or saying anybody's bad for not doing it, but this is what we're capable of. But we don't know that because we've allowed other people to tell us what health means. It's like when I get calls from people who have cancer, right? And, uh, and they've been diagnosed with certain things. It's, it's really tragic, it's right? So what I say is don't worry about your cancer. Worry about how good you feel. Worry about the energy levels you have. Take advantage of the, the metrics that are experiential. Not the metrics that are on the piece of paper that you got via email or that the doctor gave you when you left the office. The metrics that you can really sense and perceive. How clear you're thinking, how much energy you have, the kind of sleep you're getting. All of these metrics are metrics that are within our control. They're experiential metrics that we can perceive really in real time. And they're metrics that we can change really in real time. Dr. Joe Dispenza on Gaia's Rewired program talked about how the mind can change your body chemistry. Love that. If you think the same thoughts every single day, and for the most part, most people, 80% to 90% of their thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before. And your biology, your neurocircuitry, your neurochemistry, your hormones, and even your gene expression is equal to how you think, how you act, and how you feel. In other words, everything stays the same in the body if you stay the same. Well, it begs the question then, is it possible that new thoughts that lead to new choices, that lead to new behaviors, that create new experiences, that lead to new emotions and new feelings that could inspire new thoughts, begin to change your biology would you begin to see significant changes in the brain as well as the body? And our research proves that when you change, everything changes around you. I agree with that, 100%, 100%. Information is not just a word, it has meaning, information. 
how we think is a function of how the uh, the neurons, the nerve cells take form in the brain. The famous neurologist named Hebs who said, nerves that fire together, wire together. And what ends up happening when nerve cells fire a certain way, they form patterns in the brain, and then energy is conducted through, through those patterns that creates thoughts and ultimately creates hormones and chemistry and creates our lives. Information, new information that comes in creates new forms in formation. It creates new forms inside the brain, and the neurons start to take on different shapes. So instead of a, a pattern or a web of neurons that creates a, a, uh, a final shape that will lead you to smoke cigarettes, you can create a pattern or a shape or a web of neurology that makes you want to quit smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It requires it. Mm. Um. <laughs> it's dancing around. Mm-hmm. You got it's it stopped, but it's it's going in circles. I thought maybe you could oh. inspire it. <laughs> no, it's no problem. This is very interesting. Both of, the amount of information we're getting lately is is profound, and information. So, so Dr. Joe's right. Dr. Joe's always right. Dr. Joe's amazing. You know, he, uh, we have this thing in pharmacy they call the placebo effect. Have you ever heard of the placebo yeah, effect? Exactly. Right? So they have to take it out because if they don't take it out of the experiment, they won't know. They, they won't tr- know. They won't know. So what, I what say, works and what doesn't. how about if we take out the drug and use the placebo effect? How about if we started teaching people how to control their biochemistries? You know, People talk about mind over matter. It sounds woo-woo, right? Oh, mind over matter. You really believe that? Look, mind over matter. You lift your hand. That's mind over matter. You you perform any biological function, any uh, motor function, you're doing mind over matter. We experience the power of the mind with every movement we make. We just don't attribute it to the mind, unfortunately, and that ultimately is to our, uh, to our ultimate uh, loss. What about eating right? Supplements, minimal prescription drugs. What kind of road are we on? Are we going down the right path? Heck yes. You have to throw in a couple more things. Breathing. Don't forget you're into that. Heck yes, I'm into that. I don't want to ever stop breathing, George. But I'm kind of kidding because we do learn to hold our breath as part of a stress response. You know, if you think of something right now that's unpleasant, you'll find yourself doing a little micro contraction. Just think of it. You just kind of perceive it. Just think of something that you don't like, something going on in your life you don't like. You'll feel a little micro-contraction. A little tense. A little tense, right? We learn to do this as babies, and this these micro-contractions continue the rest of our lives, and they create a sort of armor on the body. In fact, Dr. Dr. Wilhelm Reich called it body armoring. And these uh, armored pockets that we have throughout our body represent places where we're not getting oxygen. Mm -hmm. And these places where we're not getting oxygen ultimately become little pockets of death. And that's what causes ultimately someone to say at the end of 40 years of life, oh my God, my knee hurts. (laughs) Or oh my God, I've got fibromyalgia. Or oh my God, God forbid, you get cancer. What you're experiencing is the end result of decades of these micro contractions which represent losses of oxygen to the body, which is why one of the most relaxing, peaceful, health-inducing things you could ever do, George, 
is practicing what I call SDR breathing. Slow, very important slow. Deep, very important to activate the lower through part your of the body. Through your nose. Always through the nose. Nose is for breathing, mouth is for eating. Unless you really need to get a lot of breath in, then you use the mouth. But for these exercises, all... Oh, not again. What is this journey? Always through the nose. You activate nitrous, <laughs> nitric oxide uh, uh, cell, uh, uh, opening cells right in the top of your nose that lower your blood pressure and improve your mood, improve your immune system. And you only get those in the top of the nose. And at the bottom of the diaphragm, where you expand your diaphragm, you activate your parasympathetic relaxation nervous system, and the brain loves rhythm. Isn't nitric oxide good for you? Heck yes, it's good for you. It dilates your arteries. Amazing. It? it was molecule of the year in 1999. And arginine, the amino acid arginine, is one of the best nutritional supplements for getting your nitric oxide. You know, you've heard of nitrates, the problem, nitrates and all that. Nitrates are good for you. They're just not good for you when they come in concentrated forms in the term, in terms so of. So you get them from L-arginine, right? You make nitric oxide from L-arginine. Right. Arginine, uh, arginine, amino acids are amino acids because they contain nitrogen. An amino acid is a sugar or a fat with nitrogen, carbohydrate with nitrogen. Nitrogen turns ordinary glycerin, you've heard of glycerin, right? Absolutely. Ordinary glycerin into dynamite. What's dynamite? Oh. Exactly. Boom. Nitroglycerin. Nitroglycerin is glycerin, ordinary glycerin. You could drink it. You could put it in your skincare products. Sure. Turns it into an explosive, uh, something that's so explosive you could blow a mountain open with it. Wow. Nitroglycerin. If you take uh, dynamite, TNT, right? TNT is tri-nitro-toluene. It's, it's a nail polish remover with, a, with nitrogen. Nitrogen's explosive. The farmers all know about the explosive power of nitrogen. Remember the, uh, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing? Mm-hmm. What did they use? Fertilizer. What does fertilizer have? Nitrogen. <laughs> exactly. Nitrogen gives us the power to be human. It gives plants the power to grow. It's an explosive element. But that's why it's so problematic when you use it as a preservative because you're getting concentrated nitrogen. Nitrogen in a way that nature never intended us to have nitrogen. One of the best ways to get nitrogen is from green leafy vegetables that have been grown in good soil, which is why when Popeye wanted to get strong to fight off spinach. Exactly, because spinach is one of nature's best sources of explosive nitrogen. Why is it that some people look their age and some people don't? Well, you know, we're talking about these micro contractions, right? And we talked about it for the body. The face holds lots of micro contractions. We hold, we have so many muscles in our face. In fact, one of the biggest muscles, I think the biggest muscle in the body is right in the jaw. The jaw. If yeah. you want to have your face look really beautiful for a really long period of time and at the same time get better sleep, improve your immune system and feel more relaxed, learn to relax the face. How do you do that? By just focusing on the muscle groups and relaxing them. You can do, you can do it right now. You mean like mentally? mentally? What's that? Or where, where? Like that. Ah, left slack jaw. I mean, you don't want to do it in public, maybe. Not on television. <laughs> but What's that? What, what's that affliction where your muscles in your face? That was palsy? Yeah. Yeah, that's horrible, right? It's associated it with it. It's a terrible nerve condition where you lose control of half of your face and it just droops. And it's, it's an awful thing. The skin. How important uh-huh. is the skin? You know I love the skin, George. Right? I love the skin. I love the skin. It's uh, the body's mo- It's the body's largest organ, and it's my favorite organ. I find the skin so fascinating because 
we have this love-hate relationship with the skin, right? We love our skin. We spend billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars on taking care of it, on skincare products. We spend way more on taking care of our skin and way more time spent taking care of our skin than our heart. Imagine if we took care of our heart an hour a day, like a lot of people do with their skin. We'd be in great shape. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but we do it with our skin. Why? Because people can see our skin. But at the same time, the great irony is, even though that's the organ that we can see the most and everybody can see the most, that's the organ we know the least about. The skin is so complex and there is so much happening inside the skin. I've been writing a book about the skin now. And it rejuvenates so darn fast. On its own. It's quick. You cut yourself. You don't even look at you. You don't even think about it. And two days later, the cut's healed. What the yeah. heck's going on? I've been, the skin is layered, right? Yeah, it's stratified. So you got a top layer, a tippy top layer that's about as thick as one tenth of a piece of notebook paper, George. Can you imagine how thin that is? But that holds everything in place. That tiny sliver. Then underneath you have about one piece of notebook paper and then a third layer is about nine pieces of notebook paper. <laughs> that little sliver on the top that holds you in place. I've been writing a book now about the skin for I don't know, six, seven months. I'm on page 50 and I'm just talking about that top layer. That's this right here. Exactly. It's called the stratum corneum. When you have dry skin, you have a problem making all the wonderful moisture factors that you need to make to keep that stratum corneum moist. And guess what? The worst thing you can put on your dry skin, George, get ready for this, a moisturizer. Really? Isn't that interesting? Do you ever wonder why we spend so much money on moisturizing creams in this country, but at the same time, everybody has dry skin? Let me tell you what's happened, George. See, your skin makes its own moisture factors. It produces them, and they rise to the top, and they get stored in the surface. This is how nature intended us to be moist. However, when you put a moisturizing cream on, you suppress that chemistry. You prevent the skin from moisturizing itself. And then when your moisturizer wears off, now you're like, oh, my God, I'm really dry. I'm going to go get some more moisturizer. You put it on. You suppress the chemistry. You say, oh, my God, I'm really dry. I'm going to get some extra strength moisturizer. You should have become a dermatologist. Pharmacist Ben Fuchs, his website is criticalhealthnews.com. And you have a toll-free number, 1-855-949-7234. Radio. People can call that and ask questions. Or email. They can also email email health at criticalhealthnews.com. Soon love emails. Since you've been doing this, do you miss pharmacy? Well, I'm opening up a pharmacy. Funny you should ask. Oh, you are? Yes, I'm opening up a compounding pharmacy. I do miss the interaction. There's There's a special relationship, George, that the pharmacist has with the patient. And, and, you know, the doctor-patient relationship is special. The nurse-patient relationship is special. But there's something very unique about the pharmacist-patient relationship in the sense that we're the ones that the patient comes to to ask about their drugs, to ask about their supplements, yes. to ask about their herbs, or even their medication. And we Doctors should be doing that to you, too. Some of them do. That's true. But with a patient, you form a bond with a patient that is really familial. It's like they become a member of your family. And I do miss that. Have you as a pharmacist ever prescribed a drug or not gotten a drug and you didn't want to give it to the person? I actually got fired by my first pharmacy job because I was doing that. And I did, I was, what I was doing at first, I was suggesting people use supplements with their medication. But after a while, I was suggesting people use supplements instead of their medication. And uh, that didn't go over real well. And that was actually the last time I worked for a big, big chain as a pharmacist. And that was when you decided to make a change. That's when I decided to do things for myself. Exactly right. Where does this go from here, Ben? How do do people take care of themselves? Most importantly, what we just talked about, get information. Start to understand the body. You know, to me, love is curiosity. There's a relationship between love and curiosity in the sense that when you're curious about something, you're showing love. And when you love something, you're curious about it. 
You ever meet somebody and you're in love with them or you fall in love with them or even if you like them a lot, you get curious about them. You want to know how they work, what makes them tick. Let's fall in love with our bodies. Let's fall in love with our heart. It's so fall in love with us, isn't it? To me, your body is your best friend going through life. Let's give it a little love. Ben, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you. Good luck with everything you do. And thanks for helping so many people. Thank you, George. I appreciate it. Same to you. He really knows the body. And all you have to do is listen to some of the simple things he says and better yourself. I'm George Nori. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. <laughs> Fantastic, everybody. Um, my goodness. I just located after they did the conference call. Um, just going to... Mm. Take a look at the daily take from from Friday from Tom Hartman. He says, Republicans learn to promote fascism at the feet of a master. And there's a big hint. It says, it's not Trump. It's not Trump. It's Orban, Victor Orban. Victor Orban's speeches this week raised the question, is he teaching the American GOP through his example, or is the GOP teaching him through their replacement theory and new laws banning books? Are you getting that other mm-hmm. one? You already got it? Mm. Oh, okay. Um, well, we'll talk a little bit about, let's listen to this now, but we'll, we'll go ahead if, are you, you wanted to jump in? Ready? You want to, you're ready? Okay. Okay. Um, so this is one. This is, uh, one we didn't finish from last week, but it's called Temporal Dynamics and Portals. Did secret U.S. government experiments at Area 51 open portals of space time? Ooh. Yes. Exploring temporal dynamics, time travel, and portal technology. Retired AFOSI. Do you know what that stands for, Rama? No. Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Mm. Sounds right. Agent Richard Doty rejoins German tactical advisor Tim... Oh, wow, two of them. To discuss the history of American and German military involvement with portals. Co-relating data of experiments between the United States and German militaries, Doty and Tim explore the fabric of space and time and what comes next. Ready, Rao? Mm. See how ready the computer is. Mm-hmm. Aha. Disclosure, we are with Tim, a tactical advisor from Germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies 
in relation to extraterrestrial groups in contact with Earth. Also joining us today is Richard Doty, a retired counterintelligence agent who served in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Welcome, gentlemen. Today, we're going to be talking about portals and time. So we're going to get a U.S. perspective from you, Rick, and from you, Tim, of course, a German uh, perspective. So, Rick, you've seen so many documents about this type of subject. What could you start off with? Well, during my counterintelligence uh, career, I was assigned to Area 51, and one of the operations that I uh, perfected a counterintelligence operation for was uh, an operation or a project uh, that was run by the national uh, national laboratories in investigating how to time travel, whether it was feasible, different methods and different procedures that could be developed to move from one area of time to another area of time. And so I actually developed the counterintelligence operation based on the project. Uh, most of the time when we get these projects in that we had to do a counterintelligence operation for, you just read the summary, the objectives, but not everything. I was so fascinated by time travel that I read the entire document, even the scientific portions of it. So what we were trying to do, what the United States government was trying to do, is open a portal or a tunnel in the fabric of space in order to travel. And I'm not disclosing anything that's classified anymore. Most of this is has already been written about um, Theories have been uh, I mean, taught in a college class at one at time. But what they were trying to do is perfect procedures. They used high-energy uh, lasers. They used um, magnetisms, high-energy, uh, large ma- magnets, to shoot lasers and other things through a portal or create a portal, open up the time, and then try to figure out how to keep it open. And they were using different sheaths to put in there to try to keep it open. Uh, they were trying to uh, then maintain it with gases. They used, I know, argon gas and a number of other different types of gases they would pull, uh, send through these portals. And it, it actually worked. They were able to open it. The problem was to keep it open and to prevent any damage or injuries to anything that went through there. And they were using cockroaches to put through there. They are using uh, mice and rats and, and I, I believe some other animals, but nothing, uh, they couldn't perfect it at that time. But later on, they, they developed different techniques and different methods that were able to do that. What year was this? This was in the 1980s, early to mid-1980s. The project actually started back in the 60s. I think, I believe San Diego National Laboratory started the project and it was in the uh, elementary stages back then. Uh, scientists were able to document on paper how to do this. But then when they were trying to perfect it in reality, so to speak, uh, they ran on all sorts of different obstacles, weather, atmosphere, uh, all sorts of things that were preventing the, the time portal to open. They actually opened some, uh, but uh, it, they couldn't keep it opened uh, in order for any, at least humans, to go through there. And when they opened it, there was a lot of different things that had happened. When you open a portal, there were small explosions that are occurring. There were distortions of the atmosphere, distortions of the viewing. Uh, as you looked into the portal, there was so much distortion. And one of the things they just determined was 
they didn't know that this portal was going forward in time or back in time. And that was a big question on their part. They were perfect, trying to perfect things that could determine this, whether they were going forward or backwards in time. And eventually they did. They were able to perfect a way to open a portal. But the only problem is the portals were only open in the early days for a millisecond. And later on, they, they kept them open for a few seconds. And they perfected something calling a, a nuclear injection where they had a small, very small nuclear detonation that they fired into. They fired this ball of nuclear material. I don't know how they did it into the portal and there would be a small nuclear detonation that seemed to open it. And as they tried to put the sheath in there and the sheath was made of some anti magnetic material. I would stay open for a few seconds and it would close and destroy that sheet. Wow, fantastic. When I was there in the early 90s and was part of that project, they also were using special alignments. They found out that they had a, the Earth and the different types of space alignments because there's ley lines also in space, and they still did not perfect it at all uh, where they could do it. So how about you, Tim? What What have you heard and what have you experienced and read about? We know that Germany was probably the first nation in modern history um, that, you know, had experiments on time travel. Everyone knows that um, the theoretical physics that time can be approachable dimension, that is something Germans came up with in the 1920s, 30s. They did experiments on that. I think about the 1940s, um, their approach was to use high voltage in order to melt down the fabric of space, which can be used in order to, you know, move temporal dy dynamics, but absolutely not stable. And it would also be um, pretty toxic for everyone who stands around that kind of field. So I'm pretty sure that they did not succeed in any way at that time in the 1940s to make it stable. What Richards was talking about, people have used that, the same mechanics, um, allegedly, you know, way back in the ancient times, where we find all those ancient sites that were indeed aligned to the different lines and star constellations, and they used the natural occurring um energies in order to open certain gates. So you were talking about the 70s, 80s, I guess, and you were talking about the 90s. I guess it was about the 2000, 2010-ish years where the Greys decided to give at least a certain group of people on Earth the ability to have a stable and functioning technology. I'm pretty sure that that is you know, highly classified in terms of not everyone having access to that. So I think that the Greys took that pretty seriously and um, made access to only a very certain amount of people or a group of people, and they exist. So there are people that are going through these portals And they are also in a future version encapsulated in time of the Earth. And their mission is to have a look on how Earth is developing. And 
as far as I know, they are active in this time right now, even present. Yeah, I believe they're picking specific organizations and people that are going to be responsible for utilizing that. Yeah. Now, are these portals also in space, not just Earth? So one thing I'd like to add is that temporal dynamics is capable of being weaponized. So one can build a very highly efficient weapon using temporal dynamics. And I think that is the reason why Grace decided to give it only to a very specific group of people. Rick, could you add to that? Well, one of the things that was developed during the experiments in time travel out at the Nevada test site in Area 51 was a peripheral part of the time travel projects they developed. They found that they could develop a energy weapon, a high energy weapon system. It wasn't the objective, but while they were experimenting over these years, they realized that there were some things that they could do to take advantage of these portals. They were in the process of developing, when I left, uh, an energy weapon. Was that, exactly side, what, was that a side effect? Was this this energy up weapon was opening a portal? Absolutely. It was opening a portal. And so um, when I left, they were trying to perfect it. And I think probably over the years, they, they, they might, might have done that. Uh, when I worked for a, a private a laboratory in, in Texas, we were able to look at some of the things that DARPA was doing in that area of perfecting this type of energy weapon. Rick, they're experimenting with opening a portal. How do they know what's on the other side? Well, one of the uh, objective was to determine exactly that and how they would measure it or how would they, they would see into it. So they had subcontractors working on that too. And so they developed some techniques and some equipment, which probably are still classified. I don't want to go into that part. Of it. But they had actually equipment, something similar to an oscilloscope that was projecting they could determine wave patterns, the normal earth wave patterns. And when they opened the fabric, there was a strange wave pattern detected that we couldn't duplicate anywhere else but looking into that portal. So when this strange wave pattern appeared on their scopes, they knew that they'd opened the portal. Now, the problem was in the early stages, they didn't know where that was going. Was that, was that going back in time? Or was that going forward in time? Now, eventually, they took this to another location in a mountain in California, and they duplicated. They realized that the wave patterns there were different than the wave patterns in the in desert of Nevada, at the Nevada test site, which was the main uh, location that they were testing this. So now they figured, wait a minute, why is the wave pattern different there in California than what we had? And bingo, they figured. That's going one way because of the altitude or the area of the, of, of that where they're doing it in. And in Nevada, there, it was going someplace else. And, and when I left, and even, even when I worked for the private laboratory, this was being developed rapidly. What do you think, Tim? Yeah. So we all know that, um, dimensions are units or a way to measure the location of something inside of space. So if we have three dimensions, we can, by using a triangular method, we have a way to figure out where in in space something is located. So every particle um, in physics has a specific 
location, a specific position where it is. It's the same with temporal dynamics as using time and um, temporal factors as another dimension. The problematic and confusing thing is the geometric way how to see temporal dynamics. Because uh, every particle inside of a fourth dimension of temporal dynamics is also located to different other positions inside of this temporal dim dimension. And that also, you know, brings some challenges in order how to manipulate time because everything has an effect on the past and the future. So it kind of ripples from that position. Whereas when we're talking only three positions or three dimensions, it's a pretty, you know, hard and standardized process to locate everything. So that is something that people had challenges to figure out how to use that. And also in order to, you know, stabilize time, to not, you know, interrupt the flow of time, but to have certain impulses on certain points in order to have the correct ripples that go around this position of where it's located. So I think what the Grace did teach people and brought them to is the algorithm and the way how to figure out and to use temporal dynamics. What's your theory on when people time travel and they go back, and I get this question a lot, let's say they go back and uh, stop Hitler, you know, and and then they come back to this time would that create another timeline and we still are on this timeline? Does that create a whole other, are there so many multiple timelines or is it really just the same timeline? So you can imagine having a time strain in the middle of everything. That is the most stable um, time strain where we have successful timelines. If you do what you just said and manipulate things and you have this rippling effect about a, Oh dear. Hmm. <coughs> yeah, it's doing the same thing, darling. Do you need to take that to Nelson and ask him what the heck's going on, or is that just normal? Here we go. Around the impulse that you set into temporal dynamics, it can have a disastrous outcome, which means if you prevent World War II, Nazis wouldn't have happened, and they will eventually play a very big role in the evolution of, of at least Earth in some time. So they are necessary. The experience that the universe has, you know, unfortunately made in World War II is something from probability and poss possibility views is necessary in order to elevate consciousness, to make that experience. So if you take that away, the timeline will eventually, you know, it fails. And then it gets reintegrated into the mainstream um, and it is, it wouldn't have never happened. So probabilities and possibilities will, if they are important enough, will play out will play themselves out 
Um, maybe in a different way, but the same effect and experience will happen. Could you please elaborate? You told me earlier the Greys have given us this technology for time travel, and our teams now utilizing this. What are these teams doing? What is their agenda? All right, so the psychological mission of the Greys was in to show human people the possible effects of their their agenda and what they did um, to themselves, to the planet. Of course, because the Greys have their stock in humanity. They are, you know, um, depending on, on humanity and their evolution in order to, you know, preserve the overall evolution of everything. And I think the previous ways to communicate with people in order to go to the governments in terms of uh, connecting to, you know, people on the streets in some way, abduction phenomenon, we're talking about that. Um, I think they all were not that successful in order mm-hmm. to do a change, to bring change to to the uh, way the human people were, you know. Was it also like a reconnaissance to kind of see what's going on, to come back and say, hey, we might need to change some things so it doesn't go south? I mean, go into a negative. Absolutely. Right. So what they did is um, giving technology to a certain group of, of people, right. and those people, they have built some kind of presence in a future version of this planet. They are somehow encapsulated in that time, so they're not you know, accidentally changing the future in some ways. But through that, they are reaching back to the version we are here and, and right now so that all the observers that are experiencing that right now can be led into a, you know, possible and productive way. Tim, you spoke about the Greys having this technology and giving it to a very select elite few. How do we trust them? Can we trust them with this technology? So I think... Mm, the Greys had their own benefit and agenda in mind when they gave it to, to this kind of group. I'm not sure by by what factors they selected that group, but certainly I know that those people feel related to the human race and to the benefit of the human human race. And even though they are an elite group, um, you know, of power in, in some ways. And we're not speaking about elites that are, you know, right now here. There are some different factors why they are selected. Pretty intelligent people and they know about the consequences and they, their only mission is to stabilize the timeline we're on here. So yeah, I do trust these people and I know they are present here and they're helpful. Is this group of elites, part of the government, corporations, uh, a faction, who who are they belonging to? They are working together with other influential groups on this planet, but they are not connected to governments, not connected to companies, um, and even very loosely connected to the military. Speaking of that, Rick, through, you know, documentation and all the stuff you've seen, what was the agenda back then? Uh, what were they trying to do with time travel and portals? Was it for military use? Was it for scientific use? 
Was it for exploration? Did you read anything uh, about the agenda? Well, the primary agenda was military. They were trying to determine whether they could use it in some sort of a weapon system or, or maybe a, um, a counterinsurgency, so to, so to speak, or something to scare, scare the enemy. But one of the things they found, uh, which was quite uh, uh, surprising to them, and one of particular one of the scientists that was one of the chief scientists involved in this at Sandia Labs, uh, he was worried about what they were actually doing. Were they actually opening up a portable time or were they opening up into another dimension? That was something that they were very concerned about. And one of the things that they that happened, and this is kind of a tough to explain and tough to talk about it, but and one particular exercise, I wasn't there, I didn't see this, but I was told about it, and it happened in Nevada test site. And it happened, they always did these experiments either very late at night or very early in the morning, sometime after midnight. And one of the things they did was they, they did this uh, infusion of, a small nuclear device to, to open something. And, and they had a lot of reactionary coming from the other side. Things were thrown out. They, they never had, that had never done, happened as far as I know. And it kind of worried them. Like, what did they just, what did we just do? What did we just do to time? They were really concerned about what they were, were getting themselves into. And when they shut this down, they closed it down for the evening at two or three in the morning. They were cleaning up. They saw these strange figures downrange. And now we're talking distance downrange and when they, I mean, miles downrange. And they saw these strange figures. One, one technician was picking up some equipment and came back to one of the directors and said, who's downrange? There's people downrange. It was not supposed to be, obviously. It was uh, very dangerous being down there. But these things, whatever they were, appeared for some time, 10, 15 minutes, and then they disappeared. So what did they just do? Did they just open up a dimension? One of the scientists was very uh, instrumental of trying to, to convince the other scientists that we didn't open up a, a time portal. We opened up a dimension. Yes. And we brought something into this back into this dimension. Yes. Now, when everything was clear and they always waited 24 hours before they went down range for high, uh, the uh, radiation and so forth. When they went down there, they didn't find any, anything, but they found pieces of clay and pieces of other debris that had come back in. <laughs> now, I don't know what the analysis of that was. That's probably still classified. But they, they rounded that all up and took it to a laboratory to, to examine. But that was one of the very, very, very strange things that happened. And like I said, I wasn't there and witnessed it, but I read about it and I was told about this later. I've actually witnessed dimensions together just for a moment time where you're in two places at the same time. And maybe Tim can explain that because, you know, the fourth dimension, as we were talking about earlier, can overlap dimensions sometimes. Mm. So um, I think what we need to clarify is that we are talking about different realities that um, might in some way or another share the same space. 
Right. So what Richard is talking about and that can happen is that things that are also are overlapping by putting enormous engine energy into that, the frequencies come closer together and people and, and things can appear. We have the same effect in some spaces um, and locations on Earth where people are reporting to, for example, have seen ghosts or something. That's pretty much the same effect. The, the natural dynamics um, of energy are pressed, compressed so much that things can appear. But also something I would like to talk about um, is that there are species and beings that have natural, naturally, without using right. technology, comprehend and understood the mechanics or the, the techniques in order to move through time. So there are living beings inside of temporal dimensions, which is pretty interesting to understand that. So as we are thinking, theorizing that time, temporal time can be a temporal dimension, there are also non-terrestrial beings that are only living inside of that time. And they have understood that every point in the universe is connected and that by using the status of, of observery, of, of being the observer, that they can position and reposition themselves inside of temporal dimensions. So these are the time travelers. No, these are beings or life forms that live inside of temporal dimensions. So as we experience the 3D mm. as a dim dimension, as a space that is livable and that can be used in order to live there, they also live inside of time. In some way or another, they also create time, which also influences the timelines we're experiencing here. Rick, was there any concern when you guys were experimenting with, you know, opening these portals of anything coming back through? Well, after the incident where something came through and they saw figures downrange, uh, they were very, very concerned. Uh, number one, with what, what, what did they just open a portal into time and now time travelers are coming through or, uh, was it the dimension? Was there, did they, tap into a dimension, whether it was a fourth, fifth, or whatever dimension. Or I didn't read this until later on when I worked with a private uh, uh, laboratory, was a, a parallel universe. That was something that was also brought up in a whole paper written about that. But they were con very, very concerned at the time after that incident that they were going to bring something back and maybe maybe harm them, uh, you know, open up the portal, and somebody from the other side seeing that portal open and coming through it, trying to come through it. Now we are with archaic, probably archaic equipment on our side. On the other side, maybe they're a thousand years in the future and they, we try to bring them back or they jump through or however that works and we harm them. And that, that's, that was a main, that was a concern, very, very much a concern. Did it ever happen? Uh, one particular incident where they found something at the other end, uh, and I wasn't there. Uh, I knew about it, but they did find uh, what they uh, described as a, a very uh, charred uh, body. So you saw this charred body. Did it come through or did it, you just saw it through the portal? Well, I, I wasn't there. Oh. But I read and I was told in a classified meeting 
that they when 24 hours later, then when downrange, when everything was safe, they found a very charred body, and they couldn't they could never identify that. They knew it wasn't any of the workers. Everybody was accounted for, and they knew it was anybody from any of the other test sites areas. Uh, so was it somebody they brought back? And it, and and the consensus among scientists were they brought something through or something voluntarily tried to get through and was damaged by our site. So could you tell by the charred body if it was bipedal? Was it uh, or was it just completely you couldn't tell anything about it? Well, I never had the. Uh, there there are some people that would know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people that were involved in this that, uh, but I, I was never involved in the, right. the examination of it or anything like that. And I never saw any description other than it was a charred body, mm. uh, in the report. And they believed it was a humanoid. Tim, do you have anything to say about that? So one thing I find, oh, I found super interesting to acknowledge is that time, we are actually moving backwards through time while approaching forwards. So that describes the temporal dynamics a little bit. See, if we see this table, this is actually light that comes to our perception, but it takes time to bring that memory to, you know, the operation system that the consciousness using, a consciousness unit is using in order to interpret the data that is coming from this table. So even if this is just like a nanosecond or something, the the image that I'm seeing from this table is actually in the past. So everything we are experiencing right now is light that is coming from a source very far away. And we are moving inside of that light coming towards that source. So we are experiencing a very, very, very old presence of source this is kind of outdated what we're experiencing right now still we are moving forward in time so you can see that temporal dynamics have these two lines that are going in opposite directions while having the observer in midst of it in the middle of it that is what i mean by saying there are wrinkles around that so these photons are actually in the past that are coming of light Everything that everything we are observing right now, you and me and Richard, we're actually not here anymore. The source is somewhere else. This is a very, very, very old source or experiencing experience of of thought that we are experiencing right now. If we are an old projection of ourselves, where do I exist? You do not exist as an I. So we are all source. We are this source that radiates different potentials and probabilities from uh, the center of the universe, which is ex- actually what people call the zero point or something. So it, it is the middle, the center of everything. And what we are experiencing from that time and we, this version of the universe is particularly um, based upon light. So there are different other versions that are based on different other things. But what we are experiencing here, everything radiates light, photons, so to speak. So the the table um, radiates light, we do. And the bodies, the biological bodies, 
that we have in this version, they are interpreting the data that comes from that. So if you zoom out from that, this everything, we're not actually here. This is a very, very old beam of light that we are experiencing. And there are beams that are, if you, if you, I mean, all models are wrong, some are useful, useful. So if you imagine there's a point of source somewhere, and from that we have this, this light that irradiates from that, and we are at this, this point as an observer, very far away from source. We're actually moving towards source, which makes everything more dense until we hit it and we unify it again. And from that point, we have another version of the universe mm -hmm. unfolding. But there are beings that are coming from that out. They use the, the ways outside of the linear timeline and they go there and they repair whatever is there because we are, a pro we are experiencing a paradox of probability here, which needs to be decided. And they are doing that, coming and repairing everything so that in the end, eventually we can unify again. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Something's got to give here, Commander. I mean, the messages are coming out of our ears and the technologies. Hiccuping. Mm. Money laundering in Ukraine. Top and headline. We come, we come together one more time, and from that we build a new version of the universe. Tim, do you know any any instances where uh, beings came through a portal? Yes, yeah. all the time. So we have two kinds of beings. One that have evolved. Um, in a way that they acknowledge the potential of traveling through temporal dynamics by themselves, by using the observer status in order to relocate themselves somewhere. They don't, don't tend to use portals anymore. They use the natural abilities that every one of us has when we get aware of that. Aware. The second option, those are less evolved beings, but technologically very advanced, they use different portals and different, you know, technologies in order through, to move through that. And allegedly, we have had a time on this planet where um, entities were using the natural flow of energies and portals all over the planet in order to communicate with people from that, that time. One of the things I want to ask you about And, and during this discussion, I, we had an incident when I worked for a, a private laboratory where we advertised and part of it, part of this continued program on time travel. Uh, this is in the nineties. We advertised for time travelers. Mm -hmm. We put in magazines and, and, and we didn't have the internet back then, but in magazines, mm -hmm. we had a person come forth and said, I'm a time traveler. Uh, this person looked Extraordinary. Mm -hmm. My experiences and my background with ETs, as soon as this per we met this person in a, uh, a location in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, he was tall and lanky. His arms were not proportional to his body. He had very, very, very light skin. 
And, you know, one of the things, and I'm, I was pretty blunt with him when we, he introduced himself as George Arthur. Now you can, you can look in the internet and there's, there's stories about this George Arthur guy. And I asked him, I said, where, where did you come from? He said, do you want to know exactly where I come from or that I, where, where I'm, where I'm at right now? I said, no, where, where were you born? He says, it's very difficult to explain because I was born a thousand years into the future. Oh. I came back in time. Well, we did a lot of vetting on this guy. We could not, and one of my jobs there was to do complete background on it. We could find zero, nothing. We couldn't find anything. Now, he told us, and this is, this is something that was, was very baffling. He told us he could show us how to do this, how to go back in time. There's a place in Arizona. He called it Secret Mountain. Mm-hmm. I talked to Randy Kramer about this. He knows where the place is. We went there. Scientists brought equipment. We drove from Austin, Texas out there. Um, he met us. He took us out there. We, uh, we had four-wheel drives. Took us a long time to get there. He said, I'm going to walk down this canyon, and it was an actual canyon, and I'm going to show you how to do it, but don't follow me yet. So he walks down this canyon, and it's a one-way canyon. There's only one way in and one way out. Hmm. He walks down this canyon. We waited like 45 minutes, and he doesn't come out. And the canyon curves a little bit to the left. So we decided, I was the guinea pig who said, I'll go down and look for him. Hmm. He's gone. Oh, he disappeared. There's only one way he could have got out was climbing a, a 2000 foot cliff because the, the canyon, the path going to the canyon stopped at a wall, which is about 2000 feet up. There wasn't any portals that we could find. There was any, uh, uh, caves or tunnels. It was, it had rained the day before. There was a little puddle of water, but it was only like a, Six inches deep. He disappeared. My question to you is, in, in today's time, have you met any humans? I mean, not, not beings, but humans that have traveled forward or back in time. So I know the people that, um, are part of this group of time units. I think, I mean, that's the trans- translation I would give to that. I don't know if people from now are using technology in order to go somewhere else. So I don't know how far the conventional military is using those technologies. Yeah, that's it. Which brings me to the next question is, are there areas on planet Earth, such as this place, that have been known to be ancient portals that are already there that either need to be activated or are always activated. Yes. The way I understand it is that there was a time where human people were like in a close context to different other species. And it was pretty common that they used the natural flow of energies in order to go through portals and in order to connect with human people. And through time, the memory of the collective memory has forgotten about that. Um, also because we or humans experienced a time of chaos back then and people try to bring out the influences on earth in order to see what went wrong. 
And we already talk, talked about that, that there were some harmful influences and a lot of chaos that, you know, went down the road. Um, and yeah, so to, the way I understand it, it was pretty common that species connected through portals with human people on Earth. Have you heard of any of this, Rick, in your documentation? Uh, no, other than uh, I, I, don't, I didn't have any uh, knowledge of what uh, Tim was talking about as far as a, a group of people. I mean, back in we might have had them back in my days, but I was never briefed in any kind of program like that. We just uh, uh, solicited during the 90s people that claimed to be time travelers. And George Arthur was the only one that actually uh, was able to prove something to us. And they were offering a lot of money, uh, $50,000. Fortunately, he never got his money. Cause, but, you know, one of the questions I have is that the people that were recruited uh, as uh, the humans that were recruited into the program by the, the, the extraterrestrials, were they from this time period or were they from a future time period? They were from the time period of the 2000, 2010-ish years. But yeah, they came from the presence uh, or the present time um, and were recruited by, I don't know which kind of factor they they used to. Um, those people are pretty intelligent, smart guys and also pretty dedicated to the mission of protecting the timeline. I think those were the factors but they were they were thoroughly vetted and investigated and, and and okay and trained. Were they did they have to go to training? So the Grays put up a training system. They also explained the technology. They gave the algorithms and how to use that. So from that time on, I think they are pretty autonomous. How advanced now is the technology of portal travel? I mean, are we allowed to go through and come back at will? So. From the conversations I've had, um, I learned that back in the ancient days, those portals were utilizing natural dynamics, natural flows of energy, and they used some kind of stone, stony device in order to put up coordinations upon that and also using as, as a kind of consciousness like a consciousness assisted technology of yeah, some sort. Yeah, but you know, built from stone. Organic. Yeah, it was organic. They used stones and carved inside of that coordinates and different hieroglyphs. And they used those stones in order to approach um, or go through natural occurring portals um, where they need um, specific time correlations and specific and, you know, alignments with stars. And so they couldn't go through that, like, uh, you know, spontaneously. Very certain times. And I think the equinoxes are used there, utilized there. So we're talking, I mean, natural technology that uses natural things and natural physics um, in order to go through that. Um, Time moves on. Technology is different today. It's more sophisticated in some ways. So as much as I'm aware, people can open or even relocate 
even singular singular matter um, or atoms inside of a time uh, time dimension. Mm. So yeah, it's more sophisticated well, today. Absolutely. One of the things that uh, I found out during my my time in in, in counterintelligence, uh, working on this time pro uh, travel project, the United States government uh, prepares for everything. And they prepared a group of people for time traveling. Uh, this was probably in the early 70s. I don't know exactly when this happened, but they, they were, some of them were astronauts and some of them were just military personnel and there, and there were a few scientists. Uh, because of the project, they thought the pro they could complete the project and actually open up fabrics of space. They prepared, pe they did prepare this team of people to go in. I believe there were 15 or 20 in the first group. And one of the things that they did was they, they gave them these uh, markers. One of the problems would be when you walk, when, if they got through the portal, number one, where are they? They got to find this other side of this portal to come back. So they had these markers, uh, and there was all sorts of different types of systems that they were using to mark some location. So it wouldn't, I mean, they didn't have GPS. If they were going through, they wouldn't have a GPS or the, the MTR, the, the military, uh, uh, back in the, the, the military satellite they used back in the, in the 60s before GPS. But so they had to prepare for that. And it's amazing. And I saw the training manual, very thick, and they went through virtually everything to prepare. And one of the things, we talked about this a little bit earlier, one of the things that they prepared for, and they, they told these astronauts, or they, they call them time astronauts, was to... When you got to a location and you found that you were back in time, you can't manipulate anything because you got a paradox there. If you go back and find yourself walking down the street or, or somehow right. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't do that. There would be a paradox. So I thought that training manual was fascinating. Um, and, and I wish I could find it to bring it forth. I mean, there's so many things they trained them. I can't go into great details now. We don't have time, but. There's so many other things that they prepared him for, uh, just in case they could go back in time. Yeah. Right. It's called sure. a quantum collapse. If, if people meet, uh, different versions of themselves and they interact with them, a quantum collapse can occur and timelines would fail. Let's say you went back in time and you had killed your grandfather. Oops. What happens to that timeline now? Do you exist when you come back? Do you yeah. not exist? Or is there a whole other timeline that's created? So you have a dead grandpa for sure. Mm. That's going to happen. But um, besides that, the so there's nothing that can fade away. Things <sighs> that are probable and possible still will occur. So if someone goes back in time, kills their grandfather, they have this memory inside of time that they go somewhere and do something. So a different time string would appear then. One thing would fade, but you still exist because um, you're still aware of your existence and you, you just, the universe will merge the failed timelines into a stable one. If you do something that has a tremendous effect on the stability of a timeline, then 
a quantum collapse can occur, which means that a stable, one stable timeline would fail. And yeah, the universe then tries the best logic it has in order to merge it again back to the time strain in the middle of it to make it stable again. I think this is a fascinating discussion. I talked about the past. I talked about what we did in the 1970s and 1980s, what we did experimenting with time travel, the different projects that was involved in regarding time travel. And now Tim brings us up to the future, to the present and, and even into the future. It's a fascinating discussion. I love that. I love the perspectives. I'm really thankful that we can, you know, talk about that, discuss it. And also one thing that makes me feel pretty comfortable in my position is just to know that the universe got us covered, that we cannot ultimately fail, but ultimately can only succeed if whatever we do. Well said, gentlemen. Well said. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I'm a huge player. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. Sam, how do you think the greys actually perceive us? In some ways, they depend on some people on this planet, but they also do not care if there are losses. How do the interfrequentials view our world? Oh, that was interesting. Okay, there's one more here, honey. Bosses to us. Where is it? E.T. Perspectives about Earth. This one, huh? Okay. You know what you're looking for? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to dance across that screen, Rama. Yeah. Take over the reins because the media is an impudent... um, here we go. Yes, here we go. The people aren't bad, but they just don't know what they're doing in terms of the overall possibilities of having a happy life. Mm. Oh, stop, 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 stop. Okay, just stop it for now. Stop it for now. Just wanted to read this so people, did I read it? How do various ETs perceive humans? Rejoining Emery Smith, Tim discusses his direct contact experiences and offers differing perspectives of existence through the lens of extraterrestrials and planets outside our solar system. Tim reveals how certain ET species are empathic and even protective toward humanity, though some are devoid of these emotions, providing insight into characteristics of different ETs. Tim shares details on the power dynamics of species across the universe. Okay, well, we just had to get that in all the way. So as this is 31 minutes, everyone. Mm. Uh, Nancy Pelosi wrote a letter. I mean, something's moving. This is big because she's making a statement to the church. Mm-hmm. The church said through that archbishop, you can't go to communion, lady, lady, 
unless you change your attitude about abortions with women. And she's got this thing out, like, right up your nose. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? That's not going to stop me. Here it is. Just real quick. It's only one minute, and then we can go there. But I'm sitting there. I, I couldn't believe my eyeballs. But thank you, Penny, for finding this. But Fox News just admitted Republicans are feeling fleeing the Senate. There's a big, beautiful picture of Nancy Pelosi. She's looking like in, in the best of her time, you know. Ohio senator called it quits. Pennsylvania senator is out. North Carolina senator is retiring. Alabama senator is stepping down. Now, Missouri senator is leaving too. I cannot emphasize this enough. We have a once-in-a-lifetime chance to hold the House, hold the Senate, and replace every last anti-choice Republican. This is the power of the divine feminine saying, foot down, four paws on the ground, huh, with mother? And we're not going to discuss what she's had to do, but she's doing what she has the power to do here. Uh, but I need two... 1,821 Democratic members before my critical midnight deadline to own this momentum and prove that Democrats have what it takes to win. Can you chip in $15 or whatever you can and become a 2022 Democratic Mm. member before midnight? Now, is that before midnight tonight? Yes. I mean, uh, on Tuesday, there's another election day. I don't know. Well, maybe it's, I mean, I it's the I date know. on this, and Penny probably says the best, says 21st of May there. And it's just a, three more lines, four more lines. I can't express how important donations are for our Democratic, mem- from our Democratic members. How important donations from our Democratic members are. Republicans might have us outraised but i know we're on the right side of history every year i can't count on our democratic members to fund our most critical races members of congress who are fighting for what we believe in reproductive freedom is number one on the list and so he she just did this i think to let the uh, archdiocese know that's not going to change her stance health care child care social security our democracy and our agenda agenda for the people. I hope I can count on you to renew your 2022 Democratic membership for this crucial midnight deadline. Well, it's good. It's it's all good. Okay, go ahead, honey. Let's see what this 31 minutes has to teach us. Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we're at an undisclosed location with Tim. Tim is a tactical advisor in the covert governance in Germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups and contact with Earth. Tim, can you talk about how various species perceive the universe? There are many ways and levels of perception inside of the universe and it depends on level of awareness, consciousness, uh, experience. 
Oops. What happened? This one might not go. Don't say that. Mm. Patience sense. Germany, who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups and contact with Earth. Tim, can you talk about how various species perceive the universe? There are many ways and levels of perception inside of the universe and it depends on level of awareness, consciousness, uh, experience. Experience. Can you stop it and start it again? I'll try. Wait for a minute. Um. Can you go up and down the middle part and let it inspire it? What did you just do? Reload the page. Reload the page, okay. Patience is a virtue. Undisclosed location with Tim. Tim is a tactical advisor in the covert governance in Germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups and contact with Earth. Tim, can you talk about how various species perceive the universe? There are many ways and levels of perception inside of the universe and it depends on level of awareness, consciousness, uh, experience. Uh, self-identity, um, dimension, frequency, and cultural, for example, when you have other species that are living inside of the universe and they are more or less as advanced as humans are, if they have knowledge about Earth and if they know a little bit about society here on Earth, they wonder a lot why things are the way they are on Earth. And even if you have super aware beings, they not, they do not tend to know everything and they might disagree on something. And also they make mistakes too. And sometimes their judgment 
on how things are on earth is a little off or a lot off as well. So perceiving how things are, we need to take into consideration that, that earth people are pretty far advanced technology wise. We're not talking about mainstream technology, but things that are kept hidden uh, in the, you know, some darker areas of the planet, so to speak. But nothing of that has been used in order to benefit the population, society, or the planet itself. Because actually it makes absolutely no sense how and why the situation on Earth is so as it is. Everything could be much smoother. Everything could be more harmonious socially. This planet is not as advanced as people are technology wise. And this is one, this is kind of confusing to a lot of species that are in direct contact with Earth. There are people who might say that we are technologically advanced, but until it can be monetized properly, it won't be released. Why is that? I've talked to somebody um, and he told me that it takes only three days in order to heal the planet, to cure it, and to make everything look good. Um, Holy cow. And I asked, why not? Why, why not? don't you get now? He told me that it's more worth to keep things, you know, in the back and wait for the right moment in order to make it even more worthy. And also I think... There's um, kind of a dilemma in which nobody wants to be the first person to come forward and put technology on the market, but everyone's, everyone wants to be the second one. So this is something very specific to humans on Earth, and it, makes, it creates some confusion to a lot of other species. Compared to other planets and civilizations in the level three or four zone, where we are, are you suggesting humankind is much less developed than we think? No, technology-wise, humankind is pretty good on that level. Socially, the planet lacks, lacks a lot of experience. There's a lot of division and, you know, everything could be more productive, better and smoother if everyone could agree upon one kind of vision for the planet. But on this planet, we have elite structures that push and pull in different directions and hinder and block themselves. So you have a kind of loose-loose situation compared to other systems in the universe. And I think that is something the elites had to recognize and to understand as well. Tim, how do you think the greys actually perceive us? Like their children, maybe a pet, an experiment, or something uh, else? Hmm. They have their stocks in humanity, and in some ways they depend on some people on this planet. Those are pretty important to them. They will always protect, but they also do not care if there are significant losses 
um, within <coughs> populations that they don't benefit from. So they don't have this empathy. But there are beings that are totally empathic and caring and loving for humanity and see them as, you know, protectable children or something, or brothers and sisters maybe even. You've mentioned the greys are interested in certain types of humans. What characteristics do those humans have? They are mainly interested in those who they can benefit from, which means those basically who have the most stable potential are those who they are interested in. So we were talking about um, the potential of evolution on a collective level, and we also talked about that human beings, they rank pretty high on that. They have a lot of experience, diversity. They tend to become or they could become pretty advanced spiritual and developed beings as a species has individual characters that, you know, some of them stand out. Like you have some people, everyone can learn how to play piano at a certain level or something, but there are people who have a very high potency in becoming master players. And if you put that in accordance to a genetic-based thinking, then you might understand how grace think on certain individuals. They do not care if someone is educated or someone is um, super wise or super strong or have, has a great body characteristics or something. They only look how good and how high is the potency, the potential of that person in terms of evolutionary purpose. <laughs> you use the term genetics. Can you explain how the role of genetics in humans piques the interest of the greys? It's not only genetics, because genetics would be something that they could artificially, you know, influence in some ways, but it's more the, the calculations of the impact of the encounter. So if you have some people, some farm people who get contacted on an open road and they see that and the next day they go public and that leads to a new discussion and 20 years later that case is, I don't know, discussed broadly and something else happens, then there is a high potency that things will in any way go the way the grace wants. So that is a reason why they could do something. I know that in one case they communicated and got in contact with the school class and they were bringing out their warnings because, I mean, it's purely logical that if you warn somebody about something bad to happen, that this person will say, oh, all right, okay, then I will go a different way. And those kids went public. They were interviewed even, I don't know, 30 years later or something. So the case is still inside of the collective memory. Um, 
but still, even the greys are wrong about things and they make mistakes. So the effort they made to warn people had possibly no effect, at least no mentionable effect on the whole system of the collective. Can you speak about the Zorgons or Draco perception of our human reality? Hmm. So I haven't looked too deep into that species and don't want to. But I think that two things are important. The first thing is that they know human evolution because they have this high potential that this could be some kind of competition. That's the reason why they look on Earth, uh, on Earthlings like they do. And I also think that they have a pretty rough understanding of amusement and how to live their kind of lifestyle, to put it gently. And some warrior types need, need victims in some kind of way or opponents to express themselves. So if you have some, for example, a boxer or something, if you want to be a successful boxer, you need. Uh oh. Rom. It's doing it again. Yes. I wonder what this is. I wonder what this is about. Signal? It's just going and singing its song again. Just turn it off and turn it back on. It should probably work. Yes, don't say that. Some opponent to stand up on. So I think that is something they see in humans. People on Earth and military on Earth, they have this tendency to develop weapons for one certain scenario, whereas others, they have like a, a more general kind of approach to military. So, so human people are very special, specialized. They have special forces for special tasks. And when somebody is very special in something, he wants a very special experience. And this reptilian race has a kind of similar approach. They also develop special forces and special warriors for special things. And then they, you know, look for opportunities to try that out, to play it out. How do the interfrequentials view our world? And why would such a higher frequential consciousness want to interact with us? Oh, yeah, interesting. So higher frequential beings have a very different approach to the needs and problems and challenges to this experience here on Earth. They do want to heal and they do want to help and to guide because also their existence depends on a healthy and well-evolving universe because everything is connected, but their approach is differently. And I think 
a lot of people think when they are so advanced, why don't they just, you know, snap and everything will be fine. Their perspective on the challenges on earth is way different and not as practical and hands on as level three. <laughs> I guess I can hang in. Hmm. Hmm. And level four consciousness is if we have, for example, physicians or doctors, medicine on a level three consciousness, they see a bone is broken. So they take something, they make it, you know, open it and put in something and close it and do something like that. Those higher frequential beings do not have that. They would think, why does that accident that wound appear in that time on that place? And what might be the underlying logic that makes this appear in a material universe? Mm -hmm. For example, being six looked upon the challenges and problems of the earth a lot more philosophically as the grace were practically, you know, pretty hands-on and invasive. To being six, everything that happens here on this planet has to do something. Um, are you going to have to stay? No, I don't know why. No, no, that's all we got left. And no, we need to do it. Um, it's not, not an option, dear. I'm cheesy. Maybe I don't want to play it. Rama. Hmm. With the imbalance of female and male energies, They say that in a previous version of the universe, through the stability of mother love, which is one of the greatest and loving and kindest and stable emotions ever, the universe in a theoretical second used to be female. But... As we all know, the universe is neither male nor female and male and female and something else and everything that you want. So this is only a theoretical second, but there are some problems that occur inside of time through that experience outside of this version of the universe. Uh, let me explain what they think of it. They think that if you have the mother energy um, taking the child from their own body and giving life to it. That is a very caring and loving energy. Whereas if we look upon the father in the first glimpse, it seems as if the father is more divided to the child. And that is something that they see as an imbalance in energy, female and male energy that occurs on this planet. Because in some way or another, through that imbalance, 
by dividing something essential, just thought-based, essential away from the child, it seems as if one or another, you know, has to die. And from that, we have this conflict where the new version of the universe seems to kill the old version of the universe. The child trying to kill the father and the father seeing that as a threat because he's divided from the child and trying to kill the child. So you have this, Freud would call it the Oedipus complex. So there's a very true kind of complex systematic to it, which higher frequential beings are aware of. And you also see that in a lot of religions. You have the same story, for example, when Shiva and Parvati have their child. Parvati, the mother of the universe, is having the child, and Shiva sees the child and tries to kill it and then puts up another elephant head upon Ganesh and through that creates Ganesha. And in that moment... Also, this bad karma was healed because Shiva, the male part of the universe, understood that Ganesha is, is a part of him. And at that point, Ganesha symbol of joy and reunion and everything. Mm-hmm. And the same story is when we talk about Jesus, who is kind of killed by the father himself, which is the sad part because it misses out the solution part. It's only Jesus as the child of the universe being killed and asking, oh man, father, what have I done? So the solution is in the Vedas when Shiva as the male part of the universe understood that there is no separation and he is the loving father of the child. But through that, we have a interesting dynamic, and that is something being six has explained as something that is essentially going wrong in this world. Because as the male part seems to be divided from love, from the union, and thinking that the child who has got all the attention and energy from the mother has also taken away the mother love from the father, then the male part gets into activity in order to, you know, get the attention back that he, in an illusion, seems to have missed. He he starts to be proactive in order to, you know, fight for the love of the princess and, and, I don't know, be worthy of something. Tim, how does the Vedic analogy relate to humans and level six beings? Look, the greats, for example, they are pretty hands-on with their solutions. They say, okay, we have that and that, so we, I don't know, get in and we change some variables and then sometime it would work out. What being six is saying is that there's some kind of imbalance, um, but it's already solved in the moment and they will only try to give you philosophical advice If you say something, okay, you're feeling bad, but everything is fine already, then he will say, like, that doesn't help me in any way. But that is the perspective that being six looks upon. It's just the same way with 
I don't know, what Jesus said, what the Vedas said, what, um, what Buddha said, what everyone said, that everything is all right already, but that doesn't help in a practical way. Mm -hmm. And people are looking for solutions, a solution, a hands-on based solution instead of, you know, just come to a point where everything is all right and everything is all right. And the greys are sort of the intermediary of those perspectives on life. If humans are a genetically modified species, who are the genetic mothers and fathers who created us? <laughs> Depends on how you look up in it. There are about 12 species that have put their influences and genetics into certain parts of the population of on Earth. But... If you zoom out very, very far, it's still source. So this is something that everyone needs to acknowledge. And it's also, if we're coming back to the Vedas, it's also the solution. Because in the end, there's the story where Ganesh, who is the, you know, elephant child of the universe, he gains eternal life by acknowledging that he's always surrounded by mother and father. And that is the ultimate joy of him. Yes, but zooming in, tell us about the 12 influences on humanity. It's been said that it's 12 species. Maybe there are more. I know of the grace being one manipulated species. There are some reptilian species. There are allegedly some very benevolent and Sweet species that also did that, <laughs> some connected to the planet Venus, but I'm mostly informed about the greats. Was this a collective influence from the 12 beings, or did they act individually on their own? It was not a collective effort. To my understanding, it's kind of a progress, because at some point, humans seem to be more divine and more, at least spiritually, more advanced than people are now. And at some point, allegedly 15,000 years ago, people started to become more unstable, more open for conflicts, more open for conquering spaces and fighting for things. And it was obvious to some species that something went wrong and it took some time to find out and to do some research and analyze what happened. So the overall code of the universe tries to find spots where there are challenges and um, paradoxes and then zooms into that spot and tries to solve them. So duality, for example, is a paradox. It needs to be decided. Somebody needs to decide for the universe, which is all and everything all at once, how things will turn out. Any idea of who that source being is? Yes, you and me. And everyone. Mm -hmm. Why is Earth attractive to all these different ETs and interferential beings? I think there are a million reasons for why Earth could be attractive to 
individuals or even whole species. Some of the more basic approaches to that question is, for example, that there are things on Earth that are fun. For example, <laughs> a lot of non-terrestrials that acknowledge this. They, for example, love Disney World. They, at least some, do like the idea. I, I know that some have visited that and found that interesting because it's the highest potential of creativity and creative energy that humans could bring up, and they enjoy that. Some do enjoy that. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's for obvious reasons. I can totally understand why. If, if somebody goes to a different country and enjoys their food, then why shouldn't other life forms enjoy things that are really, really great on Earth? This is one of the most more basic forms of, um, you know, interest in Earth. And it's not, you know, one of the, not that everyone in the universe just comes from Disney World, but the more sophisticated uh, approach to that question would be that the potential of evolution of humans on Earth is pretty high because they have all this stress and all this chaos. So that means they make a lot, a lot of experience. They have to find a lot of solution. And the more solution and experience you have, the quicker you evolve compared to a species that, I don't know, grabs a hole in the sand and just plays time for very, very long. They do not tend to evolve that quickly. And Earth people, with all that stress and all that challenges, they have to evolve quickly. Is there a 3D reality other than this materialistic world that we live in? One thing that I know from the grace is that there is a different reality where one life form or species lives in that is kind of specialized in building holographic realities. Those are pretty small beings um, that are kind of crafting those holographic realities where souls can have experiences in. That is their approach to the probabilities and worlds of the universe, which is totally exotic and totally different to what we have here. It's more like reality where they are using tools to craft pieces of reality together in order to create scenarios where life form can experience something. So it's totally awkward and totally different to what we perceive. Does that exist in another space on Earth or are they somewhere else altogether? I cannot explain and I cannot imagine the way this reality is connected to this reality we experience here. So I have no model how that and this is in some way or another connected. It seems to be just a totally exotic and different reality 
where things are a lot more shiny, a lot different colors, different fields, different vibrations, and it's just some different world. And I don't know if one can take things from there into here. Maybe we'll find out. But I know the greats are there too. What do you say about the idea that we could be living in a holographic universe? I would say we live in a creative, observer-centered, mental-based reality that can be everything that you put your dedication upon. It's more in creative aspects mm. to probabilities and possibilities inside of an empty but intelligent void that exists. Tim, what's your takeaway for the viewers when we look at different worlds and different worldviews within the universe? I'd say we're all hovering, but there's no ground. That's my take on the universe. I think we have almost infinite potential of being creative and experiencing things and in reality far less dramatic than it appears to be in this reality. And once we open ourselves for that and become aware of our position in life, and that we are responsible and that we are experiencing ourselves and we finally have the opportunity to open up and to have conversations, communications and feelings, then life becomes a lot more pleasant. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. Do you consider the greys an advanced AI or robotic type of being? This species is evolving quickly, very quickly. There's been many reports of cow mutilation stories. I know that the greys were testing some technology on some animals on this planet. What's your overall impression about all this contact with the greys with humanity? We are one on so many beautiful ways and we've never been alone, never will be alone. <laughs> Okay. Well, I could do a real quick, um, let's see, you have how much? Did you say eight and six, Ramal? Eight That's minutes. Fourteen minutes, so it's, I mean, we got fifteen minutes. Okay, I think we can just say, I'll, I'll maybe play one song from, um, Steve Colbert from the other night. Oh. Uh, it, that'll, that'll be good. And we can, uh, pretty soon we can get our sister Rainbird over there. Uh, but, uh, just from our sister Robin LaPlante. Let's share that together. Um. Yes, Rainbird. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Don. Good, good, good. Finding your, finding your sacred inhale and sacred exhale. Lessons from the Bimini Blue. Having just returned from another incredible heart-opening encounter, 
with the dolphin of Bimini. We are forever changed. Being in the protective vessel that Bimini provides you feels the provides you feel the moment you have you move through the portal and leave the fast world of the land dwellers behind. I had to slow that one down. My heart instantly fills with delight and wonder, with anticipation of another reunion with the sea, the sea angels. No answer? Yes, yeah, maybe. Huh. Okay. Maybe you just give a little few minutes and then try again, maybe, Don, just to mm. give her a chance. I know she had her sister with her today. Appreciate it so much. These Amazing beings are highly advanced star beings with the purpose of opening the heart of the human. As we navigate through these times of uncertainty, it is more important than ever to remain heart-centered. In this place, there is no room for confusion or fear, hatred, or judgment. This island rum, look, it looks exactly like a mm. dragon. Or what, is that a dra- dragon? It looks like it's got a fish tail. Mm-hmm. Let me see. My goodness. Or is that a wolf? I don't know. Look. Mm-hmm. Look, there's eyes here, right there. A dragon. A dragon wolf? <laughs> I don't know. Oh yes, in, the, in another view, it's both a dragon and I. It's many, many. Oh, it's many things. There's a dolphin tail back there. Look. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is very interesting. Oh, okay, well, they're using the landmass plus the combination of the medicine wheel. And now we get to see pictures of dolphins. Each day, we were invited. To enter the under- Oops. Echo, echo. <laughs> to enter. All right. <laughs> that was a grand announcement. I was just starting to talk about the dolphins world here. And in you come, Rainbird. Okay. Of these. Thank you, Don. Of these. Doug's probably doing that. Of these magnificent beings as we were taught lessons that would help us navigate the world of human when we left this mystical place behind and re-entered the realm of the land dwellers. This is fantastic. Fantastic. To be dolphinized and feel the sensation of the sonar move through you is a powerful experience. The human-dolphin connection creates a field of pure love where the dolphin becomes the teacher, swimming in the ocean with the simplicity and elegance of the dolphins. One is linked to the infinite wisdom of love. Dolphins invite us into their world to teach us that to walk in balance as land dwellers, we need to live in tune with the, with the patterns and rhythm of nature. The waters of Bimini serve as an embryonic fluid for us, 
for us to tap into the dream that we carry as we birth our own magnificence. Held within these crystal clear waters, we can find our own personal rhythm and, uh, and timing as we find our sacred inhale and sacred exhale. As we snarkle, snorkeled in crystal clear waters, it would be the elegant sea fan that became my teacher. I was mesmerized by the flow and could feel and hear the sacred inhale and exhale of the Bimini blue. As I allowed myself to become part of the energy signature of the ocean, I found my own personal rhythm. Questions I had brought with me found answers in the simple movement of the breathing and the allowing the ocean to support me. I was grateful for the teacher that lived beneath the sea. That rhymes at the end. Oh my, and just this one last little breather here. Um, this is from last week's, but it's at the end and it's moving toward now. So we just go back there, 15th and 16th, and, and bring it up again here. Would be a precious time to move through the hours of the one day in some form of meditative, contemplative thoughts of gratitude. Acknowledging that even a commitment to ourselves to protect our hearts and nurture the inner fire within the heart. And you're knowing that this this experience is going to go last for six months, right, Ram? Mm-hmm. Yes, six months. Okay, and um, I don't know how this presence does it, but I can alter time and space. So by calling down its gifts and capacities to alter time and space somehow... Um, your being is now merging with the real self versus the limited egoic mind. This smaller mind is forever calculating, analyzing, ruminating about things and is trying to control in order to humanly survive. So we require this mental body, yet there is no way it can lead us into that higher world of potential beauty and safety. The Pluto trying to the sun and node nearing the lunar eclipse provides this, provides the will, a flow of positive determination and intuitive knowing as to how to move, that's the big word how again, how to move into this step. And to this step up of reality and freedom, it increases the power to do it. And somehow we just know how to move into that higher integration. We will sense a different solution to our situation, new outlook and emotions, that it brings a constructive mindset, a higher way and more peace. The Mars-Neptune conjunction is basically an incredible mystical space we can all access, transcending the, na- the, the regular everyday framework we operate within. It provides creative, artistic, loving experience. A magical thing is this Mars-Neptune in Pisces. Remember, Richard was talking about that. Now we're going into Gemini, right, Rama? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Pisces, Taurus, Gemini. Uh, well, anyway, Pisces, Gemini at the, at the moment, Gemini. Um, the full full moon in Scorpio. Let's see, Mars Neptune conjunction is basically an incredible mystical space we can all access, transcending the regular everyday framework we operate within. It provides creative, artistic, loving experience. A magical thing is this Mars, Neptune, and Pisces, providing the backdrop for our Wiesach moment. This full moon in Scorpio's Wiesach presence can create a few days of realization. The realization is an experiment on one hand, a very serious experiment to overcome illusion of the lesser self running our show as being the end all to its concerns. And secondly, to attempt to help those cross over into this new light who are deeply immersed in that illusion. We are all at different layers or levels of this existence and should be supporting each other by being the light of reality. With Saturn and Aquarius square the moon in Scorpio and the sun in Taurus, a, a tension is created, pressing us, pressing on us to choose the lower nature of Scorpio desire to continue with one's ego thinking calculated to only increase personal gain fulfillment of human wishes and needs and the Taurus physical material world of attachments and acquisition. Scorpio can be the life situations of strong, inordinate desire to experience something in its lower nature, human selfishness. Yet there is always a a price to pay where the tables are turned and the desire mutates into a sacrifice as when it's time to pay for what you got. There is always a mutual arrangement, even as you didn't realize it was with it, it was Scorpio. The Taurus is about acquiring something. Too much identification to money materialism without the higher objectivity. Always acquiring, accumulating, and experiencing the physical needs. It is a very physical sign. Saturn squares both the moon in Scorpio and sun in Taurus pressing us to abandon the lower nature of both polarities and rise to a higher transformational way of life. It compels change, arising in vibration frequency. Aquarius, this is where we're going now, offers an alternate path, which is being awake. We got Nasim Haramin today and all our friends, Kepata. It's an idea, a concept, or inspiration which offers truth, more clarity, enlightenment from all forms of activities, which it will take us to to that next level of detachment and universal evolution toward Aquarius. Again, Saturn is in the sign of Aquarius. This is natural house. So this is moving from karma to dharma. So let's just play. This is a shift. Um, we got two more sentences okay I'll just read those in the last end and let's just do this so that we can hear the music time here this is uh, Stephen Colbert's final 
All right, that woke everybody up a bit. I like the sound that they made. And I pass this talking stick to our sister, Rainbird, because it's time. And it's got all the fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, and angels, and all the salamanders and unicorns and everything that I missed. Here it comes. Oh. <laughs> I'll take that talking stick. It's coming in a yard. Ago. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm... some dolphins. Some dolphin spirits are with us tonight. Oh, good. Oh, good. I like that dolphin energy in there. So, yeah, lots of gratitude for, for you, Tara and Rama. And I really missed the whole evening, I feel like, because I fell asleep. But I'm awake now. <laughs> oh, I see. So there was a purpose to the madness of the last piece. Yeah. <laughs> well, sister, I hope you enjoyed that. your sister day with your other sister today, right? Yeah, I did. We had a lot of fun. My sister and her her partner, and and it was just a lot of fun. My whole family. So for two days, the last two days, we've been playing and having a real good time. That's good for the spirit, if not the soul. Yeah, it was a spirit day for me today, so I'll catch up later. (laughs) I was just going to say that uh, it's nice to have that connection after a long time and see the places, the common spaces through all the different stories, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was totally fun, so I really enjoyed it. I just missed I missed the show, but I'll catch up next week. I'm going to house sit next week at the temple in Tennessee. In Mexico, oh, at wonderful! It, it was. I mean, it was. It was wonderful. All right, <laughs> where do we go? I, I, that's my opinion. But um, uh, we will also say that. Let's just repeat Cheryl's phone number: four two five four three six sixty two sixty. Pin code 948-7441-POUND. And is there anything else you wanted to share, Rainbird? No, I look forward to listening to y'all tomorrow night and and uh, Monday night at Cheryl's. And, <laughs> and there you go. Life goes on. I get to dig back in, too. <laughs> Okay, so Lord Rama, it's on your hands, I would think. Okay. Then we can all, yes. There's something changing inside all of us. What is that? What did you put a play there, darling? Oh, there you go. So nirvana means breathe out. What a relief that was. The sigh of relief. Let it go. 
because it will come back to you if you let it go. But if you don't let it go, you'll just suffocate. So a person in the state of nirvana is what we might call a blown out person. Like blow your mind. <laughs> let go. Don't cling. And then you're in the state of nirvana. And I re-emphasize the point. This is not, I'm not preaching, see? Not saying this is what you ought to do. I'm simply pointing out a state of affairs that is so. There's no moralism in this whatsoever. It's simply pointing out like, if you put your hand into the fire, you'll get burned. You can get burned if you want to. <laughs> It's okay. But if you, it so happens that you don't want to get burned, and you don't put your hand in the fire. So in the same way, if you don't want to be in a state of anxiety all the time, and again I emphasize, if you like to be anxious, it's perfectly all right. If that's, see, Buddhism never hurries anyone on. They say, you've got all eternity through which to live in various forms. And therefore, you, you, you don't have just one life in which you've got to avoid eternal damnation. You can go running around the wheel and the rat race and play that game just as long as you want to, so long as you think it's fun. But if there comes a time when you don't think it's fun, you don't have to do it. So I wouldn't say to anyone who disagrees with me and who says, well, uh, I think we ought to engage the forces of evil in battle and put this world to right and so on and so forth and arrange everything in this world so that it's all up. Try it, please. Uh, it's perfectly okay. Go on doing that. <laughs> But uh, if you see that it's futile then uh, you can let go. <laughs> Don't try to cling. Relax. And if you do that, you're in the state of nirvana. And you become a Buddha. And of course it means that you become a rather astonishing person. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ralph, for, for bringing him to all of us. Mm. That's really how early how early in your life did you meet this gentle spirit? Oh, 67, 68. You were 13. Yeah. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right before, what's that? What's the name of that? Upstate New York event. Woodstock. Woodstock. Okay. Let's play music. Howdy all, Rama. Thank you. Mm. Satnam. Satnam Ji. Ahomi and everyone. See you in the twinkling of an eye and in your dreams. Aloha. Namaste. See you tomorrow. <laughs>